and it is high noon on a dreary rainy Saturday. We're breaking into our regular scheduled programming to bring you an exciting live broadcast from the Bluegrass Veg Fest right here in the Melwood Arts Center down on Melwood. We're broadcasting to you today from our forward radio table, which is here in the back of the Veg Fest. You won't want to miss it. Come on out. Great stuff happening all day. We're going to interrupt Overtones Live today to bring you this special live broadcast. My name is Justin Mogg, one of the volunteer programmers here on Forward Radio. Here at our booth, we're recruiting new programmers, and I've got one sitting right next to me. I want to introduce our listeners to Renette Bazell. Hi, Renette. Hi, how you doing, Justin? <laughs> you are proposing doing a new kids show on our station, right? You want to tell us about that? Uh, well, the name's been changed. It was the Self-Love Method. Now it's called the Self-Love Temple, and it's teaching children to love themselves. Uh, uh, there's a lot of bullying going on in my day when you went home you have to deal with that but now the kids today they go home they get on computers and they get bullied from there so this is why I start and plus I'm a professional nanny so I work with kids all the time and I love working with kids so I think this uh, program will help and we're changing some things on it that I think it'll be even better and you're a puppeteer, right? Yeah, I'm a puppeteer, so you'll be uh, hearing from Sunshine, because she's going to be Star. Then there's Eclipse, and then there's Purple Princess. She's kind of uh, very uh, sophisticated uh, uh, Purple Princess. So <laughs> They all have their personalities. <laughs> I am so excited to hear this. This is going to be a totally new type of programming for us on Forward Radio. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> And uh, I'm excited about it and nervous at the same time. So you can come on out to VegFest right now and meet Runette. You didn't bring your puppets, did you? No, I didn't. Sorry. <laughs> That's all right. That's all right. We'll get you later with the puppets. They're going to be mad at me if I tell them where I was. <laughs> we also have Patty Payette from Critical Thinking for hey, everyone here at our booth. And uh, I'm going to get her over here and ask her about what's going on. But let me give you what's going on with the PA. From Julian's Kitchen, I highly recommend you get over there. Uh, we've also got Branch Out Foods, which is a vegan restaurant that came all the way from Paducah. So check those guys out, too. Coming up in 10 minutes is a cooking demonstration. It's at 1215 it's in the other room, so if you exit out the main doors and look to your right, you will see signs pointing you in the right direction. This is for Dawn Hilton Williams, who is the author of Flava My Plate, and she is making crabby cakes that you will get to sample if you're attending. So head on over there here in just a couple of minutes. We're coming to you live today from the third annual Bluegrass Veg Fest. Pretty cool. Yeah, it's going on all day until 6 p.m. today here at the Melwood Arts Center, uh, 1860 Melwood Avenue. I'm Justin Mogg. Patty Payette from Critical Thinking for Everyone is also here at our Ford Radio booth. And already, Patty is digging in. I, yes, I am. We're right next to this place called Smash Bowl. And so I was so curious and I went over there 
and it is a wonderful like acai bowl type of place yeah. where they'll put in different things in your bowl and the main thing is this dragon fruit sorbet dragon fruit they can add like fresh fruit and granola and oh. hemp seeds yeah it's really good so i still remember when i visited vietnam and the piles of dragon fruit were just such a stunning really? sight they're so beautiful <laughs> really you have that that's a great memory you have a dragon fruit so it's delicious I will say the other food booths here are just outstanding. I am not a vegan, like I don't I don't identify as a vegan uh, person. And I bet most people here wouldn't. Yeah, but the food and the food booths are just outstanding. So I highly recommend people coming just, just even if you're a foodie and you're not a vegan, you know, you're going to love the options. I think that's the message today is that plant-based foods are for everyone. Everyone. <laughs> that is the message. Good one, Justin. Yeah. Um, they are. Forward Radio is for everyone. Plant-based food is for everyone. Um, I have been more and more seeing different kinds of plant-based foods offered more widely. And I heard a story on NPR last weekend. I don't know if you caught it. There's some guys trying to manufacture plant-based salmon. It's really? actually artificial salmon. And it was a story about how they are building and manufacturing and working on, yeah, plant-based salmon. Isn't that wild? Well, there's more and more of these meat substitute products. I'm finding them pretty universal now, which is yeah. kind of exciting in that it lowers the bar for people who are used to eating things like salmon every day right or burgers obviously or sausages or all these kinds of different things now you can find plant-based versions of them so you really don't have to change your regular diet the things i usually eat they're now just plant-based i know pretty cool um so yeah. who else is here just we've also got k.a owens from on the edge with k.a owens at our ford radio booth he is joining us for the day here at Bluegrass Veg Fest. Kay, you gotten anything to eat yet? Well, I haven't tried the food, but it's great to see so many people out. I mean, with you know all that's going on in the world, I'm glad that people just want to come out and be around each other and just have a good time. And uh, and uh, the thing started at 11 a.m., but people were like sort of lined up to get in here. Right. So they're just lined up to get in here. The parking lots are full. This is a fantastic facility. This was a former meatpacking plant over here. You didn't know that. How perfect. Ironic, right? And so, uh, well, yes, 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 yes. And so uh, they've uh, taken the former meatpacking plant and, uh, and transformed it to uh, uh, sort of a, a, a type of mall, uh, an event space. And uh, it's got plenty of parking and uh, so and some solid buildings and uh and, uh, you know, it's just a great opportunity for people to be, come out and be around each other. And so uh, it's just great to see people out in their spring-summer outfits and their, and their, uh, and their shorts and their T-shirts and uh, uh, ponchos because it's raining. And uh, uh, some people with umbrellas, some people not. Some people like it kind of all natural. I mean, it's, it's warm. Who cares if you get a little wet? That's right. That's right. Now, K.A., when we first started this station, we had a program called Brunch with Black Folks on Saturdays. Yes. I think what we're doing today, I miss that show so much. I think what we're doing today is Brunch with Plant Folks. Well, well, there you go. There you go. Absolutely. Absolutely. 
So come on out and join us. Uh, check out our table. You can meet K.A. in person. Uh, you can uh, meet Patty in person and sample some of these delicious foods and learn a little bit about Forward Radio and how people can get involved because we want people's voices on the air. And if you haven't been to the Melwood Arts Center, you just come out Melwood. I mean, uh, uh, Google it on, on, your, on your smartphone. You can It'll tell you how to get here from either River Road or, uh, yes. or Brownsboro Road. It's sort of between uh, 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 Brownsboro Road and Sorn right here. Just, just come out here and cruise around. There's a lot of interesting kind of people just walking around. We're in the, sort of an in-store, indoor uh, uh, event space here, so it's nice and dry. Uh, all kind of people are here. But when that sun comes out later today, you might want to check out the food trucks that are outside. Did you see any of those, Patty? Yes, I saw the one of my favorite places in Louisville is called Green District. And they are a salad place. And I saw they had a truck, and I was like, I love Green District. A Spinelli's, a wonderful local pizza place, has a truck. So Do they have a fully vegan pizza out there? My guess is yes. That's my guess. Yes. You got to check it out, because I think the theme is all plant-based today, even things like cheeses. Now there's vegan yeah. options that you can sample at Spinelli. So yeah, come on out through 6 p.m. today. We'll be live broadcasting so much of the proceedings. I am curious to go check out this food cooking demo. So I'm gonna saunter over to the old meat packing plant that K.A. was just telling you about. I'll be circling back to the table, y'all. Uh, but I am gonna have to make my way through some big crowds to get there because this place is already hopping with people who are stoked about plant-based eating. And, uh, you know, people are just learning what this is about. You know, some people have been doing this for decades, obviously, but then others are just getting into it. And that's why things like cooking demos are so perfect for this event. So uh, I want to cruise on over to see, as you heard earlier, that Dawn Hilton Williams from Krabby Cakes We'll be doing a cooking demo and tasting from 12.15 to 1.15 here at Bluegrass Veg Fest. There's two buildings involved in the Veg Fest. There's sort of the event venue where all the vendors and booths are and you can sample things. There's free samples right as the, you can grab right as you're walking in. Uh, the samples right now are some delicious edamame beans. They got a sriracha one and a salty one. And I'm going to head out into the light, light drizzle. Oh, it's letting up a little bit to go over to the main building of Melwood Art Center. See if our Wi-Fi hold up for us as we saunter on over. We are bringing you a live broadcast from Bluegrass Veg Fest today through 6 p.m. here on Forward Radio. My name is Justin Mogg. I'm so excited to be live on air again. We did the How-To Festival back in May. We love to get out in the community, sharing what's going on, and bringing you these special live broadcasts. So I'm going to step on in to the speaker's room here at the Melwood Arts Center, see if we can learn about this cooking demo. Still plenty of seats available. People are lined up. There is a nice video screen so you can see, you know, it's got one of those cameras hanging above, above where the cooking is gonna happen. So you can watch live and check out what's going on. 
we are going to hear from Don Hilton Williams, aka the Vegucator, author of Flavor My Plate, your tasty vegan guide to health and wealth. She's founder of Herban Eats, H-E-R-B-A-N, and a food justice advocate. We need that so much in our city, so I'm glad to be hearing from a food justice advocate today here at Bluegrass Veg Fest. She's been a vegan chef for more than two decades, recently awarded a $10,000 grant from Beyonce's Bay Good Foundation. Dawn is also dedicated to the mitigation of food apartheid communities like we have right here in downtown Louisville, where chronic disease risk factors disproportionately impact communities of color. So Dawn is a warrior for that. I don't know if she's going to be talking about that today, but she's going to be doing some crabby cakes, cooking demo and tasting here at the Bluegrass Veg Fest. Again, you can learn more about the fest at bluegrassvegfest.com. There's a schedule there for all of the events happening through 6 p.m. today. We had in this very space at 11 a.m. a bar three class preparing your body for all the amazing food you're soon to eat here at the Veg Fest. It was a free bar three class. Uh, bar three is a full body balance workout combining strength conditioning, cardio, and mindfulness. And uh, we're going to hear from Dawn. I think their folks are settling into their seats. Let's see if we can listen in a little bit. Coming to you live today here on Forward Radio from the Bluegrass Veg Fest. Say, folks are settling into their seats here at the Melwood Art Center. And people are lining up for some delicious free samples, too. That's pretty exciting. Uh, there are some delicious looking crabby cakes already prepared that people are sampling as well. As some coleslaw on the side. That looks really good. It's a purple coleslaw. And again, I was sharing with you the schedule of what's coming up later today here at the Bluegrass Veg Fest. Uh, after dawn at 1.30, we're going to hear from Gene Bauer, B-A-U-R, Vegan for Animals, People, and the Planet co-founder and president of Farm Sanctuary, uh, and Gene has been hailed as the conscience of the food movement by Time Magazine. He was a pioneer in undercover investigations and instrumental in passing the first U.S. laws to ban inhumane factory farming practices. And that's one of the reasons, of course, that people choose a plant-based diet and maybe go fully vegan. It's because of their concerns about animals and the way animals are treated in our modern industrial agricultural system today. Uh, it's not healthy for them. It's not healthy for us. Certainly not healthy for the planet. You've heard here on Forward Radio our coverage of sustainability and environmental issues and Certainly, we're very concerned about the environmental impact of meat consumption, and that's one of the things we want to promote is more sustainable living 
Uh, and you can do that right here at Bluegrass Veg Fest. So come on, check it out today here at the Melwood Arts Center. It's free. I haven't mentioned that yet. Uh, you don't want to miss this because you're worried about fun. All these samples are free, of course. And the whole program is free. Uh, you can stop on in. You can make a donation. There's a suggested $5 donation that goes to support local animal charities. But everything else is totally free for you to check out. Uh, you won't want to miss this. It's, it's a unique opportunity to have so many, over 50 regional businesses and products that are all featuring plant-based goods. And this, unfortunately, this Bluegrass Veg Fest has been delayed for several years because of the pandemic. So we're so excited to be back in person. Many people are masked, as you've probably seen. A lot of people aren't masked yet. And we're broadcasting live here on Ford Radio. I've got a volunteer here serving these. Are these the Krabby Cakes? Krabby Cakes, yes. Can, what's in them? Are we about to find out? Um, yeah, she's about to tell you, but it is um, based with uh, chickpeas and hearts of palm. So exciting. I can't wait to try this. And the people have been coming in like crazy for these crab cakes. <laughs> and they come with a little coleslaw, right? Uh-huh. Yeah, purple cabbage slaw there. That looks so good. And all of this is free, everybody. Totally free here at the Melwood Arts Center. Don't miss it. Uh, I am, man, I'm in the line of people who want some Krabby Cakes. This is exciting. Uh, I'm going to sample it as well. Thank you. All right, this is difficult. I got to remove my mask to taste the Krabby Cake. This is a good way to do a cooking demo. Let people sample how delicious it is and then show them how to make it. That's what we're doing here at the Bluegrass Veg Fest. Mmm. Okay, you know, hearts of palm. I don't know where I get that, but maybe we'll find out. This is delicious. I know you can make it without hearts of palm too, but mm. I you know, that is a lot like a crab cake. That's delicious. Hi. Yeah, you're live on air. We're doing a live broadcast today. Are you a presenter? I am. My name is Dawn Hilton Williams, the Vegetator. Yes. I don't want to get in your way. You're about to go on, but I'm excited to watch. Come on out. It's going to be good. Yes, come on out here and enjoy this good food. Vegan, delicious, whole food, plant-based flavor. Mm, that's right. That's right. That's what we're doing today. Thank you. She's been cooking for 20 years. She's mentored, yes! <laughs> mentored by Dr. Milton Mills, who we'll get to see talk later today. Just doing all the incredible things for plant-based eating and promoting that good stuff in our communities. So please give it up for Don Hilton Williams.
have you tasted that those were cold. The taste is kind of cold. You know that they weren't, right? So I'm going to show you some of the tricks of the trade on that. And it's mostly made with hearts of palm. I'm going to talk about sustainable hearts of palm versus the multi-stem versus the single stem if you're into that. And if you can hear me in the back, let me know. We'll just do a finger up and I'll, I'll raise up. I'll pump with the volume. Okay, I'll pump with the volume. Is that, is that good? <laughs> okay. So um, I want to first uh, thank you for inviting me here um, um, at Bank Sets and everything in Louisville since my inaugural time in Louisville. So thank you for inviting me. And um, uh, did everybody have a taste already? Yes. Okay, let's go one to ten. Give me a loud yell of ten. And the free recipes are on those QR codes. So go up there at the end, take a picture of the free recipes. Those are in the cookbook, but you can get them for free. Just go on the website and get it. Subscribe for me and that'll just be paid enough. So if you want to get a book though, there are a lot more good recipes. But we use hard to palm chickpeas in this recipe. Our red and yellow pep red peppers and yellow peppers. We like things that are high in um, anthocyanins and nutrients and vitamins and minerals. We don't want just things that are you know, high caloric and fun and processed. We want things that are in the corner of the store for the most part. You know, that's kind of our focus area. And we can get into that other stuff for treats, but we like this to eat every day, right? Have a little treat with the other stuff, but this is what we're doing here. So we also have uh, bell peppers. We have a little bit of Old Bay. All we're really swapping out is the texture of the parts of palm mimics the texture of crab, right, when you blend it down a little bit. So you just post it in the food process, and we're going to show you that. And it also is high in fiber and all those things that we normally don't have. We're normally very fiber um, deficient in the United States. Plenty of protein, but no fiber. You can't use it. You know, fiber is important for many, many reasons. Um, uh, it, outside of regularity, it helps with lowering cholesterol. It traps cholesterol. Fiber is a trapper and a binder of cholesterol. It's a bad LDL. So this helps with reducing heart disease and cancer and all those things. So as I cook, I don't really talk about meat, I talk about nutrients, right? So um, if you have any questions, feel free to put a hand up as I'm doing it. But right now, we're going to start on this side. So um, we're going to start off, I've kind of blended some things down already. I'm going to show you kind of how the hearts of palm look. Um, these are sustainably, this is the peach palms. It'll say multi-stem, but if it says single-stem, the tree had to die. The tree died, right? So most of canned ones are from multi-stem sources. If it's multi-stem, in two years, it'll regenerate because you're, only, you're not cutting all of it on the plantation. But again, so these are the hearts of palms. They come in either ringlets or they come in cylinders. And again, they mimic already the texture of fish uh, without all the harmful effects to the animal and to the environment. So we're, <laughs> we're just going to pop them in the here. And we're gonna, it's just going to become kind of messy in here because I only have one, so it's going to not look clean. But, <laughs> but, but no, at home, you can go rinse it out every time. And so we just put it in your little handy processor. And you can get a processor like this from Big Lots or um, Target or Walmart for close to like 15 bucks. Don't get the big one if you don't need it, unless you're cooking for like 100 people, like I needed last night before you guys got here. <laughs> so, um, just want to pop it in and give it a pulse. Don't do the whole, don't do the whole thing 
to be mush. You don't want mush, you want pulse. And that'll give you that fishy texture. And I have some already done, but I kind of like, and I have this up too high. I'm already messing up for y'all. Okay, so then you're just going to pop it out. Is that showing up? Oh, that's perfect. You don't you don't have to be at all. It's just Veg Fest here at the Melwood Arts Center today through 6 p.m. 
You've been listening to some of the live cooking demo, which of course is even better in person when you can see the visuals. So come on out and check it out uh, today at Millwood Arts Center. And uh, you won't want to miss it because it's free and delicious. And the sun is going to come out in a second. And the food trucks are going to be popping. Actually, now's the time to come. Yeah, <laughs> the lines are a little shorter here at the Vel Bluegrass Veg Fest at the Melwood Art Center. Uh, there are speakers throughout the day. There's a full schedule of events you can find at bluegrassvegfest.com. Man, I'm stepping outside here to the food trucks area, and wow, some of the lines are already pretty long. People are dying to eat some plant-based food around here. It's so exciting to see the enthusiasm. And people love it because it's free, it's educational, it's tasty. So many reasons to come check out the Bluegrass Veg Fest. Ford Radio is also proud to be here as a media sponsor and one of the vendors you can come learn about getting involved in forward radio so coming up at 1:30 again it's a talk by gene barr president of the farm sanctuary on vegan for animals people and the planet at 245 we're gonna hear from john lewis aka badass vegan a filmmaker and prominent wellness advocate promoting compassion his soon-to-be-released documentary called They're Trying to Kill Us explores the connection between veganism, food justice, and hip-hop culture. He's going to be speaking on vegans aren't filling up hospitals at 2.45. At 4 o'clock, it's a fireside chat with Gene Barr moderating uh, with Tony Okamoto, best-selling author and founder of Plant Based on a Budget, the popular website and meal plan. She'll be speaking on Plant Based on a Budget. And it wraps up at 5 o'clock today with Plant Based for Prime Health. Dr. Milton Mills, physician and veteran speaker, who was featured physician in Netflix's hit documentary, What the Health? He practices urgent care medicine in the D.C. area and has served as associate director of preventative medicine. Dr. Mills' talks are renowned for being accessible, highly informative, laced with humor, and thought-provoking ideas. And you can hear him talk for free at 5 p.m. here in the Pigment Gallery across from the Exhibitor Hall entrance here at the Melwood Art Center. I'm going to step inside the Art Center uh, where there are volunteers helping guide people and free snacks as you walk in the door. Gotta love it. Check out the free samples of the edamame and uh, then you will be introduced to, man, 50 plus different booths around here. I mean, there's so much going on here at Bluegrass Veg Fest. Uh, you won't want to miss it. It's it's amazing how much is happening here, and uh, we're proud to be here on Forward Radio, broadcasting to you live from the Veg Fest. We're going to be talking to some of these vendors today, and Patty Payette is already checking out the vendors, aren't you, Patty? Oh, there I am just blown away by everything from like vegan uh, Louisville vegan jerky. Yes, they're so good. Oh my God. Yes, to a woman who has a cookbook over here called How Not to Die. <laughs> That's a good tip. Like a plant-based, plant-based diet. I was very, was P. 
piqued my interest. Did you see there's a talk today called Vegans Are Not Filling Up Our Hospitals? Oh, no, I didn't see that. Okay. You're going to be at that one. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And then look at this one. This is a kombucha. It looks like a a local place. So get this. um, I've been talking to the people stopping at our booth. And there are people who travel. Like there was a guy who traveled from Charlotte, North Carolina, just for this event. Oh, that's so cool. And no wonder it's so crowded in here. I know. Like, and I, I said to him, I said to him, like, really, do you have anything like this in Charlotte? And he said, no. Oh, okay. He said that, you know, Asheville and Raleigh, those places are a little more vegetarian friendly and vegan friendly. But he traveled. I talked to some guy from Lexington who had never been to Louisville before. Okay. And this drew him here. Okay. So it's amazing the in the variety of vendors, right? Yes. You know, it's funny you mentioned Asheville, North Carolina, because when I was visiting Asheville a few summers ago, just randomly walking around, checking out the downtown, I ran into a vegan festival. You did? (laughs) Yes. In Asheville? It it was just like this, but outdoors. Okay, I believe that. Asheville's a pretty cool place. (laughs) Yeah. So I love the variety of vendors. Some of them are uh, sort of more educational focused. Some of them are... You know, there's even one here where it looks like it's a tie-dye place where yes. everything is upcycled and sort of sustainable, what they're doing. So it's really, I even tried one of those vegan donuts. Oh, there's vegan donuts! There was a really long line, and I couldn't <laughs> figure was. I couldn't figure out why. They've already sold out twice, and they go to Bardstown Road and make more. But this, I had the strawberry glaze. Oh, really good. Patty. So Julian's, I guess, is a vegan donut place I didn't know about. Here in town? Wow. That's exciting. Yay. I know you can get vegan donuts, too, at Flora Kitchenette. Okay. Avenue. Yep. Okay. Right so pretty from, cool. Yes, right across from Degrets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah and of course, yeah. I mean, a lot of us know who are in the know and already trying to eat plant-based. We know about some of those local businesses. We know about Louisville Vegan Jerky. But Degrets, there's all kinds yeah. of things around here that I've never heard of. That's what makes this so exciting is that it's everything in one place. And yes. that you may hear of things in bits and pieces online yes. or from friends. But to see everything here in one place that yeah. is pretty special and i love that they put it indoors because of the rain i know it's i'm perfect. wearing a mask you're wearing some people are masked some up people some are masked. people are yeah. not and so <laughs> you know but if, if people are worried about the crowd you can feel free to mask up that's right no problem no problem or and there's even food trucks outside if you don't even want to come inside that's true you can just hang out outside yeah, uh, wow. You know, cool. So your show is Critical Thinking for Everyone. You have yeah. talked about food on your show. Yes, we have. Do you see a connection here at the Bluegrass Veg Fest? Yeah, I do. That, that's a great question because I think <laughs> one of the things that I've talked to you and Brian about is what keeps people from sometimes being more sustainable or being more um, vegan or right, mindful right. Is, is access to resources is well how do i make it part of my everyday life and so um i what i love about this place is you you can get an edge of intense education from all of these aspects of vegan in fact there's a guy over there that has a booth it's just if you're thinking about going vegan like here's how you do it like it's like a how-to thing i was like that's perfect yeah and you know what you'll learn thinking 
if knowing you need to do it is one thing, but then how do you do it? That's the other thing. But you'll, I think if you talk to people here, you'll find there's so many reasons why people are trying plant-based foods, right? Oh, yeah. People yeah. are thinking about this right. in a lot of different ways. You yeah. went right to health, right? Like some people go right to health. Yeah. There's going to be a talk later on animals. Some people are really concerned about Animal what, what our modern industry does yes. to animals. Yeah. Or they might be concerned about consuming meat and what that does to our environment and the toll that it takes on our environment. So other people are taking it from a sustainability. Exactly. People who are concerned about climate change, they look at their personal carbon footprint, and they realize what a large portion of that is just the meat that they consume, right? Right. And of exactly. course, there's, if you really want to dive into the weeds, right, there's certain levels of carbon footprint depending on the kind of animal you're oh. eating, right? You can eat lower on the food chain uh, yeah, right. if you eat poultry and fish, right, than if you right. eat pork yeah. or I, I, I've, I've always been a bit of a flexitarian myself, so <laughs> so I, I try to eat, do eat a little bit lower on the food chain, but yeah. Um, but yeah, so I love that this is everything in one place and people are so friendly and come from all over. And it's really, it's really cool. It's my first time being here. Yeah. And there's over 50 different vendors to talk to. And I know you're exploring them. I want to yeah. talk to some of these vendors, yeah, too. Yeah, you go for it. You so, go for it, Justin. <laughs> yeah, good to run into exciting. you again, Patty. Yeah. And we're one of the vendors as well. Check That's out our right. Ford Radio we're booth. Learn about how you can get involved in community radio, making radio that matters here in Louisville, Kentucky. We are part of the community, and we love to get out in the community. May I talk to you uh, live on the radio? Uh, my name is Justin Mogg. We're broadcasting here from Bluegrass Veg Fest. Tell us about Elixir Kombucha. Elixir, we are a craft beverage company based in Louisville, Kentucky. Um, right here in Louisville? Where do you make your kombucha? We brew down in West Louisville at Chef Space. It's a kitchen incubator we share with food trucks and caterers. Um, including uh, this food truck. These two folks just really? stepped up from a Good Belly uh, food truck. They make awesome, awesome sandwiches and among other things, potato. What, what's the potato deal you guys do? The lakas. Those things are dope. Yeah. Anyways, so we pair those with our kombucha and it's it's a nice pairing. So yeah. How long has Elixir been in business? We've been in business for six years. No yeah, yeah. And we just switched to cans. So we're doing nationwide shipping now too. Really? People can go on the website, elixirkombucha.com and we'll ship a case to your door. Can I find you at a local bar? Yeah, we're at uh, man, a bunch of places. So down in Nulu, you can find us at uh, Royals Hot Chicken, uh, Akasha Brewing Company, West Six, The Craftery. Um, and then m best bang for your buck is Whole Foods or Rainbow Blossom. Okay. Yeah, you can, your, your money goes a longer, longer way there. So. I imagine we have a few listeners who maybe never have tried kombucha. You want to tell us what it is? Yeah, absolutely. So kombucha is a fermented tea. Uh, it's naturally occurring probiotics and organic acids, and then we flavor ours with um, fruit juices and herbs and spices. So it's good for the gut, uh, it's good for your immune system, and it's nice and bubbly too, so super refreshing. So sort of like a much healthier version of soda. Exactly, a lower calorie soda with probiotics, yeah. Absolutely. And people can buy a six pack of it now. Yeah, we do four packs and 12 packs on our website. Um, and yeah, we do local home delivery and nation nationwide shipping, yeah. You want to share a few of the flavors of kombucha you make? Yeah, we just released Watermelon Crush. It's watermelon, hibiscus, and lime. And then we also have pineapple ginger and lavender lemonade. Those are our two best sellers. 
And then uh, our grapefruit kombucha just won an award at KombuchaCon back in April. Uh, yeah, expert judge panel, uh, three rounds of judging, and grapefruit came in. Uh, we, we got silver for that. So, yeah, yeah, thank you so much. Appreciate it. I don't know much about, like, the history of kombucha. Do you know, like, where this originated? I can give you, like, the 10-second crash course in it. So kombucha's been around for about 2,000 years. It originated in China. Um, and so kombucha, so cha is tea in Chinese, right? So, uh, and then there was an emperor there whose name was Kambu. And the legend has it that he was on his deathbed and sent a bunch of people out into the land to find, a, like, the, uh, the an elixir to cure his ailments. And someone brought back this mushroom tea is what they called it at the time. And it apparently revived his health. And so kombucha was known as the immortal health elixir for a long time. And that's why we called our company Elixir. Awesome. What's your name? Corey. Corey, so good to meet yeah, you. I'm you Justin. Uh, I wish you best of luck here at Bluegrass Veg Fest. You'll be here until six, right? Oh, yeah. We'll be here all day. And you've got cold kombucha. Yeah, we got it on ice. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Good luck to you. That's one of the 50 plus vendors here at Bluegrass Veg Fest. Elixir kombucha brewing it up on the west end at chef space what a cool thing there are many vendors like that here that have different products for sale but then the neat thing is that there are people here just for education right and so i want to talk to some of those people uh, and learn a little bit more about what they do and why they do it and their connection to eating plant-based diets. Uh, one of the booths here is the Toppler Holler Farm Sanctuary, a 501c3 vegan farm sanctuary located in Shepherdsville, Kentucky, right here on planet Earth. Uh, and they are seeking donations and sharing information about Topper Holler Animal Sanctuary. Uh, I, want, I want to try and talk to some of these folks. There are actually many people coming up to talk to these folks. So um, they've got some pictures of some of the rescued animals on their farm at Topper Holler Animal Sanctuary in Shepherdsville. Uh, there's some pictures of some really cute goats, uh, pigs and boars, dogs as well. Uh, boy, the, the, these creatures are so cute. Uh, hey, we're broadcasting live here on Forward Radio. Uh, I wonder if I can ask you about Topper Holler Farm Sanctuary. Absolutely. What's your name? My name is Kent. Hey, Kent. I'm Justin. Uh, so is this your first time at Bluegrass Veg Fest? Absolutely, yes. It's our first time here. It's our first time kind of out representing what we do. And what is it you do? Tell our listeners. We provide lifelong care for animals that come from situations of neglect or abuse. Now, this is not a wildlife sanctuary. These are domesticated animals? It's a farm sanctuary, uh, farm animal sanctuary. And so mostly pigs, because pigs are the farm animals that need the most help right now. Uh, because people tend to get pigs that they think they're going to have as a pet, right? Oh. And then what they've, the, uh, the animal that they brought into their lives is indeed a farm animal right. that has its own instincts that are different from a pet that they might be used to. And then these pigs that they get will end up in a situation that they need help. They need a home. Uh, and that's what we do is we provide a lifelong home for animals like this that need our help. And we are a nonprofit uh, charity. And we do this just to take care of the animals. We're both vegan. Uh, me and the co-founder, Marielle, we co-founded the sanctuary because we're vegan because we want to take care of animals. 
So I'm so glad you you went right to the connection there for why you're at a a festival that's about eating, right? <laughs> exactly, and that's why. So uh, we do it for the animals, and that's what we were invited to come here and represent what we do, and um, and we're just so happy. We're in Shepherdsville, Kentucky, and you can find us online at topperhollersanctuary.org. And um, we're named after my dog Topper that I rescued. And so that's how the name, and you know, in Kentucky we have the hills and hollers, right? We live back in a holler, and it's named after my dog Topper. That is so cool. How many animals are you sanctuarying right now? It's, it's hard to keep track sometimes, but it's mainly pigs, you know, because, uh, because pigs are what needs the most help right now. But we got pigs and goats and dogs. Goats, yeah. Yeah, you can see we've got all our pictures here. Uh, and maybe if you're listeners, if you want to go to topperhollersanctuary.org. And if you go there, there's links to our Instagram, Facebook. There's even like a, a little gallery there where you can see photos of our animals, see photos of what we do. And it tells you about what we do and why we do it. But let's make it clear for listeners. This is not an organization that adopts out animals, right? That question is not easy to answer. It doesn't have an easy answer. Now... If there are people who want to bring a pig into their life, we can make that happen. Now, uh, the key is that people have to understand if they want to adopt a pig, they're bringing a very special animal with its own unique instincts. So dogs have instincts of their own. Some dogs are for herding. Some dogs know more about, um, you know, like, uh, you know, some dogs are bred for hunting, some for bred for herding. Pigs uh, have different instincts of their own. They like to root around in the soil. They like to make mud puddles. They like to do these different things. And so, for example, when people think they're getting a little pig that's going to be cute, and then it gets out in their yard, and it does what it comes natural to it. And then their the yard's getting torn up, and they say, well, we need to get rid of this thing, right? And so that's, that's why it's a very special situation. If someone wants to adopt, we like to really educate and advocate for these animals to make sure that these people know, you know, kind of what, what what pigs do and what they're about. Now, they're very loving animals. They love affection. And like I said, if you want to go to topperhollersanctuary.org, you can see how they like their belly rubbed. And they like, you know, they really love affection. Uh, but they also, they love to tear up the, the earth. They get their noses in the, in the ground. And they like to, you know, and those are instincts that they like. So, but like I said, our main thing is we're a charity, we're a nonprofit sanctuary, and we provide lifelong care for these animals. Well, I honor you so much for that work. I know that there's been a lot of research about how intelligent pigs are. They're, they're very intelligent. They're very intelligent. They're very social. They have their own unique personalities. Um, we've got you know we've got a slideshow up now. I know your listeners can't see it, but again, if you go to topperhollersanctuary.org, um, you can see pictures of them and with. How, how they have different personalities and how we, they like their bellies rubbed. They like to follow you around. They're curious. They're very intelligent. They, um, it, it's just been so fascinating as we've, we started in 2020 and since that time to learn each animal and their unique personalities. Some of them are very spoiled rotten. Some of them are very sweet and affectionate. Some of them are very grumpy <laughs> you know so there's all you get to know them and they're so special and we love them very dearly now did this project come out of the pandemic because i know there was a lot of people adopting animals for the first time when the pandemic started and so was that what happened there were all these pigs that people were oh my god i can't keep this well we did start at the beginning of the pandemic we started in early 2020 and it just 
I'll tell you a long story short. A friend of mine is a veterinarian in Paris, Kentucky. She was fostering two pigs. And when she found out that I had a little bit of acreage in Shepherdsville, she said, hey, I got pigs looking for a home. Would you take them? And, from the, and so I took those pigs in and learned what they were all about. And then people start talking. They say, oh, so-and-so's got some pigs. He might be able to help your pigs that need a home, right? And so it's true. It didn't. So for, that wasn't our experience necessarily. Although I will say we did start during the pandemic and we started bringing in animals to their to their lifelong home with us at that time. Now, you mentioned that they're they're very affectionate, but they're social creatures as well. Pigs, do they play with each other? Absolutely. They like they form their own bonds, their own social bonds. Um, there are certain ones that uh, they'll follow each other around and all check in on each other. They'll even, which one of my favorite things to see is a pig will lay down on its side and another pig will come up and say, you know, walk up and think, hey, you know, what are you doing here? And then start giving a, like a belly rub with their nose, start really just, they form these bonds because they are so, like you said, intelligent and they, they have their own uh, emotions and their own just, their own personalities. And they really are very special little beings that they, they also love people. And we have special, I'll talk for as long as you want. Listen, yes, yes. I'll talk, I love our pigs and I'll talk all day about our pigs, but we've really come to learn so much about what they have to offer us and what, uh, what that we can provide for them. And we have a special pig name. I'm sorry. I'm going to start crying. You're, because you're good. You're the good. thing is, you Roger, made a connection. Roger, when he came to see us, he did not want anything to have to do with people. He didn't want anything to do with people. He he was scared. He stayed in his shelter. Because he was abused. Yes. Yes. But when he came to see us, now it takes time. It's like a dog or a friend. Like, a, you know, when you meet a new person, it takes time for that trust and that bond to develop. And when Roger learned to trust us, and he'll lay down and let you rub his belly, and that meant so much for us to be able to see the progress that he made. And there's uh, that's you know there's other similar stories that we have with pigs. When they learn to trust you, they care for you. They give you affection, and you can give you, them your affection. And you can see some of the photos that we have with Mariel. She'll just lay down, and the pigs will come and lay down with her. She'll rub their bellies. She'll you know just spend time giving them affection and i like that's what i like to say you can see it's written up here on our on our display this is protection and affection and that's what we offer to our pigs protection and affection for their whole lives well to me that's just such a much more rich way to interact with the world to get to know a pig most people in america the only time they might see a pig is in a truck passing by them in butcher town right Absolutely, and that's the sad thing. I don't know, Marielle, do you want to say a few words? You want to yeah, I'd love to talk to you too, Marielle. You're co-founder of The Sanctuary? Yes, I'm co-founder of The Sanctuary, and I agree with that. Most people, and I tell a lot of people with children here, um, they don't see pigs much more than outside of petting zoos or farms or something like that, and they have an image of pigs that's not the image that pigs really are. Like, they are the cleanest animals that you will ever meet. They 
they like they will be in mud when it's hot because it cools them down um, and it keeps bugs off them but I think that meeting a pig in person changes a person um, and it's a different experience than when you're like just seeing them in a movie or something and you actually come face to face with what is happening to them in other spaces yeah do you guys want to talk a little bit about the goats too do they have personalities as well right <laughs> they have a very big personality uh, goats where do I start? So goats are very, also very special and they have their personalities and they tend to be, um, you know, I talk about them being spoiled rotten. The pigs can be rotten. The goats are definitely spoiled rotten. And, um, uh, but they're just, they are such just wonderful souls as well because they're very curious. Um, they they uh, like to uh, enter new environments. Like sometimes we'll turn them loose and let them get into the woods and, check out the different kinds of leaves and weeds that they can eat you know because they'll you know you know how they have that reputation they'll eat a lot of things but mainly goats are browsers right so the difference between a horse and a goat would be a horse is a grazer and a cow is a grazer they graze from the ground goats are browsers uh similar animals there are also browsers would be uh giraffes their their faces are going to be what's in front of them like the trees and and so um and so goats are similar. They like to, they'll come and, and they'll, they'll, if there's a leaf in front of them, their noses are very attuned to what's good for them and what's not. But they'll clean, you know, they'll just, they'll tear all the leaves off a, a little tree or, or um, you know, like clover. They really like clover. They also eat grass, you know, so they'll, uh, they'll graze on our grass or hay or that kind of thing. But they're, they're also very curious animals and very, um, they're also very loving, but ours are kind of rotten. I'll be honest. Like, <laughs> It takes it takes a special person to interact with our goats, you know. So, but the pigs more are craving more of our attention, you know. They, but the goats are more independent is a good way to put it. They're more independent, and they really, you know. So, I'll talk for a minute about the care that we provide for their. Uh, how should I say? Uh, they're kind of so like their hoofs, for example. So we have to trim their hoofs. Uh, we have to trim the pigs, their tusks grow, uh, and that's natural for them. They grow um, kind of like, you know, there's different animals like, um, you know, like um, uh, animals that have to complete, they have to constantly chew on things to have, like squirrels, for example, their teeth grow. Beavers. Right? Yeah. So it's, it's similar to that. Okay. Now they don't go quite as fast, but pigs do need their tusks trimmed every once in a while. They need their hoofs cared for. Uh, and they, And so we also, we do that kind of care ourselves and we bring in professional farriers that work with horses and they'll uh they come in for us twice a year and do checkups and uh and we also do wellness checks for all our pigs and goats we also have uh two dogs that came in to us from situations that you know so we're more a farm animal sanctuary but we also have these dogs that we rescued that you know that really have given us their trust to give them lifelong care Sounds like you need a lot of space for these animals. How much land do you have for them? Well, uh, so we have, um, so you do. The short answer is you do need space for an animal. You have to think that these um, these animals come, are, they're farm animals. And they, and farms need, you know, when you think of a farm, you think of the fields and the pastures and the areas. Well, at least that's the way it should be, right? If farming is done properly. And so... Uh, they should have fields and pastures and, and areas where they can wander around. So 
we uh, have to have kind of a rotational process yeah, exactly. to, to let just, and we, we also, so I will say this too, it's a, we don't advertise it as much, but we're also a woodland sanctuary. Yeah. We allow the trees to grow and yeah. the only time we, you know, cut down trees is if they're, you know, if it's either a species that's invasive or for the health of the forest, right. we might take down a tree. But, but we also, so that the ground, the earth can stay healthy, we'll, you know, rotate them to different areas. And, uh, and so that, you know, to kind of answer your question about the space and the land, you have to pay attention to how many animals you have on any given amount of land. Because if we bring in too many animals, then we're not doing any favors for yeah. well and overtax the animals because we can only provide care for um for a certain number of animals and so while i'm talking about that i'll tell your listeners that there's a special thing that we're doing it's called the holler heroes oh, nice. holler heroes and so if you go to patreon our patreon uh so there's if you go to topperhollersanctuary.org there's a link on that site for our Patreon, if you scroll down, it says Holler Heroes. You click there, it'll take you to our Patreon. Or you can go to patreon.com slash Sanctuary. And we have different, of course people, we would love people to pledge a monthly, however much you want. You can be as generous as you wanna be. That's what I wanna say. But we have a special, uh, unique cadre of supporters called the Holler Heroes, the Holler Heroes. And if you're a holler hero, you pledge $1 a month, $1 a month. But you think about it. If each one of your listeners yeah. pledges a dollar a month, you know, say a hundred people say, ah, sounds like a good idea. I can afford that. A yeah. hundred people, that means a lot to our animals. Absolutely. We have to provide them with food, yep. with shelter, with uh, veterinary care, yeah. if, they need, if they need medicine, yeah. uh, all their wellness checks. Taking care, you know, we provide lifelong care for these animals, and because we're a nonprofit, tax-free charity, we rely on supporters to help us with that. So uh, the thing that makes Patreon easy is you can go on and you put in your bank card you or your you you yeah. said it and genuinely a dollar a month. Makes a it, yeah. it, the more people that if everybody here gave us a dollar a month, right. it would change our lives. Yeah. And it's not so much for each individual. So, but the main thing I want to say is just like, you know, obviously, like I said, we rely on the support of, of people that are generous and charitable and we can't do it without your help. But our main thing is we, we just want to give these animals a good home yeah. and, and develop relationships with them yeah. and provide them with the protection and affection that they need. I'm so glad to learn your story and to share it with our listeners and I encourage everybody to come see the pictures and talk to you guys individually here at the Bluegrass Veg Fest. You'll be here till 6? Absolutely. Please come and see it. We love, like I said, I will talk about our animals as long as you, you know, I'll talk as long as you want to, I'll talk. And, and uh, we love meeting new people and, and just giving them to a chance, give, give people a chance to know what our lives are like with these animals and, and what they're like and just the, just the genuine, unique uh, nature of these just what they have to offer in their friendship and compassion and just the, their their unique personalities it's just it's so special I'm so glad to hear your story good luck to you folks at topper holler animal sanctuary are here at bluegrass veg fest don't miss them yeah come and see it. Yeah, you're welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Forward radio, forward radio yeah. okay i'm gonna look you up right now
Forwardradio.org. We're your community radio station. Forwardradio.org. Forwardradio.org. Yeah. But we're based here in Louisville. TopperHollerSanctuary.org. Awesome. We are live broadcasting here from the Bluegrass Veg Fest all day until 6 p.m., interrupting our low, normally scheduled programming. So we apologize to folks who are tuning in to expect they're here, their normal programming today. We're coming up at the top of the hour. And uh, sorry you didn't get to hear overtones just now, but uh, great local music program that you can check out later on our schedule. And coming up in just a minute, we're going to hear from some of the more speakers here at Bluegrass Veg Fest and uh, interview some more of the 50-plus vendors that are here. And we are broadcasting to you live on Forward Radio 106.5 FM, WFMPLP Louisville. My name is Justin Mogg. We encourage you to come on out to the Melwood Arts Center down here in Melwood in the shadow of Butchertown, ironically enough, uh, for sampling of all kinds of delicious vegan treats. I am standing next to the Vegan Cheesecakes booth, Sister Fatima's Vegan Cheesecakes, all the way from Los Angeles, California. That's one of the neat things about Bluegrass Veg Fest is you get to be exposed to things you might not find every day here in Louisville. Sister Fatima's vegan pies and cheesecakes include some very tempting treats. You know, you got your blueberry cheesecake, your carrot cake cheesecake, your cherry cheesecake, your banana pudding cheesecake, all vegan and all available for purchase right now. There's a southern peach cobbler. Oh, there's a slutty diva cheesecake that's got Oreos, strawberries, pecans, chocolate chips, chocolate drizzle, caramel drizzle, marshmallows, and powdered sugar. Mm. Yeah, the line is pretty long here at Sister Fatima's Vegan Cheesecakes. I don't think I'm going to get a chance to talk to her because she is busy selling cheesecakes that are vegan. Yes, folks, you can have everything you delight in in terms of eating. You can have it right here at Bluegrass Veg Fest in a plant-based version. And uh, you can meet some of the many vendors who are selling products, making products locally or regionally, or doing education around plant-based diets and uh, how to enjoy them. Uh, I want to talk to my friends at the Organic Association of Kentucky. Hey, Katie, how are you? Oh, I'm doing so good. (laughs) Hi, Justin. Katie Harvey is with Oak. You guys have a lot going on in the summer. I'm kind of surprised to see you here. I know, we do. We have so much, Justin. We have this full lineup of farmer field days. And you were recently at Rootbound here in town, right? We were. We were at Rootbound. We were highlighting their kind of diversified market farm operation and showing that off to lots of Kentucky farmers, aspiring farmers, getting them more information about how to grow organically in Kentucky. That's what we do best. Um, We are a great technical resource for farmers and just kind of learn more about growing organically. Yes, and Rootbound, I think, provides a really great model for how to do it right. They have such a diversified operation. You want to tell people about that? They do. So Rootbound Farm, if anyone's unfamiliar, they're an Oak member farm. They're based in um, Oldham County, and they have a 
wonderful diversified operation of 40 to 60 different crops that they grow for their CSA, community supported agriculture, as like a weekly vegetable box that people can sign up for. Um, they still have space in their CSA. If you're Is that country, right? No way. You can, you can sign up, check it out. They also really do a great job of providing a lot of food for the Fresh Stops program. And that's a sliding scale CSA model um, that's operating in Louisville. It's a great program. Check that out as well. Um, and they do farmer's markets. So they go to the Douglas Loop Farmer's Market. You can check them out there. They have all those great vegetables. They also um, raise certified organic um, chicken. They have certified organic lamb. And then they do certified organic eggs. So everything they do is organic. Um, they're a great model for other folks on how to, you know, um, on organic farming. And they're really working the community supported agriculture side of it. And that is such important for sustainability on the economic side, right? Absolutely. So CSA is just a really fantastic way to support a farm for a whole season. So when you join a CSA, you are joining for 20 plus weeks. So in Rootbound's case, it's 24 weeks of vegetables. So that's six months of fresh local organic vegetables um, and that investment really helps support the farm they have more um, more financial resources to kind of get the season going and then you can get that relationship with the farm you're getting you're hearing from them every week you're picking up your box um, so it's a really about connecting to your food knowing who's growing your food that's what CSA is all about. Yes, absolutely. So everything you're getting is um, grown in season. And you can also go online, though, and customize your box. So for anyone that's familiar with the traditional model of CSA, it's kind of come a long way. You can pause your box if you're gone for vacation. You can customize it by going online. Um, it's really flexible, and it's not as rigid as it once was. So definitely you know, circle back to it if, if you um, and check it out. Um, Rootbound has a great program. So. And if people are like wanting to experiment with plant-based diets, what a great thing to do to subscribe to a farm and get what's seasonally available. You might discover vegetables you never tried before. Absolutely. So we love um, for this, the kind of the fun of CSA, that seasonal eating journey when you're trying new vegetables you've never had. Um, when you're buying from a local organic farm, you're going to be able to get things you would never get in the grocery store. So kohlrabi is a great example. It's that yes. funky spaceship vegetable um, that no one knows what to do with. The kohlrabi has landed. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So um, You had kohlrabi soup. I haven't. I usually um, slice it up raw for salads or I'll um, batter it and fry it. Nice. It's that healthy, but it's very delicious, like a little kohlrabi chip. Um, but yeah, so you can really try new things. You can get access to foods you would never get. Um, and if you're looking for a plant-based diet, definitely check out CSA. It's awesome um, to kind of get that, make it convenient to eat all that fresh food. So. And the Organic Association of Kentucky can help connect you as a consumer two local CSAs, right? You want to tell people about that? Yes, absolutely. So you can go to our website, oak-ky.org, and you can click on our Find a Farm directory. And we actually have a box that you can check and just check that CSA box. It's going to pull up every CSA farm we work with. And you can find a CSA operation in your area by going to our Find a Farm directory. And you want to plug specifically why organic agriculture is so important. That's what you promote specifically. But we talked about all these other things in agriculture. But why is organic so important? Absolutely. Thanks, Justin. And so we really value organic farming principles because it's really focusing on soil health, right? We not only want to provide the community with local food, but we want the food to be sustainably grown. And we really want to help... Um, 
conserve natural resources. So we want to help keep, like, you know, for water quality, for the kind of quality of the soil. Um, organic farming practices is going to really promote and preserve our natural resources. Um, and it's also going to be in a changing climate, the more sustainable option for growing food in our community. So it's going to be a healthier soil is easier to kind of withstand those kind of drastic swings in temperature. Um, it can absorb more water if there's a heavy rain, can hold on to more water if there's a drought. And so it's really kind of first focusing on healthy soil, which you can achieve with organic farming practices. And that's going to be healthier food for you and for your community. Health of the land is connected directly to the health of our bodies. That This is what sustainability is all about, is understanding those connections, right? And the, our fertility comes from the soil's fertility and all that. And people are coming to Bluegrass Veg Fest today and for a lot of different reasons, but certainly concern about the health of them and their environment is one, and organic has to be part of that solution, right? I agree. I mean, you said it best. It's a part of the solution because it, you have it's the it's the it's the um, the three pillars of sustainability, right? It's the economics of sustainability. It's um, the environmental part of sustainability, and it's the natural resources, like the environment. So um, you have to have all of it, right? And so, and of course, there's vendors here. I'm not going to disparage them, but there's all kinds of highly processed foods in the vegan market today, which. If you eat too much of it, it's tough to be healthy, right? So I love that oat connects us directly to like raw farm produce that's good for you and good for the land. Yes, thank you so much for being one of our biggest supporters. We appreciate you. Um, check out oat, check out the Bluegrass Veg Fest. Come on down. It's happening until 6 o'clock. 6 o'clock today. You could check out the booth. What can people learn when they come up to your booth? So they can sign up for our newsletter. They can grab recipe cards on how to prepare some of those local seasonal vegetables. And they can grab some more information about the directory. They can learn about those farmer field days. Yep. Yep. And they can learn about your annual conference too, right? Absolutely. Yeah. So, and that is happening. We set the date. It's um, the last weekend of January in Frankfurt at Kentucky State. So check out all the things. Oak-ky.org. Thank you so much, Katie Harvey from the Organic Association of Kentucky. So great to connect with you again. Oh, thank you, Justin. Appreciate it. You're a radio pro, I can tell you. <laughs> We're broadcasting live from Bluegrass Veg Fest here at the Melwood Art Center. Wow, what a day. There are so many people coming out to support plant-based diets, to check out some of the delicious treats, whether it's elixir kombucha brewing it up on the West End at Chef's Space, or Sister Fatima's vegan cheesecakes out of L.A. Uh, but there is also a little bit of artistry going on here, not just culinary artistry, uh, but some actual like what you would think of as art and you know another form of art is beautiful soaps uh i'm standing here at uh conf wow at a soap dispenser they make local soaps it's called lavender lane soaps and uh, i don't know that people would necessarily understand uh the connection between veganism or plant-based diets right that's what people are thinking about uh and soap what is that connection well of course there's glycerin in a lot of traditional soap and that can be an animal byproduct but these are vegan soaps uh, made with olive oil coconut oil water fragrances and some skin safe colorants 
Uh, there's confetti soap, lemon tart soap, coconut lime soap. That is a beautiful product. Lavender spa soap. These are the kinds of delights you can pick up here at uh, Bluegrass Veg Fest. Uh, these vendors are busy. It is hard to get a word in edgewise with some of these folks because they have so many customers and so many beautiful products. Uh, you won't want to miss Bluegrass Veg Fest. You know, now I'm standing at a vendor called Sewn by Jen with some really cool, <laughs> these are so adorable, uh, produce plush toys. Uh, there's a banana partially peeled, happily smiling. There's an avocado whose belly button appears to be an avocado pit. There's even an avocado toast plush toy. <laughs> These are super cute. So you can get the full size plush toy or a keychain version from Sewn by Jen, where playing with your food is encouraged. And Jen is actively sewing right now. <laughs> There's this cute plush toast guy who's popping out of a toaster. Uh, cute things for sale here at Bluegrass Veg Fest. You know, coming up in a minute, we're going to have our next speaker for the day. And I definitely want to go check that out and share that with our listeners as we live broadcast here from Bluegrass Veg Fest. We're here to encourage you all to come on out to Bluegrass Veg Fest, sample the deliciousness, savor the goodness, uh, and enjoy some of the treats that you can get right here in your region that are plant-based. We got Vigrits in the house, along with Chimera Brewing. They're co-located on Barrett Avenue, serving up some delicious beverages and food for you as well. There's a bunch of food trucks outside. The rain is finally let up. And you can check out some of those food trucks that are all serving plant-based treats today. Uh, yeah, it's good stuff. So coming up at 1.30 here at the Bluegrass Veg Fest, we're going to hear from Gene Bauer, B-A-U-R, president of Farm Sanctuary, on vegan for animals, people, and the planet. It's all free today. There is a $5 suggested donation that will help uh, some animal sanctuaries and other animal organizations in town uh, but you don't have to chip in anything there's no pressure at all on the suggested donation in fact I, I don't even see the tip jar but it's around here somewhere but most people are just sauntering in grabbing some free samples and getting going with bluegrass veg fest you know a lot of people are here for health reasons uh, and so there's several vendors who are just promoting health like Barefit Adventure Training right here in Louisville, Kentucky. Uh, they have some really fun ways for you to get in shape. And you can enter to win. Uh, I'm going to have to find out what you can... Hey, can you tell me what you can enter to win here at the Bluegrass Veg Fest? Yes, we are giving away six months of free small group training and a lifestyle change coaching program. That's it's all, all the lifestyle change coaching is plant-based, so we're giving that away. No, wait, six months? That's like serious amount of time. 
Yeah, so it's Barefoot Adventure Training, and we're giving that away today. So we're excited to be here. Tell me about what Barefoot is for people who don't know. So Barefoot is a personal training and lifestyle change coaching facility down in Germantown area. And so we do plant-based lifestyle changes as well as uh, mobility and body awareness-based personal training. What's your name? My name is Rob. Hey, Rob. I'm Justin from Forward Radio. We're live on air telling people about what's going on at the Bluegrass Veg Fest. And did you have a personal story about plant-based training yourself? Yeah, so I went vegan in 2008. I watched a documentary called Earthlings, which at that point I just emptied out my refrigerator and <laughs> it all over. saw what happened to animals. Yeah, and then for years after that, I was eating kind of more junk food vegan because I didn't really understand it. And then over the years, I discovered whole food plant-based nutrition, which not only is good for the animals and the environment, but it's also good for us. And so we started a facility that taught that stuff as well as um, natural movement fitness. So that was kind of how I got into it. And we've been doing this for seven years and uh, down in the Germantown neighborhood. Yeah. Now, there's like bodybuilder folks who are vegan these days, right? Like this myth of like, oh, you can't get enough protein as a vegan like that. That's really falling away, isn't it? Yes, it is. And again, the fitness industry for so long has repeated the narrative that you have to eat, you know, your body weight and protein every day and all this. But the study, the studies actually indicate that the average American gets about 70 grams of protein per day, which is more than enough unless you're a competitive athlete. And uh, what we really are low in is fiber. Uh, most Americans are way, way undernourished with fiber. So we need to focus more on that than protein, because if you if you eat a well-rounded uh diet each day of plant-based foods, you get plenty of protein and the distribution of macronutrients is perfect. So that's a big thing that we kind of help people break that belief that you're, you know, that you don't have enough protein in your diet. So so what kind of proteins do you eat that are plant-based? Really, you can get protein from almost any source, but beans and whole grains, even broccoli has a sufficient amount of protein in it. If you want to supplement, there's plenty of plant-based protein powders um, all around. I mean, you can find it at Kroger or any place nowadays. So yeah, there's lots of options. It's gotten easier to be vegan, hasn't it? So you started in 2008, right? You've seen the change? Absolutely. When I first started, there was a couple of companies that made plant-based meats and other things like that. And now, I mean, if anybody that comes out here can see there's a, a million options. You can have cheesecake. You can have queso dip. You can have uh, taco crunch wraps. I mean, there's there's in all the years, there's basically been nothing that I found that I wanted to eat that was from an animal source that can't be made well vegan and made delicious and healthier. So, but it's definitely got easier with the advent of all of the different um, options at the grocery store for sure. And I think something like these meat substitutes or, or a vegan cheesecake will really help lower the bar for people who think that I don't know, going plant-based might mean suffering or giving something up, right? Absolutely. I, I gained weight when I went <laughs> vegan, so you, you can definitely find all sorts of stuff. You know, technically Oreos are vegan, so there's, you know, so lots of things that people really, unfortunately, that, that don't understand what plant-based nutrition is, they, they tend to think it's just eating salads for every meal or whatever, and while obviously salads are really healthy if you make them right, there's tons of other options of anything you can do and it really just becomes about discovering recipes and you know looking on places like YouTube and maybe reaching out to people like us that do this kind of coaching to help people and that sort of thing and uh, but once you once you realize it, it it becomes easier as you go along so people can come to Bluegrass Veg Fest enter to win maybe a six-month coaching with you all yes. and then you help them with what to eat and how to eat it and how to stay fit at the same time? Absolutely. We teach a full lifestyle medicine course and do accountability coaching every day. And then they train at our facility a, a few times a week. And we also do online training where if somebody can't come to the gym, we can do everything online. 
And where can people find you online? Uh, they can go to barefitlife.com and they can uh, get information there. And they can also find us on Instagram at barefit.life or Facebook at barefitlife. Well, facebook.com backslash barefitlife. So just type in barefit in Google and you'll find us. And that's B-A-R-E. Yeah, B-A-R-E-F-I-T. Thank you so much for taking the time. Good luck today with Bluegrass Veg Fest. You can learn about how to stay fit as a vegan here at the Bluegrass Veg Fest going on here at the Melwood Arts Center in the shadow, in the smell shadow of Butchertown. Actually, it smells just fine in here today, but you never know. Um, we're pretty excited about what's coming up today. The lines are starting to get long, so, you know, get here quick. Uh, <laughs> there's a ramen place, Renshoku Vegan Ramen, uh, with quote unquote, fire quote-unquote chicken, uh, umami, chili crunch. Uh, they've got T-shirts available. This is all spices for how to make your own delicious vegan ramen at home. There are coffee and treats available here today from Flora Kitchenette. I mentioned them already over on Barrett Avenue. You can get their biscuits and gravy, you all. It is good stuff, good vegan biscuits and gravy available here at the Bluegrass Veg Fest and, of course, at their restaurant over on Barrett Avenue across from V Grits. Uh, they also have vegan pastries available and chicken, uh, chickpea tuna sandwich, quote-unquote tuna, right? All these great substitutes for traditional tuna sandwiches. You can get one made with chickpeas. It's even more delicious, I would say. They also have vegan chili and chips available from Flora Kitchenette, one of our awesome black-owned businesses on Barrett Avenue, serving up the goodies. And again, way too busy to talk to me. Uh, they are serving it up here at Bluegrass Veg Fest. We've also got the all-vegan Julian's Kitchen, uh, and you can learn about them at Julia's Kitchen KY on Instagram. Looks like this is where you get those vegan donuts. Yeah, oh man, those are flying out the door. Excuse me, pardon me, excuse me. Yeah, the crowds are huge here at Bluegrass Veg Fest. Uh, so many vendors, so much to learn about. Uh, Smash Bowl, as we mentioned earlier, is also here. Let's check out the PA. Um, we have a sweet little kiddo that has lost his Oh parents. no, oh no, we have lost kids. There's so many people here. <laughs> And you can uh, check out our Ford Radio booth as well. Uh, learn how to become a programmer with us at Forward Radio. Uh, learn how you can spread the love of whatever you love, whether it's plant-based diets or anything else. Forward Radio is your community station here for you to share what's going on in our community. Uh, there is a booth across from us called Vegan Outreach. Ten weeks to vegan. You can sign up now for free at their booth uh, doing vegan outreach. They've got some great uh, pamphlets about why vegan. Uh, fighting climate change with diet change. And compassionate choices. You could pick up a bumper sticker as well. Hey, I'm Justin Mogg from Forward Radio. Tell us about who you are. What's your name? Oh, my name's Yuri. I'm here with uh, Vegan Outreach today. 
What's vegan outreach? I've never heard of that. Oh, so we're, we're a smaller nonprofit. We've been around about 30 years. The main thing we do is uh, sharing free resources for anybody that's looking to switch uh, their lifestyle, get eat more plants, go vegan. So like we give free help to anybody that's like interested in that. And like, these days it's like a lot of people are looking into it. So we've been busy today. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I bet, yeah. There's so many people here. It's fantastic. Right, totally. So what's the key to 10 weeks? Why 10 weeks? So 10 we, we this is a unique approach that we came up with. It's instead of like the typical do it for 30 days, you know, like a lot of folks do it for Lent, for instance, you know, it's like a totally immersive. This is kind of like a more how-to instructional way to approach it. It's 10 weeks each week. It's only one animal that we show folks how to make it vegan, how to switch it to vegan. So one, um, you know, one of the foods that we're used to each week, through the 10 weeks, you go through everything that you're used to eating. So yeah, it's unique that way. And if people are finding it really like helpful to approach it, you know, in that kind of a way, they, so it's really different like that. I like it a lot. So do you start with like the biggest carbon impact, like how to replace beef? You got it. You got it. Yeah, you nailed it, right? <laughs> um, so like definitely, I mean, that's what I like about the program. It's not only shows you how to, but it shows you like the, the benefit of your choices, you know, too. Like what's what you're impacting by like, you know, making these changes. So it isn't stuff we just do, are doing for ourselves. It's really changing the future, you know, for like climate and everything like that. So like that's what I love about the resources we do. It also shows you those those important things to know. Yeah, people are coming to Bluegrass Veg Fest today for all kinds of reasons, right? What are some of those that you're hearing from the people you've talked to? Um, well, mostly today it's a lot of folks that, you know, health, you know, like there's a lot of folks here that are like my age, 50s, you know, or older and already feeling that impact of like what we've been taught is like healthy to eat, which, you know, is like we're learning now slowly. <laughs> it's not really the case, you know, um, it definitely growing up i mean i i like love mcdonald's i used to go to outback for my birthday every time i was 30. Yeah. you know i thought it was all well and good before i really started looking into it so a lot of people are there here for that but then a lot of the younger folks you see here too they're like really like what you got we we're talking about a second ago that environmental aspect because they're, they're you know i think they're the ones that are going to feel it more you know we're like directly yeah. so that's what you see that another motivation but then like i've also like talked to a few people here been vegetarian since they were like six seven eight years old and like a lot of them is like for for the animals you know yeah. so there's there's definitely different things that people find uh important about it you know it's great it's great to hear all that yeah. like i love nobody has the same story so that's it's right. it's right. what's cool about events like this so i was an environmental studies major in college for three years i was learning about like all the environmental impacts of the meat industry Somehow that didn't move me to stop eating meat myself. It yeah. took until my senior year in college when I finally read something written by a fellow Quaker. I'm a Quaker, right? And they were, you know, Quaker's are pacifists, right? Yeah. So they were yeah. just writing about like, if I had to choose to kill every animal I was eating, I probably wouldn't eat that way. And I was yeah. like, holy cow, you're right. <laughs> yeah, a similar conversation earlier today that somebody that was a hunter and he had uh, chickens that he like he he decided if like he was going to eat meat he had to do it himself yes. but he still that's still like that practice of it and like you know he still wasn't comfortable with it so he's still working on it and like cutting down you know but it, i think that's an important thing but it's cool what you said about a quaker too i don't know if you know this one of the very first vegetarians in this country's history mr benjamin lay was a, a vegan like back in like benjamin franklin's day 
you know, it like that. His his story with learning about that like a year or two ago was one of the most inspiring things I learned about his character and yeah. like what he would do uh, for abolition slavery back in the day too. That was so cool to learn about. Yeah. So I really appreciate that. Well, sure. I wonder if you would share your personal story about becoming vegan. Well, that's a long yeah. So I mean. No, no, it's, it's always hard to sort of break down because it yeah. came on me in a few different directions. It wasn't kind of a linear thing. I, um, I've always been environmentalist. 20 years ago, I was very active with Greenpeace, Rainforest Action Network, doing um, uh, corporate pressure campaigns, things like those, those organizations are working to change, you know. So I was very aware of all these things. And, you know, but one thing I was kind of, sort of dawning at me at the time was that, like, you know, if I'm, like, pressuring these companies for something like that, I don't like that they're doing what other companies are out there that maybe I'm not comfortable with that are like I shouldn't be supporting also. And so, you know, it was kind of like that, that just curiosity set me off into like, you know, researching more and learning more about it and in factory farming. And, you know, once you learn about that, then that's, that's where you really like, it puts a fire under you, right? So it took me about a year from that point to, to go from zero to vegan, but like yeah. working in like all the new foods, like you can see here today, like the amazing things that you can do in vegan style now that, that made it so I could, you know, give up the outback and like, <laughs> and, uh, and, and, make, and make it all the way. So yeah, that, it, there was a few other, I mean, I definitely like it was a justice issue, you know, yeah. things like that. And like, it's just never comfortable with the, the knowledge, you know, after like learning enough about it. So, yeah, I mean, it, it took me a little bit to get off the couch, but I got there, <laughs> you know. Well, thank you for sharing your story with us here on Forward Radio. This is Definitely. awesome. It's good talking to you. You're here till 6? I am. That's I am. awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Check out the vegan outreach table right across from Forward Radio's here on the back end of the Bluegrass Veg Fest we'll exhibit space, and they'll help <laughs> you out. Good luck to you. Thank you so much. Ten weeks to go in vegan. Uh, you know, I want to step out of the vendor hall and go check out our speaker that's coming up here at 1:30, gene bar uh, to get there i'm gonna walk through the outdoor patio folks are still concerned about covid of course you can stay outside at the bluegrass veg fest it has stopped raining but even if it starts again we've got some great covered seating for people who are sampling some of the free samples, some of the things they're purchasing, whether it's the vegan cheesecakes or the Vigrits biscuits and gravy from Flora Kitchenette, or one of the many delicious food trucks that are available serving up plant-based treats of all kinds to you today here at the Melwood Art Center. Started at 11 a.m., running all the way through 6 p.m., absolutely free. The Bluegrass Veg Fest is in its third year, but had quite a hiatus because of COVID. So we're so excited that things have let up a little bit, that more people are vaccinated, and we're able to get together in person again for festivals like this. And Forward Radio is so excited to be live broadcasting today from one of the coolest festivals happening this summer, Bluegrass Veg Fest, with speakers cooking demos missed the bar three class that was at 11 a.m today but this is all about personal health planetary health and the many many reasons to go vegan hey friends <laughs> i am live broadcasting here on forward radio thank you so much <laughs> these are some usual suspects vegetarians huh <laughs> 
You guys have been doing it a while, haven't you? Long time. No, that's long, we're long. Dead. We were trying to stay alive. Yeah, that's why we're 69 and still fabulous. Everything, the, everything you put in your body that's not good for you aggregates. That's right. That's right. That's true. That's true. There is a talk coming up called Vegans Are Not Filling Our Hospitals, right? Oh, gosh, yeah. I'm anxious to see that. I'm anxious to listen to that. Right, right. right. Yeah, I was on my way to check this one out that's coming up right now at 1.30 with Gene Barr on Vegan for Animals, People, and the Planet. I mean, they're all good. They are all really good. We saw the first lady. She was excellent. She yeah, was Dawn very, just did that great good. cooking demo. Yes. Those Krabby she Cakes were delicious, good. huh? Good stuff. Yes, yeah. So people can come on out. It's free today. Bluegrass Veg Fest. It's a great And the rain has let up, so this is awesome. I'm going to go in and check out the speaker. Good to run into you all. This is awesome. So many friends here at the Bluegrass Veg Fest for you to learn about how and why to reduce your meat consumption in so many delicious ways. We're going to step into the speaker's hall now and try and hear from Gene Bauer on vegan for animals, people, and the planet. Looks like they're working on some tech issues with the presentation, but I'll tell you, pretty much every seat in the house is filled there's got to be 50 people in this room it's amazing we are live broadcasting to you from bluegrass veg fest here on forward radio with me justin mog oh i love this part of the room it's like the side chapel (laughs) and again there are over 50 vendors over in the vendor hall but then some talks and cooking demos taking place all day through 6 p.m. today. And we are going to hear from the co-founder and president of Farm Sanctuary. Uh, He's been hailed as the conscience of the food movement by Time magazine. He was a pioneer in undercover investigations and instrumental in passing the first U.S. laws to ban inhumane factory farming practices. Since 1986, Gene Barr has traveled extensively campaigning to raise awareness about the abuses of animal agriculture and our disturbingly cheap food system, which of course, when you don't pay the full cost of things, somebody else is paying, whether it's human or animal. Gene has published two bestsellers, One's called Farm Sanctuary, Changing Hearts and Minds About Animals and Food. And that came out from Simon & Schuster back in 2008. His more recent book is called Living the Farm Sanctuary Life. Came out in 2015 from Rodale. And Rodale is a fantastic organization promoting sustainable agriculture. And he co-authored that book from 2015, Living the Farm Sanctuary Life, with the author of Forks Over Knives, Gene Stone. And Forks Over Knives, of course, is uh, one of the books that got this movement really kick-started in recent years, documenting the incredible health impacts of switching to a plant-based diet. And you may have seen the film version of that book, the documentary Forks Over Knives. Well, you can hear from now, Gene Bauer co-authored his most recent book, with the author of Forks Over Knives, another Gene, Gene Stone. And I'm walking in the back. We do have a few more chairs, about eight more chairs. 
Trying to fill up the room here. There are so many people coming out for this talk here at the Bluegrass Veg Fest. If you want to see the full schedule for the fest, you can go to bluegrassvegfest.com. To introduce this speaker, um, he has participated in undercover investigations. He's visited hundreds of farms, stockyards, slaughterhouses, has rescued countless farmed animals. Um, he is really important, as you all know, to the vegan movement. Um, I had the pleasure of spending my 30th birthday at Farm Sanctuary. So please give a huge round of applause and welcome the co-founder and president of Farm Sanctuary, Gene Bauer. Wow, well, well, thank you very much, and uh, it is amazing to be here. As we arrived, uh, there was traffic backed up to come to this veg fest, and that was such a heartwarming thing to see. Um, you know, I've been vegan since 1985, and back then, there were not veg fests. <laughs> back then, there was not plant-based milk in grocery stores. We used to take, like, soy powder and mix it with water, to, uh, to get soy milk. So we have come an awful long way. And you know, one of the things that, that I'm so grateful to is the, the, how many different kinds of people come to this for so many different reasons. And I'll, I'll talk more about that. But you know, I've been a vegan a long time. Many people here are probably vegan too, and that's great. And I would also say, for those of you who are not vegan and are curious, thank you very much for being here. I think it's really important as vegans to be very welcoming and accepting and open to, you know, folks that are on various different paths. You know, all of us take different paths to get to wherever we get. You know, so some folks might become vegan, some folks might not become vegan. But I think the key is to be thoughtful, to be mindful, and, and one of the things I, I generally advocate for is for folks to make decisions and to live in a way that is aligned with our own values and our own interests. And, and so often in the case of animal agriculture and eating animal products, we grow up eating animal foods thinking this is how it's supposed to be. You know, I grew up eating animal foods um, without really thinking about it because everybody around me was eating animal foods. So as time went, I learned and then, then went vegan but, and then became a vegan activist. And, have been doing this now since, well, when Vegan in 85 co-founded Farm Sanctuary in 1986, uh, we felt that it was important to see firsthand what was happening at factory farms. I didn't just want to read a book, and there weren't that many out there at the time anyway, but I felt it was important to see firsthand what was going on. And our sort of simple thinking was that if we go in and we document these conditions and people see how brutal and cruel it is, they're going to go vegan. So that was our simple thinking, right? Go in there, show people, and everybody go vegan. Obviously, it's a heck of a lot more complicated than that. But as we started visiting these farms, we found living animals literally in trash cans or living animals dumped on piles of dead animals, and we started rescuing them. And that's how Farm Sanctuary started as a sanctuary. But we actually started as an investigative organization sort of investigative journalists, in a sense, to show what is happening. 
And I think both are still important. It's very positive to see animals who are rescued and you know, watching animals come out of these violent places where they have known only fear. And you know, when you go into these places, you can sense it. You can sense the stress that the animals experience, that the people experience. And you contrast visiting a factory farm or a slaughterhouse with visiting, visiting a sanctuary and the difference is palpable. So, so what I dream about is creating a world that is a sanctuary instead of the world that we so often live in, which is kind of like a slaughterhouse. And, and I'm talking about animals being slaughtered, but human animals also suffer a lot. And there's enormous unnecessary violence in this world. And uh, you know, the sanctuaries are one way to remedy some of that violence, to create a model of living, uh, with other animals as friends, not food, but it's part of a much bigger system of oppression and violence that uh, is very complicated. And uh, I'll talk more about you know various threads of connections um, and potential opportunities. But I think for now, if the video's ready, we will show it. This so I talk to everybody on every end of the spectrum. And uh, you know, in last year of the Daily Show with John Stewart, I was lucky to be on that program. And then uh, a couple of years ago, I was on a very different program with a host with a very different perspective. And thankfully, John Stewart was very sympathetic, and so was this fellow, amazingly. <laughs> Thank you. 
necessarily suffering on the animals. Well, it was true, actually. Yeah, so, so you can't direct them. But instead of giving that meat entirely, why not push these big factory farms to knock it off? Yes, well, I think that's important as well. We do support campaigns to limit the suffering on factory farms. And so we can involve with legislative efforts to get animals more space, for example, so they're not confined so tightly they can't even turn around. Um, so we do that as well as work to encourage people to recognize we can live well eating plants instead of animals. So, okay, but you say, and that's the other question I have, that I actually don't understand it. So I love cheese. I love meat too, but I really love cheese. I'm not giving up raw, period, or cheddar, period. Why is that harming animals to eat dairy? I don't understand that. Well, in order for a cow to produce milk, she has to have a baby. And the babies are taken away at birth. And in some cases, they're raised to become veal. Because a male cat born on a dairy farm, they're useless. So they are actually raised to become veal cows. And so dairy cows have it pretty rough. And then when they're no longer profitable on the dairy, they're sent to slaughter. And usually until they're about three or four years old. Okay, but I mean, that's a separate, veal is a separate question. I mean, you couldn't humanely milk a cow. It doesn't sound abuse to milk a cow. But also, it's an emphasis thing. So China has an entire festival dedicated to murdering dogs, which is, I mean, I think a reason to institute sanctions against China, at very least. But no one ever says anything about it because they'll ask another Tyson chicken. Nothing shouldn't ask the Tyson, but let's start with the Chinese, no? No, well, I agree that what happens to dogs in China is horrible. Uh, but, you know, China, but Chinese coming out on this Smithfield, a huge pork industry yeah. property. So, um, you know, I think kindness is important across the world, across the world. And um, in the U.S., we have a lot of work to do, but I agree we also need to be working on uh, other countries and encouraging the humane policies that be enacted there, too. So, let me just end with this question, because I think it opens up a, 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 an interesting topic. You're saying that we shouldn't be cruel to animals, and I agree with you completely, and I, and I hope other conservatives will pause and think about it, because I think a lot of them would agree. They've been trained in some ways to defend Tyson. We shouldn't defend Tyson. But that's different from saying we have no moral right to eat animals. I mean, most people believe that we have dominion over the animals. Yeah. And so if you were starving on a mountain somewhere, and a goat was all you had, would you kill the goat and eat it, or would you starve? Absolutely. That's a good fundamental question to think through. Right now, you know, we have plenty of food, and it's not really an issue we need to worry about. But if it were, you know, I think most people would try to survive. We really have a desire to survive. Uh, in some cases, you know, if you kill and eat the goat, then you don't have no more meat. But if you have that goat as a companion, you enjoy life. Uh, yeah, it, no, but those are practical questions. <laughs> show a lot of folks said why are you doing that you know you're never going to agree and I thought well what do I have to lose really you know and so I was you know very grateful for the way it turned out um, and uh, afterwards he was being interviewed by another Fox News guy 
and talked about how after that interview, he had uh, a salad for dinner, Tucker Carlson did, uh, which I thought was pretty cool. Um, but, you know, for me, you know, a lot of times in our country today, there are enormous, um, there's strife, and oftentimes it's based on personalities and people, and, and, and it's understandable, I think. You know, but for me, I really try to look at principles, right? So, and, and you know, when we look at farmers and we look at people who are engaged in behaviors that are harmful, um, you know, as a longtime vegan activist, you know, we used to be, and, and many of us still are, uh, very critical of the people for doing what they're doing. Uh, and I think it's healthier to be critical of the practices instead of the people. You know, and so one of the adages I think about is to love the sinner, hate the sin. Um, you know, all of us as human beings are imperfect. We grow up sometimes with habits and beliefs that are harmful. And as time goes and as we learn, we can do better. And so for me, it's not about labeling and marginalizing and saying those folks don't matter, whoever they may be. It's about trying to find common ground and build from there. And there are certain things that I think most people, wherever they are on the political spectrum or whatever their life experience is, would generally tend to agree. Um, most people would rather not cause unnecessary harm and suffering to other animals. You know, this is why so often when we raise the issue of factory farming, people say, don't tell me, I don't want to know. It's too upsetting. It is upsetting. And that's because people have empathy. People are upset when they see others who are injured and harmed and treated with cruelty. I mean, that is part of humanity is we see something bad to somebody else, we have some feeling about it. Now, what can happen also though, and I've seen this in slaughterhouses, is that when somebody is engaged in violence and cruelty day after day, over and over, there can be a tendency to um, lose that empathy. And there even can sometimes be a tendency to uh, become sadistic. And, and I, I don't know why, but sometimes perhaps this is because people want to make the point that what they're doing is okay and these animals who are suffering don't matter at all. Like these are victims of violence, victims of abuse, and, and uh, people who are engaged in this violence and this abuse, you know, do have a conscience somewhere. Uh, and by treating them even more cruelly, it's almost like making the point that they don't matter and therefore whatever they're doing is okay. But, but I truly believe that most people would rather not be killing other animals. Most people would rather see a cow running in the field, kicking up their legs, instead of a calf chained in a crate in a veal farm. I think most people, you know, just we're human animals, right? And we interact with each other. We also live on this planet with other animals. And the question is, what kind of relationships will we have? Will we have relationships based on exploitation and extraction? Uh, where we abuse our power to confine and, and fac factory farm and then slaughter other animals? Or will we try to live differently? Will we try to live in a way where we don't have to say, don't tell me, I don't want to know? Um, or where we don't delude ourselves? And, 
you know, there's been more awareness now about factory farming, which I think is very good. A lot of people now say they don't want to support factory farming, which is very good. But what is happening is now there are products being marketed to sound better than they are, like grass-fed beef, right, or free range, or all of these labels. And I would say that in, many in, in some cases, the conditions those animals experience are less bad, but they're still pretty bad. And those labels are, and, and the organic label as well, by the way, are largely marketing terms more than descriptive terms. So just, and, and, and I encourage people to buy organic, and, and if they're eating animal products, I encourage them to support you know, farms that are not factory farms. But just to be mindful that these are marketing labels that allow the farmers and the producers to jack up the price, right? So this is business. And, um, and again, it's probably less bad, but it's maybe not as less bad as we would like to think. Uh, and so that's just one thing I would say too about the growing awareness and the responses on the part of industry to what is happening. And even more sort of cynically, uh, the industry is using certain popular concerns about the climate crisis, for example, to get millions of dollars of government money to mitigate the climate crisis. And one of the things, for example, that now factory farms are doing is marketing biogas. This, and, and the reason they are doing this is because there's factory farms where you have animals confined by the thousands in cages and crates they produce enormous amounts of waste, enormous amounts of manure that is then stored in manure lagoons, which are basically big cesspools, you know, with millions of gallons of liquid waste. Now these, you know, are emitting toxic gases into the air. They're being sprayed in neighborhoods on neighbors' land and property. Um, and so what the, and, and the industry has actually gotten government conservation money, like, you know, supposedly to protect the environment, to manage their manure lagoons. And again, this is something the industry is creating. Frankly, they should be responsible for it. But now what they're doing is saying, we're gonna create biogas. And be, again, these lagoons are emitting all these noxious gases. They're gonna now capture those gases and turn them into green energy, is sort of this marketing push. And they're gonna get millions of dollars from the government to do it. The best way to protect the climate is not to create these manure lagoons in the first place. Like 90% of the greenhouse gases of that system happen before the manure lagoon. Now, industry's talking about how green they are by capturing this noxious gas at the end of the process and turning it into, you know, green energy. Um, so, and they're getting government money to do this. So this is an example of sort of the marketing that occurs around the factory farming industry and something just to be mindful of, uh, think critically about, and think holistically about. Because, you know, if you do capture some greenhouse gases from that particular location, maybe that's better than not, but it's still part of a much bigger harmful system. And the other problem, in my view, with 
capturing greenhouse gases and investing millions of dollars in a system to capture these greenhouse gases from manure lagoons, you're now incentivizing manure lagoons. So now you're going to have more of them that are going to be now something we become dependent on for energy, right? So this is a massive um, inefficient system. So in the United States, 10 times more land is used for animal agriculture versus plant-based agriculture. You know, when you drive through the Midwest and you see these massive fields of corn and soy, that's not to make tofu or corn chips. That's to make, that's to feed farm animals. And these animals then are confined in factory farms. We could feed far more people with far less land and fewer resources by plant-based agriculture. And instead of like the petrochemical fertilizers and you know, the growing the crops, which also contributes to greenhouse gases, we could let some of that land go wild and then naturally sequester carbon. Um, we could be growing plant foods on much less land to feed ourselves and more. The problem though is that again, we have government programs that have incentivized overproduction. And so you have the corn lobby, you know, the, the, the uh, you know, early election things happened in Iowa for a reason. Um, you have enormous control and power that the industry has. Uh, the current USDA secretary, Tom Vilsack, used to be the governor of Iowa. They used to call him Mr. Monsanto. Um, he was the USDA secretary under Obama. And then uh, after Obama was out of office, he left to work for the Dairy Export Council for four years pushing dairy exports around the world. And then when Biden was elected, he came back in as the USDA secretary again. So there's this revolving door between government and industry uh, and people in government who want a good job in the industry, treat them nicely and they get placed in these positions. And, and so this is this revolving door that occurs. Um, but it's a system of overproduction. So in Iowa, they're producing a lot of corn and you have federal crop subsidies. So basically, people planting corn are guaranteed an income instead of the fair market figuring this out. And if we can't use enough corn to feed animals, let's turn it into ethanol, another uh, sort of green program. And, and ethanol maybe is less bad than oil, I'm not sure, but now we have a dependency on ethanol. Uh, so, so we're growing corn. Um, and then all, all these crops are raised to feed farm animals. And then we have, again, overproduction of meat, so now we're exporting it. Uh, there's been a large overproduction of dairy products also being exported, which is, again, why Vilsack worked for the Dairy Export Council, because we can't consume it all here. And then we're producing too much milk. So if we can't export it, what do we do? We turn it into powder, we store it, we're spending millions of dollars in storage facilities for this stuff. And then cheese. So there has been a reduction in the consumption of liquid milk. So the industry is now pushing cheese because you can take 10 pounds of milk and it becomes one pound of cheese, right? So this is another way where you have this massive production, this excessive production that also then leads to promoting excessive consumption and if we're not going to consume the milk, they're going to turn it into cheese. And if we're not going to eat it, we're going to export it. So anyway, there's, it's this massively wasteful system. And it's commodity crops, and it's mass production, and small farms are suffering.
And um, one of the ways that the dairy industry, you know, and I just sort of described how, you know, they get a lot of government money for feed crops. Uh, the government also buys up excess dairy products that they can't sell on the market. They use it for public programs or for exports. Um, but so this industry is exploiting government money and programs to profit fewer smaller farms over time or fewer bigger farms over time, the smaller farms are going out of business. And a lot of us have probably heard about dairy farms, how they're struggling, how they're suffering anxiety, uh, suicidal, all these kinds of things of the small dairy farms who are struggling. The big dairy farms use those stories to get more government money that goes to the big farms. So they're not only taking over their land you know, when they buy up these small farms that are struggling. They buy their cows that the small farm can no longer, you know, make a profit from. They're appropriating their identities of suffering farmers. And the same thing happens in the poultry industry, you know, where you have Tyson or, you know, some of these large conglomerate integrators, they're called. Um, they will say their chickens are raised by family farms. And that's technically correct. But these are contract growers who sign a contract with Tyson and they end up like on a treadmill. So you have these industries that are exploiting animals, exploiting the earth, exploiting workers, and exploiting small farmers and marketing it in such a way that most people in our country say, I feel bad for the farmer. And I think we should feel bad for the farmer. Farmers do suffer, farmers do work hard. We should feel bad for the workers at these places. But I think we need to call out the banks, the financiers, the investors, the insurance companies, uh, the pharmaceutical companies, all these massive businesses that are profiting from this extractive, exploitive, violent, and abusive system. Um, but the people who work in it oftentimes don't feel like they have agency, don't feel like they have alternatives. So people end up going into this because it's what they know. And so what I think we need to do is create new opportunities, new alternatives for farmers uh, to make a living, make a decent living, but at a fair wage, growing food without exploiting animals, without exploiting the earth, without despoiling the soil. I mean, we're, we have soil erosion. We have, again, petrochemical fertilizer dependency now. Um, and so, you know, one of the efforts that we're currently involved in is a bill that we worked with Senator Brisport in New York State to have introduced. Um, it's pretty progressive. It's, we'll see how it goes, but there's a program in New York State um, called, uh, it's Farmland Conservation Program, where every year they spend $30 million, just, just the state of New York. This isn't even, you know, every state has their different farming programs, but farmland preservation. And that money has gone to consolidating the dairy industry. It's gone to big dairy farms, large grants. And small farms have continued going out of business despite this farmland preservation uh, program. So what this bill would do is it would shift those $30 million. So instead of going to large industrial dairies and industrial consolidation, it would go to support small farms, diversified farms, plant-based farms, community-oriented farms, which is, in my view, 
an exciting opportunity. This is actually called the Farmer Opportunity Bill. So farmers are hardworking people, but so often they have been divided, um, or, or we have been divided from farmers, you know, animal advocates and vegans. But we and farmers can actually agree on many things. Now, there are some things we will probably not agree on, and that's okay. But we can agree that we need a more just, sustainable system, more transparency, and that public funds should support public interests instead of public funds supporting the interests of factory farm manure lagoons or industrial commodity corn producers or petrochemical salespeople or banks who, again, are guaranteed a return on their investment. Right? That's why the financial institutions are so much part of this. Um, so anyway, it's, it's agribusiness is what it is, and it operates in a way without transparency, and it also operates in a way where it is misleading consumers uh, because it depends on consumers to buy their products. And this is where you know, each of us comes in, uh, is to try to make mindful choices as much as possible about what we eat, um, to, to stop supporting the worst of the worst. And, um, and there's more vegan food available now than ever, which is really good. Uh, including even at fast food restaurants like Burger King. And I say this kind of in a halting way because, you know, do we even really want fast food businesses at the end of the day, right? So the idealist in me says, no, we don't. But the pragmatist in me says, having a veggie burger at Burger King is a darn good thing. And it's going to be much more accessible to many more people. And so... I try to be, again, keep the ideals in mind while also keeping the pragmatic steps we can take in mind. Um, so, so there's more vegan food available now than ever. And I think it's good for consumers to support those products and also to support um, vegan businesses. So if there's like a vegan restaurant, for instance, support that. Uh, it's amazing that there are so many vendors here at this VegFest. I would encourage you to support those folks, too, because if people are here, it means they care something about this cause. And a lot of this has to do with building community and, and supporting uh, businesses and other community members who are acting in a way that is supporting our common interests and our common objectives and goals. So I would encourage people to support those kinds of businesses as much as possible. And then also to get involved in the political process. Um, one reason agribusiness is so influential is because they show up. They show up. And one of the things I'm trying to do as much as possible is to encourage small farmers to start applying for government grants for plant-based agriculture. You know, one of the reasons factory farms get so much money is because they've been, you know, farming the government is how they call it. They've been doing this for decades. So, so part of this is uh, changing the market ecosystem. So as consumers, we play a role with the dollars we spend. But farmers, um, you know, by being organized and speaking out against the worst abuses of factory farming and asking for public programs to support public interests can play a very important role. So, so for me, that's been a very exciting recent development at Farm Sanctuary in the work we're doing on advocacy. You know, we continue rescuing animals from abuse and being able to tell their stories and share how cows, pigs, chickens, turkeys 
are not that different than our cats and dogs. They are social animals, they have physical needs, and they have social needs. And you know, one of the stories I like to tell about that particular object, subject is, um, you know, I used to do a lot of undercover investigations. I went into tons of factory farms, stockyards, slaughterhouses. Again, we wanted to document what was happening and show people. Um, and we would find animals left for dead. So I was at this one stockyard in upstate New York, and it was a, a, an auction that sold a lot of dairy cows and calves. Because for a cow to have milk, she has to have a baby. You know, cows are mammals like humans and other mammals. Cows also have a nine-month gestation period. Um, and so to give milk, they have to have a baby. So they're constantly impregnated. Uh, and when they give birth, the baby is taken away. If the calf is a female, she's raised to become a milking cow. If the calf is a male, he's useless to the dairy industry. So that's actually why the veal industry was created, to use all of these unwanted, this plentiful supply of unwanted male calves off of dairies. So that's how the veal industry started. Uh, you know, but so these male calves taken away from their mothers, they used to be chained by the neck in crates. The veal industry is shifting, and, and the crated veal is less common now. Uh, but these and so these male calves are now starting to be used for, for beef. You go to these feedlots, now you see the, the dairy breeds. But anyway, I go to the stockyard, and it's an, a male calf who was born on the dairy that morning, sent to the stockyard. And I use stockyard and auction interchangeably, by the way. Stockyard is a, it's a big facility with holding pins and alleyways and an auction ring where the animals are sold. So I'm walking through these alleyways, and I see this calf laying in an alley in a crumpled heap, uh, looked dead. His eyes were sunken in. He was comatose, basically. And I asked the stockyard worker, what's going on with this calf? And he just said, matter of fact, I got to bury him later today. And I said, well, what if I take him off your hands? And so I said, sure, go ahead. And you know, I was kind of doing him a favor, right? Because he now didn't have to worry about burying this dead body. So I brought the calf to a veterinarian. Uh, and veterinarians who work with the industry are also very sympathetic to agribusiness and also have kind of lost some empathy. They see the animals as commodities, not as living, feeling creatures. So this veterinarian said, well, what are you wasting your time for? It makes no economic sense. And I said, well, to me, it's not about economics. This is an individual I want to do what I can to help. And she agreed finally to give him intravenous fluids uh, to treat him. So I brought him back to the sanctuary. She said, he's got less than a 5% chance of survival. I said, I still want to try. So I brought him back to the sanctuary. And as the intravenous fluid started in dripping into him, you could see the, the, uh, the light coming back into his eyes. Uh, he was able then to lift his head. Uh, after a couple days, he was able to stand. He started suckling from a bottle. And I was really happy. He's coming around. He's going to make it. But he wasn't thriving. He wasn't happy. And I was wondering, what's going on here? And I figured, he's got to be with his people. I brought him out to the cow barn. And the, the, put him in a pen. The cows gathered around him and started mooing to him. And he started mooing back. And he came alive. Right? So farm animals like cats and dogs like, and like us, they're social animals that need to be in a healthy social ecosystem. So 
there's the physical needs, and then there's the emotional needs. And so Opie was his name. He lived with us for like 20 years. He ended up weighing 3,000 pounds and having a good long life. So anyway, that's an example of the kind of transformations that happened at a sanctuary. And you know what? That was good for Opie, and it was good for us, right? To see this happen, it gives you hope, right? And we all just want to live and enjoy life. Right, And we want to live in a world that's not causing unnecessary harm. And that's where our food choices have profound impacts every day. And it's important to think about them because they are consequential for other animals, also for our own health. I mean, it's been estimated that we could save 70% on health care costs in this country by shifting to a whole foods plant-based diet. 70%. That's huge. Now, of course, that means less profits for the pharmaceutical companies, right. which is a good thing. Uh, but, but in addition to heart medication for humans, the pharmaceutical industry also profits from factory farming. In fact, the majority of antibiotics sold in the US are fed to farm animals in factory farms to keep them alive and growing in those brutal conditions. So this is another, again, part of the ecosystem. And, and I'm not saying that there are, you know, uh, there's a conspiracy and the pharmaceutical people are trying to figure out how to do this. But when you're making a lot of money, it's easy to not notice things. You know, there's that old Upton Sinclair quote, something like, uh, it, for somebody, it's hard for somebody to see something when their job depends on them not seeing it, right? And so I'm not saying that, again, these are, uh, you know, inherently mean people wanting to profit off of illness, um, but, you know, when you make money, it's easy to ignore it. And there's this whole Sackler family thing, too, you've possibly heard about with the uh, opioids. So, so I, I, again, I don't, I, I don't want to judge anybody, but uh, there's a lot of kind of extraction and cruelty and, and profit that comes from suffering. And, and when that's the case, there's a tendency not to really want to pay attention to the suffering. So uh, anyway, so but in terms of our own health and well-being, eating plants instead of animals can prevent enormous, uh, enormous uh, suffering of humans and save enormous dollars. Uh, and then also, as I described earlier, it's just a lot more efficient to eat plants instead of animals. And then I think we're coming to about 2.12 now, so I'm gonna leave some time open for questions and answers, but there's, there's one other sort of story I like to, to talk about, uh, just regarding how sometimes vegans are perceived and how our cause is sort of growing in understanding, but there's still a lot, a long way to go. And how many people come to this for different reasons. You know, I came to this because I just didn't want to support violence and cruelty and abuse, right? So I came to it really from an ethical perspective. Some people come to it from a health perspective where they actually need to eat a certain way, otherwise they're gonna have serious health problems. And I was speaking at a, an event in New Jersey, a friend of mine who's a medical doctor and a farmer, works with patients who've had serious uh, dietary challenges and by eating whole foods, plant-based, they've you know, done very well. And so I had just come from another event in New York City and I was bringing these pastries. <laughs> and, and you know, I'm this vegan animal rights guy walking into this vegan health group with these pastries and I was like, you know, I was like, that's gonna make them sick, right? So I was just clueless of this. Um, so different people have different perspectives and, and, and come to it from different reasons and it's important as much as possible to learn and be empathetic and understand. 
But so when, when the story is that, you know, when we first started Farm Sanctuary, we're rescuing animals who had been left for dead, were worth zero economically, and if anything, were an economic liability. You know, like that dairy veterinarian I mentioned saying, why are you wasting your time with Opie? And so we would bring in goats that were in really bad shape, and the veterinarians would ask us, why are you doing this? It makes no sense. And, you know, but we were persistent, and, and we paid our bills, and the veterinarians over time came to recognize, okay, we're decent clients, and we care about the animals. We're a little bit out there from their perspective, but, but they pay the bills, so okay, we'll take care of these animals. Uh, and then, so over time, they started recognizing we saw goats and chickens and other farm animals as our friends, not our food. Uh, and on the farm, there was, uh, you know, sometimes on farms, you, there's rats that come around. And so there's this one rat that would oftentimes show up around feeding time, and so we kind of became familiar with him. And one day, this rat looked pretty sick, so we called the vet, right? So we're pushing the limbits here a little bit, okay? A rat, okay, does a rat matter? Why would we do anything about the rat, right? So again, we're pushing this limit, right? So uh, they agreed to look at the rat, and the rat was in bad shape, and they euthanized the rat. A couple weeks later, um, our sheep had parasites. They had worms. So I called the vet, and I said, I have this worm here. And there was a really long silence on the other end. Uh, what do you want us to do for the worm, right? <laughs> so I had to explain that the worm was a parasite and the sheep needed medicine, basically. So, you know, so again, we, we live on this earth with other creatures. And, you know, in the human body, by the way, you know, we have all kinds of microbes, our microbiome. The majority of DNA in each of our bodies is not human DNA, by the way. So we are part of, we are an ecosystem. Our gut is an ecosystem, the community is an ecosystem, cities are, the earth is an ecosystem. Um, so my hope is that we can start trying to live with other creatures in more mutually beneficial ways instead of in extractive, exploitive ways. So to me, that's kind of the big principle I try to apply to different situations. Uh, and so when it comes to farmers, we want to have mutually beneficial relationships, find common ground, and build from there, where farmers can grow healthy food without destroying the earth and make a decent living, where consumers can eat healthy food at a decent price that is accessible, that is nourishing, and doesn't make us sick, and doesn't destroy the planet. So these, to me, seem to be pretty simple places of common ground. Uh, but it's addressing a system of extraction, exploitation, and then a marketing machine that you know misleads and and mischaracterizes and and then so people become disempowered thinking well everything causes cancer right this type of thing you know but the science is clear that a whole food plant-based diet makes a lot of sense uh you know but then again the industry is going to create their own studies to try to confuse us uh, so that's just something to be mindful of but if you look at the empirical data it's pretty clear that we can live well without eating animal products without supporting this abusive system. And every step we can take in that direction, even if not going completely vegan, going vegan once a week, or you know, every step is a positive step. And what I have found is it's focusing on the positive and taking heart from the positive helps build more steps. Instead of saying, oh, I couldn't do this and I couldn't do that. 
Yes, there are things that we're not going to be able to change overnight, but take heart from the little things you can do, and those often lead to more steps down the road. So I guess I'll just close with that and open it up to anything anybody wants to talk about. So thank you all very much. Thank you, everybody. And yeah, I'd love any questions people have. Yeah. Where is your farm Where is our farm sanctuary? We have two locations we currently operate, one in Watkins Glen, New York, one in Acton, California, just outside of Los Angeles. And I believe there are sanctuaries around here in all over the country, too, that are not technically under farm sanctuary, but they're also probably more accessible if you wanted to visit. But love for people to come visit the sanctuary. We have overnight accommodations also at our New York farm. Have we ever partnered with journalism groups? Not formally, but you know, when we have done undercover things, oftentimes we work with reporters who are interested. So we have done that. I, I think The Guardian is doing some really good work right now, partnering with, with colleagues of ours. Uh, I think we have a lot of opportunity to do more there. Uh, we've been doing a fair bit lately with getting op-eds published. We just had one in the Washington Post about something called ventilation shutdown. I don't know if anybody's heard about this. I, I won't go into details. It's, it's just, yeah, well, chickens and pigs. So during the pandemic, there were food supply chain disruptions. And there were millions of animals who had to be killed because they got too big for the slaughter system. And they were killed. And this also, by the way, has happened recently because of an avian influenza outbreak. It's an avian flu on poultry farms. Like 40 million chickens have died recently. But, but pigs also. And ventilation shutdown is what they take. You know, these animals are by the thousands in these huge warehouses. They shut down the vents and they turn up the heat. And they... Yeah, I mean, and that's acceptable, supposedly. So that is, we just had a piece in the Washington Post on that. And it's, you know, this is how bad it has gotten, right? These are animals that are not profitable. So that's how they kill them. Sorry about that. It's, it is what it, it, you know. Is there anybody else back there? Yeah. I've always wondered why there isn't um, a, a series on, say, PBS at least once a week that has strictly to do with animal welfare on, in, in all areas, whether it's um, uh, sled dogs in Alaska or um, the seal uh, feedings in Canada or um, your yeah. yeah, why is there not like a regular series on, you know, PBS or somewhere else to address these issues? I think it would really be good, you know, I think one of the challenges we face in our media ecosystem is it's about profit and bringing eyeballs to advertisers and these kinds of issues are, you know, turn off a lot of viewers, you know what I mean? They're uncomfortable and that's, I think, the short answer. I mean, but we do have, you know, social media now, we have communities, we have books, we have literature, you know, there's tweeting, you know, there's ways to communicate now beyond like a regular you know, program on television. Uh, but, you know, we are talking about things here that are uncomfortable. 
And, and that is something that, you know, I was on Larry King Live back in the early 1990s, and I debated a meat industry guy there, and Larry King said, we're going to have you guys back. He never had us back. I'm, and, and the other thing is the industry does a lot of advertising on these channels. So there's, there's various forces at play uh, in this ecosystem that make it tough. And that's why I think it's so important for us as animal rights people, as vegans, uh, to be aligning with health-oriented folks, environmentally oriented folks, social justice oriented folks, all of these things fit within the framework of mutuality. And we're all concerned about oppression and extraction and exploitation. Uh, and uh, so we need to build, build power ultimately in order to take on this massive machine we're up against. And it happens at the grassroots level, it happens through organizing, uh, and it happens through media. And there are some good things happening there now, uh, and we did get this op-ed in the Washington Post, but it's like once it'll run and then McDonald's doesn't keep advertising. So you need to keep pounding it and pounding it and pounding it. You know, like with the tobacco industry, same thing, right? You need to keep pounding it. And then maybe there will be some breakthrough litigation at some point, which is what happened with the tobacco industry, in conjunction with community awareness and, and media. So it, it's, it's, a, it's an ecosystem. And a, a show is one part and you know, we've done initiatives too where we work to get a measure on the ballot for a popular vote. And we've organized and been able to raise like $10 million for a media campaign, which for us is great. The dairy industry will spend like 200 million on one advertising campaign. So, you know, we're up against a massive machine and uh, you know, we just need to chug away wherever we can. Yeah, well, that's again part of the ecosystem. So he's referring to Proposition 12 in California, which was a ballot initiative where citizens collected signatures to put a measure on the ballot to ban confining of animals in cages and crates where they can't even turn around. So this would prohibit the use of battery cages for egg-laying hens, gestation crates for breeding pigs, and veal crates for calves. It would make those illegal in California and require that any animal products, you know, pork, eggs, or veal sold in California adhere to those standards. So what has happened now is the pork producers and attorneys general in like 19 states sued the state of California, saying that they wanted to sell their stuff in California, even if it came from factory farms. And this has been going on for years. Most lower courts ruled in favor of California, saying the California law is fine. The Supreme Court recently took this up and it's going to be hearing it in October uh, at the behest of industry. And what is my take? I don't like it, man. I wish that it wasn't there. I, you know, again, this was a lot of work to get the thing on the ballot, to organize, to get people to vote yes on Prop 12. And now, this, and, and then after years of legal battles and us winning over and over, it's in the Supreme Court. I don't know how it's going to turn out, but I wish they didn't take it. I wish it's so we we I, I it's very hard for me to know how it's going to go, but it's it's a concern for sure. But that speaks to the power of this industry, right? And it speaks to the ecosystem. There's the executive branch, legislative branch, judicial branch, which they're all political in different ways. So yeah, any other yeah.
Well, eating honey uh, is something that does require taking honey from the bees, right? And they've produced it for their own purposes. So it's an extractive concept. But I will also say that uh, when we talk about extraction, uh, you know, bees are also used for pollinating, you know? So this is, this is a bigger ecosystem of uh, exploitation of bees for honey and for pollinating. So again, getting to a system where you have an ecosystem of bees near the almond trees in California instead of truckloads of bees coming to California during pollination season, which is what happens. Um, but uh, I don't need honey, but it's, it's one of those areas that's not as sort of uh, clear to some vegans as like eating animals who've been factory farmed and killed, you know, because the bee thing is a little bit more complex in that broader ecosystem. Oh, yeah. Okay, well, for the plant one, there's a couple of pretty simple comebacks, okay? So if, if you... I mean, you can go with the utilitarian argument. Like, if you really care about plants, the best way to help them is to eat them directly because if you're eating animals, you're killing 10 times more, right? Because you got to, you know, eating animals, all these plants are being raised to feed the animals. So that's pretty simple. And then also just from a biological standpoint, you know, it's clear that animals suffer, you know, and whether plants do or not is, is a matter of debate, right? I, some people would say they do, some people would say they don't, but it's clear that animals do suffer, and that is something we can do, you know, whereas we do need to eat something. I mean, there is this group I've heard of, I've never met a living one yet, they're called breatharians. <laughs> they live on the air. Okay, no, I've never, again, met a living one, <clears throat> but, but, <clears throat> but, <laughs> But the argument is that, you know, they don't have to kill plants even. They can live with, and, and there are some fruitarians that will like eat plants off of trees without killing the whole plant. These are all different areas of interest for some people, uh, but they're fairly small groups, niche markets, right? And so if we look at the big picture, eating more plants and less animals makes sense for, I think, most everybody. The honey thing is a little bit more a unique and different people have different perspectives and you know do plants have feelings again these are in some cases distractions from the clear obvious issues so i think to the extent we can get on the obvious issues it's good you know to, to say yeah well well if you need to eat honey go ahead but how about this right because the honey thing is again can distract from a much more relevant issue in the back there yeah <laughs> oh my god, yeah. Right? Oh my gosh. Broccoli. I mean, beans, of course, are a great source, you know. <laughs> Tofu. And, and you know, the average American gets too much protein, right? That's another thing. So again, it goes into this excess. How do you get enough something? I think we need to reframe it. What about getting too much of something, right? So we're just, we have this deficiency mindset. Right? Where do you get this? You need that. We get too much of these things. In animal agriculture, again, all the feed crops and the excess production of the milk to go into cheese, these are all excesses, right? So I think that's a big framing, a reframing 
and I think, you know, we had the depression here in the 1930s. You know, we sort of grow up in a ecosystem, a cultural ecosystem of where am I going to get enough? Uh, and, and I think maybe if we can reframe it to abundance saying, we have everything we need on this earth. And if we just live in a more thoughtful way, we can live without killing others. You know, there's that live simply so others can simply live, right? You know, but we're sort of encouraged to, you know, you know, to be greedy, frankly, to, to, you know, have a bigger house and have a bigger this and a more of that. So again, this is just a big reframing of how do we live on this planet? We can't keep taking, you know, we keep taking and we're seeing the results of it. Um, and so we just need to pay attention, ultimately make choices that are aligned with our values. So we don't say, don't tell me, I don't want to know and aligned with our interests. So we're supporting a food system and living in a way that's not causing our own ill health, physically or emotionally, and not causing the destruction of the planet, right? And animal agriculture contributes more to the climate crisis than the entire transportation industry. So, you know, there's, all the data is there. All the data is there. Uh, and so we can cite that, we need to cite that, but human beings really, I think, are emotional animals. So as vegan activists, it's important not to scare people away too much or turn people off or to be too judgmental and make people feel bad, which is tough because this is hard stuff to talk about without people feeling bad. But we need to try to begin be empathetic and recognize that good people are involved in doing bad things and believe that most people would rather not do bad things. And I think for me, that's been the perspective that, is, that, that works. And, and assuming people do want to do, you know, not cause harm and want to be healthy and not destroy the planet, you know? I think most people are in that boat, right? So, so I think just going from the common ground and building. Yeah. Um, so I grew up on a beef cattle ranch in Montana where every cow literally had at least five acres of land. So I wasn't even going to the factory farming because I grew up on the so my question is, I guess, and I've been meeting for six years now, so I'm like in one extreme to the other, but why is it a criminal offense to exploit these? I know you have to go undercover with hidden cameras and there's possible jail time yes. for exploiting these. Like, why? Like, if we wouldn't have Yeah. Well, I think you're talking about the ag-gag laws. Yes, yes, yes. Well, first, thank you for being here. So glad that you came. And by the way, your story coming from that background to where you are now is a very positive story to tell, right? Because it shows that people, you know, we all come from, I'll say, yeah, I grew up in Hollywood, California. As a kid, I did McDonald's commercials. Okay, so we all, we, we, we learn as we go, right? So, but in terms of these ag-gag laws you're referring to, why is it a criminal offense to go in and document what is happening? Because they don't want people seeing what's happening. And because they're very powerful in state legislatures, and they've enacted these ag-gag laws, which make it illegal to do undercover investigations and make it illegal to have public conversations about this. And, and this has been going on since 19, the early 1990s. Uh, I don't know if you remember when Howard Lyman, ex-beef farmer, now vegan activist, was, he wrote a book called Mad Cowboy, was on the Oprah Winfrey show. Yeah, that's right. Fourth generation cattle rancher from Montana. Talked about how we were feeding live dead cows to live cows. And Oprah said, that just stopped me from eating another burger. So the cattle industry sued him, sued her and him in Texas. So she had to film her thing in Texas. And that's where she met uh, that doctor that... Prager. 
Dr. Phil, right, because he does like jury selection stuff. So that's where he, she met Dr. Phil. But anyway, that was, um, so it's been going on a long time. This chilling effect, this desire to put people talking, uh, and that's why I think transparency as a principle is very important. What do they have to right? So, and I think the fact that they're passing the Zangang laws shows they have a lot to hide. And it's because it does not align with societal values. That's what they're hiding. And so, and before that, there's the Animal Enterprise Protection Act that passed in the 1990s. So yeah, this, this is a very entrenched industry with a lot of power to label activists in a certain way and to try to denigrate and marginalize the issues we're trying to raise. And that's why it's hard to get on TV sometimes. So um, anyway, it's, so this is a cultural issue, you know, and each of us plays a role in normalizing and humanizing, in a sense, this, this way of being. Uh, so uh, anyway, I think our time is pretty close to up here. But so thank you all so much. Really grateful to be here. Great to see so many people. You're listening to a special live broadcast here on Forward Radio from the Bluegrass Veg Fest here at the Melwood Arts Center, 1860 Melwood Avenue. It's going all day today, Saturday, July 9th through 6 p.m. I encourage you to come on out and hear from great speakers like you just heard from Gene Barr, B-A-U-R, speaking on vegan for animals, people, and the planet. He is co-founder and president of Farm Sanctuary, and Gene has been hailed as the conscious of the food movement by Time Magazine, who's a pioneer in undercover investigations. And Gene was instrumental in passing the first U.S. laws to ban inhumane factory farming practices. Since 1986, he has traveled extensively, campaigning to raise awareness about the abuses of animal agriculture and our excessively cheap food system. Gene's published two best-selling books. You want to check those out. One from 2008, Shimon and Schuster, Farm Sanctuary, Changing Hearts and Minds About Animals and Food, and his more recent book co-authored with Forks Over Knives author Gene Stone. It's called Living the Farm Sanctuary Life. It's out of Rodale Press in 2015. Gene was just one of the first, actually the first speaker of the day after we had a a Bar 3 class here at 11 a.m., all free, by the way, at VegFest, Bluegrass VegFest here in the Melwood Arts Center. And earlier we heard from Dawn Hilton Williams making Krabby Cakes during a cooking demo and tasting. Those were so delicious. And coming up next at 2.45, we're going to hear from John Lewis on Vegans Aren't Filling Up Hospitals. He's also known as Badass Vegan, a filmmaker and prominent wellness advocate promoting compassion. His soon-to-be-released documentary called They're Trying to Kill Us explores the connection between veganism, food justice, and hip-hop culture. John has appeared in multiple TV shows and fitness magazines such as Muscle and Fitness and Men's Fitness as well as Maxim and Sports Illustrated. You won't want to miss him live here at the Bluegrass Veg Fest coming up at 245 here. Across the way from where most of the events are happening, we've got uh, a, a 
an area with 50 vendors and uh, Ford Radio's there as well. You can come talk to some of our programmers. Uh, apologies to those who are expecting to hear from K.A. Owens and On the Edge right now. We're interrupting our normally scheduled broadcast. But K.A. is here in person at the Bluegrass Veg Fest. So you can come on out to our booth and speak with him directly, uh, as well as some other programmers. We talked to Patty Payette uh, earlier and one of our newer programmers, Renette Bazell trying to do a kids show uh she's a puppeteer and a nanny and i can't wait to hear her new program we also have uh, amy from perks of being a book lover it's going to be here and you don't want to miss mike logston too uh his show kentucky and a showcase is so great he's such a wealth of knowledge about local musicians and he'll be here at our booth from two to four today and we'll also have Tori Strange, one of the two Angry Buds, will be here from 3 to 5. You can meet them all in person at our Ford Radio booth and taste some of the many delights that are available here at the Bluegrass Veg Fest. Again, you can learn more about the event and see the full lineup of speakers at bluegrassvegfest.com. Dot com. It's going on through 6 p.m. here at the Melwood Arts Center at 1860 Melwood Avenue. This is Louisville's Vegan Food Festival, showcasing over 50 regional businesses and products. Not just a cornucopia of delicious plant-based food, it also features craft beer and summer cocktails. Nationally renowned speakers like you just heard arts and crafts there's a kids corner too with all kinds of kids activities and much more you can also enjoy a saturday exploring the beautiful melwood art center so many of the galleries and different little shops here are open you can check out regional restaurants the fabulous food trucks that are lined up and the rain has finally let up a little bit out there and it's not too hot or sunny that's for sure so it's a great day to get out and enjoy some of the food trucks the beverages and expert chefs demonstrating how to prepare delicious vegan dishes there's all kinds of samples again this entire event is free if you want to make a donation there's a five dollar suggested donation and all of those funds raised will go to local animal charities speakers will be taking the stage here through 6 p.m today after John Lewis coming up at 2.45, you can hear at 4 o'clock from Miss Tony Akamoto on how to eat plant-based on a budget. This will be a fireside chat with the man you just heard from, Gene Barr, moderating the conversation. Tony Akamoto is a best-selling author and founder of Plant-Based on a Budget, the popular website and meal plan that shows you how to save money by eating vegan. She's been profiled by NBC News, Parade Magazine, and she's a regular presence on local and national morning shows across the country. That's at 4 o'clock. And then at 5, we can hear from Dr. Milton Mills on the many benefits of a plant-based diet. Dr. Mills is a physician and veteran speaker who was the featured physician in Netflix's hit documentary, What the Health? He practices urgent care medicine in the D.C. area and has served as associate director of preventative medicine there. He's currently a member of the National Advisory Board for the Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine. And Dr. Mills' talks are renowned for being accessible, 
highly informative, laced with humor and thought-provoking ideas. So come on out to the Melwood Arts Center for that talk at 5 o'clock. Or if you're not interested in the talks, you know, they're all here live on Ford Radio. You can listen to them anywhere you are. And we're going to be podcasting this entire live broadcast program as well. So if you miss anything, if you're too busy talking to the vendors, you can, of course... Uh, listen to the podcast version a little later on and catch up on everything you missed. Uh, there is so much going on over in the exhibitor hall right now. Uh, I'd love to wander back over there, maybe bust through the crowds here a little bit and uh, talk to some of the many vendors who are out uh, at Bluegrass Veg Fest and sharing the love of what they do. You know, it's not just the vegan cheesecake maker or the local kombucha maker who we interviewed earlier but uh, lots of groups that are doing work to connect it to veganism they're either helping folks go vegan we heard from bear fit earlier they're here they're a local group that helps uh, train in plant-based diets and fitness Uh, and then there's groups that are here promoting the environmental benefits of a plant-based diet uh, as well as the personal health one there's planetary health reasons as well to reduce your plant your meat consumption and switch over to more plant-based alternatives so you can learn about that here at the bluegrass veg fest taking place through 6 p.m today the melwood arts center don't miss it come on out it's a great experience and it's all free today so heading outside to check out some of these food trucks that are out here if you're worried about the pandemic you can come to bluegrass veg fest and never set foot inside although man there's some great stuff inside so bring your mask <laughs> go on out uh get your booster shot and uh, check out some of the great great vendors and speakers that are here or hey the real pandemic safe way is just to stay listening stay tuned in wherever you are at home or on your bicycle wherever you may be listening to us at 106.5 fm we're broadcasting here on wfmp louisville and forwardradio.org i'm going to saunter through the food truck area the lines are pretty long even though the Oh, man, the drizzle has started up just a little bit. It's, it's not too bad at all. But people are lined up for, as Patty Payette mentioned earlier, the Green District salads. they got a vegan Thai salad. Uh, they got spicy fruit salad and a KLO there salad available. And we also have Cosmic Bird Far Out Foe. That looks really delicious. Uh, let's check out some of the other vegan food trucks available here and we are coming to you live from the bluegrass veg fest here at the melwood art center there's a juice bar there's plant-based junk food of course everybody loves that and uh lots of goodies to enjoy uh man bring an umbrella (laughs) you want to stand in the lines for the food trucks or there are free samples inside there are food vendors inside as well uh Grits is here offering delicious summer cocktails and other treats uh, 
I'm going to step back into the vendor hall now, which again is still packed with people. There are hundreds and hundreds of people here at the Bluegrass Veg Fest, the Millwood Art Center. People passing by our forward radio booth. So great to see some of my friends here at the booth. Uh, Michael Logsdon is here promoting the good word. How you doing, Michael? I'm doing just fine. How are you today? Have you tried any of the vegan treats yet? I have not. <laughs> That's okay. It's hard. The lines are really long out there. I, I, I can't believe how many people are here. This is fantastic. I, I'm not good at estimating crowds. Are you? we got hundreds of people here. Easily, because if you go out to the parking lot, I have not seen this many vehicles yeah. in the parking lots out here in two or three months. And it, that's pretty great. But I, w- I would estimate there's at least four to 500 people here really? because you got uh, outdoor vendors and booths and you have an eating area out there. And on top of that, a lot of the people are going across the street right here to the main buildings of Melwood Arts Center. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's, I was just came from the speakers. We're going to share some more of them with you in a minute here on our special live broadcast. And we have Amy here, too, from Perks of Being a Book Lover. How are you doing, Amy? I'm good. And Carmichael's is at the front there selling books about vegan topics. I'm so glad you made that connection. I, I saw them briefly out of the corner of my eye. I was like, ooh, yeah, there's books here, too. Have you been doing any summer reading about food? Have I been doing any summer reading about food? Uh... No, but I will, starting tonight. Are you getting hungry for it? Yes, I'm getting hungry. There's a smash bowl I think I might get on my way out, actually. Yeah. Yeah, Patty Payette tried the smash bowl earlier. Uh, I guess they're putting, like, chia seeds in there and delicious things with different fruits. You can get all kinds of different treats. Uh, And, boy, there's so many people here ready to help you go plant-based in so many different ways. It's pretty cool. Uh, And, of course, we're here to help you learn how to access your airwaves on Forward Radio. Uh, If you've never thought about doing a program, whether it's a one-time access hour or maybe you want to do a regular weekly program, you can do it all here on Forward Radio. That's why we're here is to give access to the airwaves, to perspectives that might not get a voice on the mainstream media as Gene Barr just told you during his lecture the reason you don't hear about things like abuse of farm animals right uh, or plant-based alternatives that are just as healthy the reason you don't hear that is because the mainstream media is completely uh, sold out right to the highest bidder uh, it's all about profit and not about people not about animals and we're here to change that at forward radio we want people and the planet to have a voice like it wouldn't have if we were just trying to make a buck right that's not what this is about none of us on the station make any money for what we're doing we're just doing this out of the goodness of our hearts we're all volunteers and because of that we're able to make this community resource available to the community for very little money it's all funded by you the listeners We are listener-supported radio, and it only costs $20 a day to keep this station running because of all that volunteer power. You can learn about that, how we do what we do, and how you can get involved at our booth right here at the Bluegrass Veg Fest, the Melwood Arts Center, going until 6 p.m. today. 
You can come meet Amy from Perks of Being a Book Lover and Michael Logsdon from Kentucky Anna Showcase and pick up a brochure or a uh, broadcast schedule. Uh, bumper stickers are available free to give a little tip jar if you want to help sustain us and keep us on the air. Uh, you can chip in a few bucks at our tip jar here at our Ford Radio booth, which is right across the way, as I said, from the 10 Weeks to Vegan vegan outreach booth we interviewed them earlier uh so cool how they're here to help you reduce your meat consumption one step at a time they've got a 10-week plan to help reduce your usual animal flesh consumption hey and dairy too right uh and they start with the item that has the biggest carbon footprint your beef consumption your red meat consumption help you replace those and then step by step week by week take you through a process of replacing the other things in your diet that come from animals whether it's that pork whether it's that fish whether it's that chicken turkey all those things you're maybe used to eating have a great vegan alternatives available now Uh, some of them are you know vegan junk food like we've got a food truck out in front of the Melwood Art Center offering that vegan junk food. We got V-Grits here offering up those kinds of things. But you don't necessarily need to eat that way if you want to eat more healthy and less processed whole foods. There's folks here who can help you understand exactly how to do that. Uh, You just heard the bark of a dog. Dogs are discouraged here at the Bluegrass Veg Fest because there's so many people and so much food around. But this guy brought his dog to the festival. Uh, people are bringing their childrens to the festival for sure. We got lots of families strolling through. I see a stroller passing in front of me right now. People of all ages are interested in learning how to reduce their meat consumption and live in a way that is better for them, better for the environment, and certainly better for the animals. That's what it's all about here at the Bluegrass Veg Fest. It's all free and open to the public. Happening now, we are broadcasting live from the Bluegrass Veg Fest here at the Melwood Arts Center. My name is Justin Mogg. Happy to be live broadcasting to you and speaking to some of the many vendors that are here helping people understand how to reduce their meat consumption. So I think I'm going to stroll around a little more and maybe we'll get to talk to some of these vendors i tell you the crowds are out of control here so there's a lot of people and it it can be hard to get a word in edgewise with some of these busy busy booths but we're gonna see what we can do here on forward radio work our magic you know people like a microphone and sticking it in their face well we are broadcasting live today interrupting our normal broadcast schedule and apologies to those who were hoping to hear uh on the edge with ka owens right now of course you can catch that show three other times during the week on our broadcast schedule 106.5 fm and forwardradio.org or you can get ka's show in the podcast form just go to forwardradio.org all of our programs are podcasted there and available for download or listening whenever is convenient for you uh one of the booths that's right next to ours here at ford radio is no kill louisville and they don't look super busy so i'd love to talk to them a little bit if i could hey can you guys tell me about no kill louisville 
Yeah, absolutely. No Kill Louisville, we are a nonprofit and we help animals that may need some extra medical needs, uh, some special needs as well. We also have the longest running pet food bank here in Louisville. A pet food bank? No way. Absolutely. We are running for 10 years and going strong. We haul about a thousand pounds of pet food in one weekend alone. A thousand pounds a weekend? Yep, and we serve nearly 100 families here in Louisville. Well, the whole uh, the whole thought behind it is to keep that pet in their loving home instead of having to be surrendered to a shelter. Oh, right, because if people are really struggling to put food on their own table, exactly. they might not be able to afford food for their pet. And instead of having to relinquish that pet, you guys help keep them in their loving home. That is so cool. How long has this operation been around? I think we've been running for um, 13 to 15 years now, going strong. And how could the public, our listeners, how can they access these free resources? We do have a Facebook page. Um, That is our main hub right now. We have a sign-up genius. And we also have been transitioning a bit to Discord so that we can stay in contact with people. Um, We also have tons of animals available for adoption right now. And uh, we are always in need of more volunteers and more fosters. Uh, We do get bottle babies because some shelters, whenever they receive bottle babies, they're too much of a need and they will put them to sleep. They just don't have the staff to do that really intimate work with a pet. Exactly. And that's where some of us will step in and bottle those babies and nurse them back to health so they can find their loving home. Wow, that's really cool. Now, does the Pet Food Bank have a physical location where people can go? Um, We are only open on that weekends where we have pet food. We don't really have an open door. Um, We we don't have a shelter either. We're foster-based. Oh, it's all foster-based. So people just need to go online to sort of sign up if they want to be a foster person or if they need any of that assistance with pet food. Yes, we do have a website. I believe it's uh, nokilllouisville.com. Nokulululul.com. And you also are, you've got some things at your booth here today. Oh, it's (laughs) nokill-louisville.org. We got, and on Facebook, you can find them at NKL Rescue. Uh, And I see pet toys here available. You're raising some funds for the organization, I see. Oh, yeah, yeah. We have some pet toys available, kit and dog. And we also have tie-dye here this is made by our volunteers by hand love sweat and love in it (laughs) or blood sweat and love in it so you're a volunteer with no kill louisville yes uh, my name is olivia plath and i am the volunteer director for no kill louisville so good to meet you i'm justin mogg from forward radio we're booth neighbors right over there broadcasting to you live here from the Bluegrass Veg Fest, is this the first time you've ever been to this event? Yes, yes it has. It's pretty amazing. There are so many people here. (laughs) Yeah, it's actually funny that you approached me. I actually spent uh, four years in high school doing radio TV. Did you really? Must have felt the vibe. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. right. We have a way of knowing, right? It's the radar. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Have you tasted anything here yet? Oh my gosh, let me tell you. Um, so I got up from my booth to go find food and I came back with a beer. So, <laughs> oops, beer is food, right? Uh, this morning it is <laughs> never too early to have some vegan beer here. Exactly, I always recommend vegrets. Oh my gosh, mm. yeah, there's a whole bunch of food trucks here. People are giving away some free samples. 
Uh, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me today. You're very welcome. Good luck with No Kill Louisville. You'll be here till 6? Yes, sir. All right. Come check out their booth at the Bluegrass Veg Fest Melwood Arts Center. Uh, as I said, I'm going to wander over to the next speaker today and we'll check out a little bit more of those great talks that are all free and open to the public. An opportunity for some Q&A. We're going to hear from, I believe it's called Badass Vegan, a filmmaker uh, here at the Bluegrass Veg Fest. Learn a little bit about what he's doing and why. I'm walking through some delicious smells right now. I'll tell you, I wish this was Smell O Radio because Bluegrass Veg Fest smells delicious today. And to tell you, the weather is not fantastic, but it ain't bad for July. Uh, you might want to come on out and just enjoy this opportunity. You know, it's not the best day to do other outdoor activities, but Bluegrass Veg Fest is a little mix of both. We've got outdoor food trucks. We've got indoor vendors and indoor speakers and cooking demos and some fitness stuff. There was the Bar 3 class earlier today. And now folks are heading on over with me to hear from our next speaker coming up. Just a minute here on your special live broadcast here on Forward Radio. It looks like it's already in progress. to see this. So this is the neighborhood I grew up in, right in Ferguson. A friend of mine was actually shot in his driveway, right there. You put drugs in the communities, put guns in the communities, you put disease in the communities, put poor food in the communities. All these things are designed to shorten your life expectancy. that this is what's in the hood and this is what's over there. There's actually an active hand in making sure that we living like this. It's all about control, money, and survival to them. Your death is not an expense to them, it's an expense to you. They're trying to make money from us, even if it's at the expense of killing us. You just die slow, your family just watches you die. The alcohol industry, fast food industries, tobacco industries target communities of color. Your health is not their main priority. They trying to keep you sick. We are in a state of emergency when it comes to our health. Keeping people sick is very lucrative. 
Now you want pills. Now you want dialysis. Now you want medicine. You go into the hospital on a regular to see your doctor. Everybody's getting paid except you. Big pharma and pharmaceutical companies are making billions of dollars off of all of us. As long as they can make that dollar, they don't care if you live or die. It's something about being here that's making black people sick. Everybody's getting paid, except you. You hurt it. There are more dangerous and harmful chemicals and products made for women of color. It absolutely is a crisis. They don't make a dime if you're healthy. It's kind of like the dope gang. It is the dope gang. It's just a bigger gangster. The mob boss. Look at the hidden hand. You see that government is feeding the crisis. The Fed grown knowledge sized all the wrong food. It's about money over people's health. If you can control a population's access to food, you can control the person. Only about 8% of African Americans even live in communities that have a grocery store in them. Because the deep root problem is the food. Because poor diets kill more brothers than pistols. You know, we fighting for our lives. That's like Michael Bick's pit bulls. As black men, we're dying off so quickly in so many ways. It's here, pocketed in our communities. They don't want a healthy population. That is injustice, plain and simple. The powers that be that are making that money. Money at the top. Are you trying to kill us? All right. Um, so I do open it up for questions while I'm talking. Just raise your name. I have no problem with it. Y'all not interrupting me. Um, just to let you all know, it took us five years to make this film. So if you ever wonder, like sometimes when you see stuff on TV or on the network or in the movies, you're like, man, they must have just came out with this yesterday. No. Uh, I, I, my son was born, he's four now. Like it's a whole bunch of things that happened during this whole process. But we had over 120 interviews, only 90 made it into the film. It was a lot of traveling, it was a lot of original uh, format was about an hour and 43 minutes. So we had to go back in because the networks wanted it to be at this certain rate. And now it's right about uh, 90 minutes. So uh, we've got everybody, as you can see, uh, you might see a familiar face in there over, over that guy on the steps. Um, and he was an integral part of making the film too. Uh, always been a good friend of his um, and we've always known each other. But as we sat down and interviewed him, it just, everything he was saying was going right along with what I was like thinking for the film. So you will see, if you're tired of his face, I'm sorry. You will see him all throughout that film. <laughs> but um, it was a great process and hopefully by the end of the year, we should be signing a deal. And if anybody has like an uncle or a cousin that works for Netflix, <laughs> just let us know. You know, that's cool too. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, with the success of What the Health, you would think that they'd bring it right on, but we actually had a network, I won't name the network just in case they still want us, but they actually told us, they were like, look, we, we, we fact checked everything, everything fact checks, our lawyers looked at it, it looks great, um, and you know, it would be an integral part of helping us heal the black community and we would love to bring this film in, but there's only one problem. And I'm like, well, what's the problem? You just gave it like all these kudos and they're like, yeah, um, it goes like directly at our main advertisers. And I'm like, 
you just said you wanted to help heal the black community, and but you can't put it on there because it'll hurt the advertisers and the bottom line in the pocket. So, and this is a major network too. And and Keegan and I are on the Zoom call together, and we just look at each other through the Zoom call like, are you serious? Like, wow. And and the, the fact that they actually like openly admitted it, like. Yeah, it's gonna mess with our money, so not gonna be able to do it. So, any questions at all right now? Somebody, go for it. So, fiscal, the financial barriers that everybody has, you know, especially when you look at, you know, when you talk about this in the, the trailer, the pharma companies that are at the top of this that dictate what food companies are doing, that dictate what people are receiving in their, in their communities. The challenge, I presume, is that a lot of the people that would pass the laws to require that fiscal transparency are also being paid by these companies. So what sort of grassroots efforts or, or any sort of community-based efforts are going on to kind of filter up to these people who are getting paid to try to put social pressure on them to make the right decision? Well, I would say that, that was a great question, by the way. If anybody couldn't hear her, she's asking about um, the pharmaceutical companies and how much pressure they put on the rest of the industry, really. Um, and what we found out, to, before I get to your, the actual answer, what we found out was that they're so tied together, whether it's the pharmaceutical company, the medical industry, the food companies, insurance companies, we found out that insurance companies have over uh, $1.9 billion invested in the fast food companies. Think about that. So they charge you more for your premium when you get sick so they're double dipping and they're making money. So when you go get the fast food, they're making money off that. And then when you get sick off of it, they charge you more because you got sick of what they told you to go get. So that's where one of the biggest problems is, is that everybody's tied in together. One of the biggest things, and for anybody in here, real quick, let's, let's ask this, I'm gonna answer a question. Who is not vegan in here? We're not shaming you. We're not gonna like close and lock the doors or anything. You, you're good, good. First of all, 20 hands let's give him a round of applause for being here. Okay, lock the doors, lock the doors. No, this is fine. <laughs> but no, really, because I, hey, we, not everybody was vegan. There are some people that are vegan since birth, and I know how sometimes we can get, you know, like, hey, are those leather shoes? Or there's a, I get it. I'm, I'm the same way. I don't, by the way, these are not leather. I don't wear leather. But I understand that. But a lot of kudos to you for even being here to get the information. For you people that are not vegan, everybody in here will probably agree, one of the major things that we can do to shut this down is not support it. Because you can go to the ballots all day, you can vote all day, you can fill out the surveys, but your dollars are the number one voting power that you have. If you don't buy a certain product, guess what happens? It goes out of business. Look at the dairy industry right now. They're hurting. You know, there's so many industries because think about this, and I'm not promoting this company at all because I don't have one, but look how much the regular car industry hates the electric vehicle because it's going to put them out of business at some point. And they've made so much off of this fuel that if everybody went electric, they try to make you think like, oh, everybody's going to lose their job and people are going to like lose their livelihood and all these different things. So. I honestly believe that the more vegans that are out there that are not supporting these industries, now mind you, people will get sick. You can be vegan, you can still get sick. Nobody's saying that it's 
But if I can tell you that you have a 70% chance of living a better, healthier life, why wouldn't you do it? Because if I say you got a 70% chance of getting a million dollars if you follow everything I say right now, everybody in here is like, <laughs> like, sign me up. But for some reason with our health, we just put it to the back burner. And then when it's too late, now we want to make a drastic change. But why not prevent that? And it's going to help more people out. When we talk about the social justice aspect too. I saw you had a hand up. Our government subsidizes animal products. Oh, yeah. You know that, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, sure. so the subsidies make an unnatural food cost. So that is an also but if you're eating all these plant-based diet, we all know that beans cost less than all this other stuff, right? But we have to, and you also have to learn how to cook. Right. But I think people also, too, I like, thank you for that. I think people have to be okay with messing up while they cook. Everybody wants to come in as a pro. I don't know what, like, for some reason, I had, I will tell you this, and, and most people that are probably vegan, I don't know why, when somebody tells you they want to be vegan, they say, yeah, I just need a meal plan. And I'm like, do you use a meal plan now? They're like, no. I'm like, well, <laughs> like, do you think all vegans, like, right before they eat, they go, oh, shoot, let me go look at my meal plan. And, okay, so I have beans at three, and at five, I can have tofu now. Like, no, like, you just eat, and I, so I can't announce this. I can't announce when the film is coming out, but I can't announce this. My book is launching with um, Penguin Random House, March 14th, and it's coming out. And one of the major things I say in there is, you basically have to treat, I'm sorry for the kids in here, it's about to get a little, like, you know, just, but you have to treat your first 30 days of going vegan like a new relationship. Think about it, in a new relationship, y'all getting it in, everywhere you can, y'all. Airport, library, veg fest, you don't care, you're just doing it. You gotta treat the food like that, you gotta try everything. Cause nobody wants to go into a relationship and it's boring. Like you can't talk to your old friends no more, you can't hang out, you can't watch this certain show. So you gotta have that attitude when you go in. And this is, this is what I explain in the book, is you have to have fun with it. So the first 30 days, don't worry about losing weight, don't worry about gaining weight, don't worry about maintaining weight, just have fun. And after that 30 days, now you know what you like and what you don't like. If you want to lose weight, you eat less of what you like. If you want to gain weight, if you want to gain weight, you eat more of what you like. And if you want to maintain, you just eat what you've been eating that whole 30 days. And guess what? Everything works out. But you have to be willing to experiment. Like, I, I come from St. Louis, like we talked about. My family owns the number one barbecue restaurant in all of Arkansas and Tennessee. Go figure that, and I was a butcher at one point. So if I could change, anybody could change. But what I say is, until I moved to Miami, I never had an avocado, I never had a plantain. In fact, my roommate was Dominican. And the first time we went to the grocery store together, he was picking up a plantain. And I was like, dude, why are you getting this big ass banana? Like, what are you, what is wrong? He's like, no, this is a plantain. I'm like, no, dude, I know fruits and vegetables, that's a banana. And I guarantee you, somebody in here right now that's probably never tried certain fruits and vegetables, and you'll be surprised, you probably love it. Now, I will tell you this, there's a big difference, anybody in here that's had both, there's a big difference between a jackfruit and a durian. <laughs> and they look exactly alike. But I will tell you, and there's some people that actually like durian. You can Google this later. Durian literally, and I hate to shame a vegetable or fruit, it is like 
an old diaper wrapped inside of a fruit shell. And it's just not, but a jackfruit looks just like it and it's sweet and it's great. In fact, I found this tidbit out and you can all use this for later when you're talking to somebody about veganism. Did you know that the gum juicy fruit, the taste was actually jackfruit? Aha, aha, yeah, see, yeah. <laughs> I see everybody's like, well damn, I'm gonna use that next time. Exactly, that's what you do. So yeah, but I think that with the subsidies, what they're doing, they're making it so appealing that yeah, the dollar menu over there, uh, yeah, of course I'm gonna go get the, bur the burger for a dollar. But what they don't realize is that, we talk about it in the film, a Big Mac, let's see here, anybody can guess. What do you think the cost of a Big Mac would be if it wasn't subsidized? If you saw the film, don't, don't say it. $15? $11. If it wasn't subsidized, it'd be $11. But because the meat industry and the fast food industry is so subsidized, it's gonna be 2 or $3 now. And then, but then when you go look at like some fresh fruits and fresh vegetables, you're like, well, of course I'm not gonna get the fresh fruit because I'm looking to stretch this dollar. And so that's one of the things. But people, companies, corporations care about money. If people bite the bullet, the people that can't afford to bite the bullet, do it. And every time you go to a store, buy the vegan option, buy the fruits and vegetables. Because what happens is, you remember back in the day when stores, you would log out, they don't do it as much anymore, and they go, hey, uh, real quick, um, I'm not gonna ask for your email address anymore, I got a sneakier way to do it, what's your zip code? You ever notice that when they used to be like, hey, what's your zip code real fast? It's because they're trying to see where the money's coming from. And so they send certain products to certain zip codes depending on who's spending the money. So if you can afford it, buy the vegan option, you're gonna help out other people in your neighborhood. And so that's something to look at. Uh, any other questions? I think I saw a hand. Oh, where? Oh, go, go ahead, Don. What she's saying too, there's a name for that. If anybody's ever followed uh, basketball, they call it the perimeter game. So you, if you stay on the perimeter of the store, that's where you're more natural, even though they have dairy and meat. That, I, don't, I don't know how natural that is, but it, 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 it's the more unpackaged goods. The stuff with the pretty pictures and everything are in the middle of the store. But if you stay on the perimeter of the store, you'll find more of the fruits, the vegetables, the things that are unprocessed as much. Um, you said somebody else had a hand up? Oh, back here. Uh, I lost a bet. No, I'm just playing. Um, <laughs> so so I, I actually went vegan because my mother was diagnosed with colon cancer. And so when she had colon cancer, I did more research and talked to the doctors. I'm like, how did this happen? Like, what's going on? And I'm thinking, like, this is a hereditary thing. He's like, too much animal food, fried, fried fatty foods. And I'm like, so this is not hereditary. He's like, no, this is, a, this is a lifestyle. You know, and I'm like, wow. So I didn't go vegan immediately. But I did more and more research, and the more research I did, I was just like, wait a minute, so not just the cancers, and then you got the heart disease, and the hypertension, and the uh, congestive heart failure, and all these things are related to this animal protein, but nobody's talking about it. 
And luckily, I didn't get much hate because the number one thing I did, and this will go for everybody, I don't know if you know this or not, and I'm, I'm gonna fill you in on a little secret. There's no membership card to be a vegan. So I didn't tell anybody. So nobody could hate on it. Like, like people think like there's like this membership fee you gotta pay, and this president looks at your application, say, I don't know about this one, he might be okay, she might be okay. Like, I just didn't tell anybody. So there was nothing to hate. So by the time I actually announced it, it's probably like a year in, and it's too late. So when everybody's like, oh man, you're gonna, you're gonna die. I'm like, no, but it's been a year already. Like, <laughs> sorry, you know? And then now, yeah, <laughs> thank you. So now it's, now it's been 15 years. I've been vegan 15 years now, and still, still 6'6", 240, nothing, nothing <laughs> happened. Um, and there's a lot of myths out there. So for anybody that is not vegan yet and is thinking to do it, the number one thing you deal with, I got you, Doc. The, one, the number one thing to deal with, if people think it's like, oh, what am I gonna eat? And what is this and that? The number one thing, is, was a part of your question, is hating ass people. <laughs> like that's the, that's the number one thing you're gonna deal with. Because everybody's like, well, why would you do that? Well, I'm gonna eat my stuff. I'm like, I didn't tell you not to eat it. I'm telling you what I'm doing. You know, and then, so, if you're okay with that, just understand that you're gonna get a lot of hate. But eventually, I can tell you there's a friend of mine, uh, Daphne Martin, if she sees the speech, she's gonna laugh. She used to laugh at me, she used to talk crap about me. And one time we were at a friend's wedding, and of course we're just having fun. I get back, and now mind you, she's got my number, we grew up together. She emailed me, and was, I, I guess it was that professional thing she wanted to do, and she goes, all right, I'm tired of this. Every time we go to an event, you're the most energetic person, you're having fun, you're doing this, and it's a true story. She's like, all right, I'm in, what do I need to do? And that's the same person that was laughing at me, and she's been vegan like five years now. So, live, live by example. Living by example is like one of the number one things. I got you out the dock. Um, living by example is the number one thing. For all the vegans out here, sometimes, and I get it, like when you first go vegan, if you're not vegan yet, you're gonna, you're gonna hit an angry phase. Just, just letting you know now. It's just gonna be like, why are they eating that? I can't understand what they're eating that. Like, don't, don't fall prey to it. Like I did it myself, and like that same friend whose wedding I was at, one day he hit me up, he said, hey bro, I just wanna let you know, um, yeah man, you gotta, you gotta calm it down a little bit. And I'm like, what are you talking about, man? I'm trying to save lives. I'm out here, I'm out here telling everybody, you shouldn't eat this, you that, and like, I'm telling everybody. He's like, but you're not telling everybody. I'm like, what you mean? He's like, yeah, you're not telling everybody because nobody's listening. And that hit me. No, but you gotta listen to what he's saying. It was my delivery. It wasn't that I needed to shut up. It was just my delivery. Remember, I was a butcher. My family owns the number one barbecue restaurant. They're like, dude, you hypocrite. Like, what are you doing right now? So it was my delivery that changed. I'm still about my message. I'm still about telling everybody how healthy this is and how it helps the animals, how it helps the planet, how it helps the humans. People don't see that, but I just took a different approach. And now I've basically seen way more people attracted to the message because of the way I've done it. Now, granted, I do believe that everybody has a certain role in the movement. We're like Voltron. Everybody's got a certain power. My power is just not talking crap about people because people like just ignore me. There's some people out there that can talk so much crap about people, and people are like, you know what, I like this dude, man. They like it. I'm not that guy. So I had to change my message, and it worked. So, uh, Doc, you had one? Yeah. Um, it's funny because 
man John walking around, John's got a big smile, and I got a scowl on my face. Um, <laughs> and John is like real friendly, and he's like, hey, doing this is going to be fine. And I'm like, you're going to die if you don't. <laughs> better you get. you say that too because anybody in here you'll run into that person you're like oh I used to be vegan what what happened or, or why'd you stop oh I, I went to my uncle's house and they had this thing and the funny thing is most people I say 99% of the people they all say this one thing man it was the best I ever felt I'm like well if that was the best you ever felt why would you go away from that but but that's how addictive food is and that's one thing we talk about in the film we don't realize how addictive food is. Like, they call it the FDA for a reason. Food and Drug Administration. Food is the most addictive thing you put in your body, no matter what it is. You can literally be, you can be away from something for two years and be riding past a certain restaurant and that smell hits you. And I know, you, I mean, you can be the greatest vegan in the world, but if it's that smell for you, a lot of people, they're ashamed to admit it, but you're like, oh man, I remember that smell. That don't mean you're not going to eat it, but that addiction is there. So that's something we have to worry about. Stay away from the crack house. Yeah, stay away from the crack house. That's right. Steakhouse slash crack house. That's what it is. Go ahead. I was wondering, like, do you encounter any challenges with your child that's plant-based or vegan, or do you give them the option of having, like, selection? Because, like, the hardest part is in having, like, a school and stuff like that. It's kind of harder to navigate with children. This goes twofold. So if anybody heard his question, he's asking, because my son is four and my daughter's six. They've been vegan since birth. But one thing, and they're over the 100 percentile. Now, mind you, I'm 6'6", six, six, so they kind of they kind of cheated a little bit. But... <laughs> But what, one thing about them is, 
I've never, I've never once been like, we're vegans because animals get slaughtered and this and that. I don't go that route. But it's funny because my daughter one day is like, yeah, we don't eat our friends. And I'm like, where'd you get this from? Like, I, but it's the more that you live that lifestyle, we have to remember, they're no, no matter how much YouTube they watch, how much TV they watch, their number one influence is us. And they watch everything we do. You, how many times they drop an F-bomb? You're like, man, where they get that from? You're like, oh, yeah, that was me the other day. Yeah, that was... That was me. Yeah, that was definitely me. Like you know, and they say it exactly like you, with the same emphasis on the K and like everything. That's that's us. So they they follow us to a T. So one thing I didn't do is like they're vegan. I'm like, hey, when you turn 18 and move out of my house, you can do what you want. But while you're in my house, like I I look at it this way: no parent ever asked their kid, "All right, Jimmy, do you want meat?" They just give it to them. So I figured the same thing. Like if I if I honestly feel that this is the best thing for them, then not saying this is across the board. This is my mentality. That's a form of abuse. If I feel like that 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 animal protein is going to hurt my kid and I give it to them anyway, why would I do that? So I just and I make it fun for them. Like literally, like they're like, hey, we having a milkshake today, Poppy? It's nothing but oat milk and fruit. But they think they think milkshake. So we make it fun, and like the other day, uh, it's probably like two months ago, my daughter, we're, we're about to make a, a milkshake, she goes, wait, Poppy, these are vegan strawberries, right? And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, well, until Monsanto gets all of them, uh, right now, they're pretty, much, they're pretty much all vegan. So it's, the challenges are, because sometimes family, family is another thing too, but the good thing about my family is, they know I will cut them off in five seconds. <laughs> Hey, I'm sorry. As you see me smiling, y'all see me all the time. Milton will tell you, I am Papa Bear. If you mess with my kids, it's a wrap. I'm done. There's no question. We not. Oh man, I was just playing. I gave him a Cheeto. No, done. Out. And I think one. And I think when your family understands who you are, they not gonna. They not gonna f with that. They not gonna mess with that. <laughs> they not gonna mess with that because your family loves your kids at the same time. And then socially. Whenever they go somewhere, we bring their own options with them. And, and the, the funny thing is, somebody might talk a little crap, but most parents understand, like, oh, man, yeah, they're vegan, cool, it's all good. Your real friends, they'll give you crap, they're not going to give your kids crap. <laughs> and if they do, you know where they need to go, so that's it. But yeah, that's, that's pretty much how I, I roll with it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, like I say, hey, I'm vegan, I'm non-violent, you mess with my kids, we got a whole other problem. We'll, we'll talk about that later. I'm from St. Louis, I'm sorry. <laughs> You're next, he had his hand up though. I got you, I got you. Um, so I was vegan for about eight years. And stopped being vegan when I was homeless because produce is shelf-stable, like yeah. some other options. Um, and I would go more plant-based with animal protein options at times. Um, and I hear a lot of people who are vegan just kind of bash animal protein altogether. So I wanted to hear I honestly I'm the wrong person to ask that one. Because <laughs> I, I don't I don't believe in it myself. I, I believe that it's too many factors that are negative that are involved with animal animal agriculture period. Um, from the way it's ruining the earth, 
from the way health-wise it's ruining the humans. And we all, we all know for a fact, even everybody in here, vegan or not, knows that we do not need animal protein to survive. So at that point, it's an ego thing. Now, granted, if you're homeless, I'm not, I'm not one of those people like, because you get the, the hypothetical question, people are like, well, what about the people in Alaska that don't have this? I'm like, look, if you don't have a cell phone, you're out, you're out of my barrier. I can't do that. But if you're on a, a cell phone complaining to me about how somebody should be using tradition to do whatever they're doing or something like that, well, you're on a cell phone. And I'm pretty sure Native Americans and Alaskans and stuff like that. If you're homeless, you got to get what you can get. Like you said, it's not self-state. I can't. Anybody in here that would knock you for being homeless and getting what you can get, they got a whole different problem going on. That's, that's something else. That's not vegan. That's just asshole. Sorry. That's just, you know what I'm saying? But, but considering that you're not homeless anymore, it's like, why would I do something when I was at my lowest when I'm trying to get at my highest now? So that's, what, that, that's, my, that's my key. That's my key on that. Hope that helps. What'd you say? Yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah. Doc will be talking about that. Um, <laughs> Go for it. Uh, you said you went vegan when you found out that your mom was sick, and that was 15 years ago. Yeah. Did she go vegan? No. <laughs> <laughs> um, my mom did not go vegan, and she just passed Thursday, so. Yeah. So, but no, I'm like, she was sick for a long time. She had got healthy, was doing good, and then she got congestive heart failure around October. So was, her health was failing then, but I mean, if I didn't come here today, she would get up and still curse me out. Like, what are you doing? Go do your job. So yeah, no, no, no. So, but no, she she did change up a little bit, but she never went vegan. Like it be to the, it was so funny. She would send me text messages. I had peanut butter and jelly today. I didn't have no animals. <laughs> so like she she understood it. Yeah, she understood it. But you got you got to remember, my mom pick cotton as a kid. Like her mentality is way, she was 85. So she lived a long life and like what she was raised on, there's a lot of fear with going vegan for a lot of people. Down South, black, you know, there's a lot of you know, Latino, white, whoever, but there's a lot of fear with it. And so for her, as sick as she was, no doctor ever told her to, hey, you need to stop eating meat. So that's another big problem. She didn't have Dr. Mills at the time. so. There's something like that. But yeah, she, did, she didn't necessarily go, but she, she thought about it. And she would send me her little salad plates and stuff like that. <laughs> I got you next. Go ahead. Oh, so, um, what was I gonna say? Oh yeah, so my father, he's like in his 70s, and he had some heart problems. And I said, why don't you read the China study? Dad, you should uh, read that. He's very open-minded like that. And read the China study, and maybe you can eat a plant-based diet, and blah, blah, blah. And he had prostate cancer and everything like that. And then basically going plant based saved his life. Yeah. And he was very open minded about it. That was good, yeah. And I think that, and he's willing, he's not the best cook, but <laughs> he tried. Hey, that's right. Hey, you yeah, start with that peanut butter and jelly, then you work your way up. Yeah, I mean, I've been cooking all my life. And yeah. I love to cook and I love to experiment. And I've, this woman here knows I've messed up many, many times. <laughs> <laughs> She's being nice. Yeah. But you know, it's I love to cook and I love to make it as perfect as possible. Yeah. And that's all you can do is perfect as possible and you get better and better each time. Oh, yeah, I, I was kinda not the greatest yeah. vegan cook at first. 
Not yet. It's coming. Go ahead. <laughs> Go ahead. Okay, I'll try to speak loud. So when you were talking about like black culture, my dad's from Puerto Rico, and he's dealing with a lot of issues. Um, and so he's he's really like you know everything is about me, especially in Puerto Rico, like for. <laughs> Back in the caveman days. Yeah, right, right. No, you're good, you're good. Also, like, plant based, a lot of people will say, like, you'll tend to eat more carbs, you'll gain more weight, um, that kind of thing. Um, I guess one other question I'll throw that in there. Um, with mental illnesses and depression, that kind of thing that I've, I've fought for for years, I know that your diet is a big part in that too. So, I guess I have a three-part question. Um, right so, Hispanic, yeah. how, do I, how do I get my dad there? Depression. So the first, the first one, and I'm, I'm going to run them off. This is, this is, no, 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 this is good, it's good. Because I'm sure somebody had the question out there. The first one is, as far as like getting your dad plant-based, it's kind of what we just talked about over here. You got to be the example. So it's hard to tell somebody, hey, stop smoking cigarettes, and then you light up a cigarette in front of them. So the same thing happens with veganism and plant-based eating. If you're like, Dad, you're getting sick. You need to start eating more, more salad and, and fruits and vegetables and beans and you like cooking a steak for yourself. He's like, yeah, whatever. I'm going to eat that. Conyo. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So he's going to be on that level. So you got to be the example. As far as the paleo thing, yes, they ate it. Yes, they killed. Yes, they did this. But we have to remember, too, sorry, children, again, we're using the example of people that ate their own shit. They weren't the smartest people. Like, you know what I'm saying? They did what they could, but they were still cavemen at the end of the day. They got some stuff right. Hey, we got the wheel. Let's go. We, we got cars now. There's some stuff, fire, you know, like, good. Let's go. But that's, that's not the other one. And the last question was, yes. We covered that in the film, too. One of the funniest things about our body is that, I'm sorry to the people back here, I keep turning my back, I'm sorry. Um, one thing we have to remember is that we have so many organs in our body. We all understand that what we eat goes right to our organs, right? So if what we eat goes right to our organs, we always think about our hearts, our kidneys, this and that. What's the one thing we always forget about when we talk about organs? Our brain. So if you're eating bad and you're eating trauma, and you're eating all these bad things, how is your mental health gonna be good if you're eating the wrong things? Your anger, your uh, depression, your anxiety. If we're eating all that, we can't function mentally the way we need to if we're eating the wrong things. So, if, I mean, it's kinda, I'm not saying that a plant-based person never got depressed or never got anxiety. That's not what I'm saying. But I will say, for myself, personally, I was very angry <laughs> before I went vegan. And I'm, I'm a lot more calm now than I was beforehand. Yeah. I, you next, but I got him back there. What can we do to 
because you hear all this stuff about uh, food deserts in certain communities, and I know I'm from Cincinnati, and I know one of the uh, big grocery stores. I went to, uh, uh, I was at a funeral, and I went to the little store in the next grocery store in the neighborhood. They didn't have a salad bar and all that because the guy said they were doing too much money. How can we get people, uh, when they have access to things, to use them? and get away from the plantation soul food diet and uh, dinner every day. First of all, we gotta make it appealing. So stop telling people that cauliflower tastes like chicken. <laughs> Doesn't, it tastes great, it tastes amazing. Fried cauliflower is the bomb, but stop telling people it tastes like chicken because they, they bite into it and they're like, well, I thought this was supposed to taste like chicken. We just gotta make it taste as good as it is. And we gotta make people see that they're not losing out by changing. A lot of people think they're losing. It's like, what are you gaining though? We eat the same five animals every day. It's over 70,000 edible plants on the earth. It's way more variety over on this side. So we gotta get there. As far as like the actual food deserts, again, that comes to accessibility. The people that have access and can make it work, go get the, the plant-based items in those items that where they are. Even in the small bodegas, when we were making the movie, I was talking to a guy that owned a, a bodega small store and I said, I said, well, why don't you have more plant-based? He was like, because there's no money in that. I said, so if more people bought fruits and vegetables, you would have more of that. He was like, of course. Because they don't, look, KFC ain't gonna go vegan, Burger King ain't gonna go vegan, but they see money in the vegan options. So the more people go buy vegan options at these places, they're gonna start putting them in there, even if it's fruits and vegetables. You know what I'm saying? That's like when people say, oh man, I've never had vegan food. I'm like, man, you never had an apple? <laughs> there you go. Like, so if the, the more people buy that, we have to hold ourselves accountable for the change we want. If we go into a place and they got other options, if it's not cruelty free, if it doesn't have any animals in it, we don't buy it, no matter what. Because I, I have people like, oh man, I was vegan, but I went over to, I went over to uh, Europe and I couldn't find nothing. You a lie. They got fruit. They got fruit in Europe. I'm sorry. Like I know they. I know it sounds funny, but they got fruit. They got. They got pasta. They got all that stuff. It's all there. So we just have to be the, the people to make the change. Cause let's be honest, the government ain't changing shit. They ain't coming. They not coming to save us. The same people that hurt you are not gonna be the same people that heal you. I saw. I saw him. Oh yeah, you. That's right. That's right. Uh-huh. They, they eat hot dogs a little bit. I'm just wondering, what are your thoughts on like the impossible meat, the beyond meat, the, the alternative meat? So my, my, uh, my, my thought process on impossible foods, beyond meat, fries, whoever it is that makes vegan food, hey man, if they not kill an animal, I don't care. At the end of the day, I haven't, I, and Doc, you can help me with this. No, but, 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 I, but let's be honest. Ha, have you had one case where somebody is like, oh man, they got congestive heart failure. Oh, they must have been eating impossible foods their whole life. John, I actually have a study that was done in my alma mater, Stanford University, comparing Beyond Meat to actual beef to show the health benefits. By the way, a hamburger looks nothing like the cow. It can't say, don't talk to me about processed food. <laughs> it's like, you know, try to 
Well, you know, chicken nuggets look that way when they come out of the chicken. But yeah, like, for real, in all honesty, it's like, who's gonna hate mostly on an alternative? What we just talked about, different industries. The, the motor companies don't want Tesla to come out. Um, you got the dairy companies don't want these plant-based milk options to come out. The same thing with meat. They don't want that to happen. Do I eat it every day? No, but if I'm on the road and I see an Impossible Burger, I feel good, like, oh, well, at least I can get that. You know what I'm saying? So. The, the people that say that, and, and this is, and you can just nod your head on this one, and I bet everybody in here is going to agree. The person that's telling you mostly about health stuff is probably the most unhealthy person you know. That laugh right there just told me. That's the funniest thing. The people that want to give you all the health advice in the world, you're like, dude, you just had a hot dog chili, had a margarita to wash it down, and then had a milkshake to go with that. Like, I don't know what you're telling me at this point. So just take that for a grain of salt, and yeah. I, I saw a hand back, oh. Yeah, you first, did you? Okay, so I'm just gonna say, um, love. Yeah, two years ago, over 150 hands. Amazing, good job. <laughs> wait, 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 I didn't hear you. I mean, I'll be, um, I'm not the most necessary, but I'm, I'm made to change, you know what I'm saying, I'm making steps to go. Yeah. And I will say that a lot of people I go to that, that have like the Beyond Burger and the Impossible, but they season it themselves. They don't just rely on the seasoning of the company. There are a lot of seasons. I'm sure, Chef, you do that too. Yeah, you season up whatever. Hey, come on, y'all. Season your food. I'm sorry. Like, I, like I told people too, and, and I said this in my book. I said, you know why you hate salads? Because you don't season the, the, the green vegetables before you put all the other stuff on it. Next time, yeah, next time you make a salad, try this. Put some seasoning in the lettuce or spinach or whatever you're using before you put any other toppings on it. And, and work that in with your hands. I promise you, you will be like, holy shit, like I never, I, yeah. Season your food. Go ahead, ma'am. Oh, amazing. What, what's the name of it, by the way?
Oh, okay. I just got my, I don't know how much time I got left, but she just gave me the warning, like, get your, no, that, that's what she said. Um, I did see a hand around this, where? You have one? Don? I would take my But the, uh, the young lady in the back that had the uh, pescatarian young lady, um, I'm not, I'm not, there are many, many places to find flavorful recipes that you can make. I'm not, I was here for 1215, I had a demo, cooking demo, and we had some really delicious stuff. Yeah. It was really natural, primitive, plant based, but flavorful. It's not very hard, it's just those little techniques and things you have to learn. They're easy to learn. I have a website, urban-eats.com. You can get all the free resources you want there. You can buy my book or not buy my book. But if you'd like the two recipes, they're over here on the QR reader right here. Get that. You can start there. And also, hey, restaurants won't get mad at you for bringing your own seasoning. They just, they don't. I, hey. Stuff. Yeah. So, all right, we got two hands. We got enough for two hands? Two. Ooh. You just gonna put me out there like that? Like, just I gotta choose? Like, it's just make me the bad guy. <laughs> okay, all right, go ahead. I'm not sure how to formulate my question, but it's okay. Um, how do you, and this might be for the doc, um, how do you deal with people who bring up that blood uh, issue? Oh, That's a great question. I actually can handle that one. I got this one. So apparently O-type blood is the one that is the one that's recommended to eat meat. I've been vegan 15 years. Guess what blood type I got? That, I shut it down right there. That's it. Like I, I, got, I got the blood type that you say that I should be dead. I don't know what you want me to tell you that. But yeah, like a lot of times a lot of times people just try to come up with so many excuses on why not to do the right thing. It's not even all about food. It might be drinking, smoking, whatever it is. They're going to find a reason to do it. So that's one of them. So that's it. I don't, ooh, ooh, she got a hand. I don't, I, I'll answer it later. I'll answer it later. Just in case. Just write it down, write it down, write it down. So that's my time. Thank you all so much. We're broadcasting live here at Bluegrass Veg Fest. That was John Lewis, aka the badass vegan. And we apologize for some of his salty vegan language today here when we're doing this live broadcast. I hope nobody was offended but glad you're tuning in to forward radio your community radio station my name is justin mogg reporting live from the scene here at the melwood arts center at 1860 melwood avenue we're so proud to bring bringing you live coverage of the third annual bluegrass veg fest going on now through 6 p.m you can learn more and see the schedule of speakers at bluegrassvegfest.com. We just heard again from John Lewis. His title of his talk, Vegans Aren't Filling Up Hospitals. He's also known as the badass vegan filmmaker and prominent wellness advocate promoting compassion. 
His soon-to-be-released documentary that he referred to is called They're Trying to Kill Us, and it explores the connection between veganism, food justice, and hip-hop culture. John has appeared in multiple TV shows and fitness magazines, Muscle and Fitness, Men's Fitness, as well as Maximum Sports Illustrated. And as you heard, he's been a badass vegan for 15 years now. The purpose of the Bluegrass Veg Fest is to introduce you to all the joys and reasons for going vegan, for reducing your meat and dairy consumption, and trying out some of the delicious plant-based foods that are on offer today. There are free samples and cooking demos, as well as food trucks and several vendors offering things for sale, things you can eat right here, or things you can take home with you. There's craft beer and summer cocktails. These nationally renowned speakers like you just heard from John Lewis, arts and crafts, and there's a kid's corner too with all kinds of great kids activities. Admission is free today. If you'd like to donate, there's a suggested $5 donation and all that money will go to local animal charities. Uh, So feel free to just wander in if you want. You don't need to pay anything. Most people aren't, but that's okay. You can donate if you'd like. Coming up next at 4 o'clock in just about 9 minutes, we're going to hear from Tony Akamoto on how to eat a plant-based on a budget. This will be a fireside chat with the speaker we heard from earlier moderating. His name is Gene Barr. He's co-founder and president of Farm Sanctuary. And then coming up, our last speaker of the day at 5 o'clock will be the man who you heard speaking from the audience, Dr. Milton Mills, on the many benefits of plant-based diets. He's a physician and veteran speaker who was the featured physician in Netflix's hit documentary, What the Health. You don't want to miss that. And you don't want to miss our booth here at the Bluegrass Fedge Fest either. If you're interested in alternative lifestyles of all kinds, right? Forward Radio is here to challenge the mainstream, whether it's a mainstream media or mainstream diets. That's why we're here, is to bring you these perspectives that you won't get anywhere else. The mainstream media has been bought and sold by modern agribusiness, which of course makes a lot of money off of making you sick and making the planet sick as well through these meat-heavy diets. And so this is the kind of event that we love to be at and we love to feature sharing ideas for how to live healthier and better for you and the planet things like bluegrass veg fest which is now in its third annual bluegrass veg fest it took a little hiatus of course during the pandemic and we're so glad to be back in person at this great event that uh, brings together the plant-based community and producers there are over 50 vendors here sharing their stories and products uh, we've got people from all over the country, actually. Uh, there's, As I mentioned, there's vegan cheesecakes made in L.A. available only today here in Louisville at the Bluegrass Veg Fest. But then there's also lots of local businesses and producers as well. We heard earlier from Elixir Kombucha brewing it up in the west end of Louisville over at Chef's Space. I'm walking outside now 
Yeah, the drizzle continues. We thought it was going to let up today. Oh, it's not the best day to be outside doing anything, so why not come come on out to the Melwood Arts Center and enjoy the Bluegrass Veg Fest. There are some outdoor things. The food trucks are here, so if you want to wait in line for them, bring your umbrella. It's not cold or hot or windy out. It is perfect other than the rain. And it's just a light drizzle, so no biggie. But come on inside and hear from these great national speakers and check out some of these many awesome vendors. The outdoor dining area is also covered here at the Bluegrass Veg Fest. So if you want to eat some of these delicious treats, you can do so out of the rain real easy, no problem. And... You could also choose to wander the hall with your treats and talk to some of the wonderful vendors who are here today only through 6 p.m. at the Melwood Art Center. So don't miss it. It's good stuff. And uh, boy, it hasn't happened in many years. And I missed the first two years of Bluegrass Veg Fest. So this is all new to me. Uh, I'm so excited as a vegan myself to be amongst all these other fine promoters of the plant-based lifestyle. Uh, there's some really important information here. Uh, in fact, right next to our Ford Radio booth is uh, a big display about some of the unsavory practices that go on in the meat industry. Uh, so you can come check that out and learn more. And just walk right by it if you're too disturbed and come talk to our local folks here from Ford Radio. Uh, Michael Logsdon is still here from Kentuckiana Showcase. And Tori Strange has made her way to the booth. Hi, Tori! Long time no see. How are you doing? Can you hear me? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we are right next to the PA system, so it's maybe not the best place. But if you speak right into the microphone, yes, the people can hear you, Tori. And you're sharing the story of Forward Radio with the people, aren't you? I am. And I am amazed at this, this whole event. It is amazing. And I've never been, believe it or not, to the Melwood Arts Center before today. Neither had I. And I can't believe what a cool place it is. Did you know it's a former slaughterhouse? Yes. Michael <laughs> told me that. Michael Logston, one of our one of our hosts on Forward Radio. Yeah. It's a special day when the slaughterhouse becomes the place of plant-based diets. Have you sampled any of the food yet? I have not had a chance to, but I heard that there's something here called. A, a vegan donut? Yeah, there are vegan donuts. Yes, and vegan cheesecake. Yes, absolutely. I have to try one of those. I'm, you know, I'm one of those people who, uh, you know, grew up, uh, unfortunately, saving my allowance money to buy Hostess Twinkies and <laughs> Hostess cupcakes, snowballs, candy cigarettes. <laughs> oh wow, candy cigarettes! What an admission live on the radio here. <laughs> I heard you driving over. It sounded great. Oh, you, you, you were, um, it was a speaker when I was driving over, and it sounded marvelous. Yes, and we're going to cover more speakers and talk to more vendors. It was a great story about um, he was photographing or taking pictures at a slaughterhouse or a stockyard and found a calf that was comatose, took it home to his sanctuary. I guess he has an animal sanctuary. It was just an incredible story. It makes you think a whole lot harder about that meat you might buy at the grocery store. Absolutely. That's what we're doing today, sharing the stories of people who are going plant-based. Thank you, Tori. I'm going to wander the hall a little more and talk to some of these folks. 
You know, a lot of this event is about celebrating wellness in so many ways. So there are folks here getting massages from the Holistic Care Clinic uh, High Vibe Living and the High Vibe Healing Arts Academy. And you can sign up to win a free session. They offer and teach holistic, conscious, trauma-informed care. That's so great. Moss is here with fruit-infused in, smoothies. Iris Seamoss contains 92 of the 101 minerals that our bodies need, along with vitamins A, B, C, D, E, and K. What a great sea vegetable this is. It's especially rich in calcium and iodine, as well as containing potassium iodide and bromide, selenium, zinc, and natural silica. So you can sample. They're giving out free samples of this sea moss and beverages, these delicious fruit and smooth infused smoothies with different flavors uh, available for sampling and for purchase. Yeah, here in Kentucky, we kind of forget about all the sea vegetables, but they are such an important part of a healthy vegan diet, and you can sample some of them right here today. Uh, There is uh, so many booths here. The Humane Society is here as well. Uh, Of course, people are very familiar with the Humane Society. Uh, They've got great uh, programming and efforts to protect the animals of all kinds. You know, it's not just food here, too. Uh, There are great products, other vegan products, like soaps we mentioned earlier. Several soap makers here today, including Earth Circle Creations. Hi, Bill. Can I talk to you? Absolutely. <laughs> Justin from Forward Radio. Justin, All the vendors are so busy because there's so many people here. Oh, it's great. <laughs> I mean, I've been busy almost since minute one since I've been here. <laughs> are you a soap maker? I am. I've been making soaps for about, well, that was a little loud. Yes, I've been making soaps for about, oh, say about 10 years. I got a good recipe, a great following, and they've yeah. been vegan since day one. So yeah. I'm really enjoying it. So I, th- I think a lot of our listeners may not even understand that there's animal products in soap. Oh, absolutely. I mean, and sometimes they're hidden with uh, within the ingredients. You just don't know what you're getting. Yeah. So it, you know, so I I don't make things like goat milk soap or anything like that. It's all it's only lye, oil, water, sometimes herbs, sometimes pumice, and sometimes fragrances, and that's about it. Wow. So it's just plant-based oils of different kinds that help make the. What makes the surfactant in a in a vegan soap? Or is it the same? Say it one more time. You know, it makes it bubbly. Oh, that that would be the coconut oil. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah, so. <laughs> That's a secret sauce. That's a secret sauce. <laughs> so it's actually really a lot of fun. It takes about eight weeks per batch that I uh, nice. that that I have to plan for. So it's like so it's like, hey, I got this great event coming up, and it's a it's a bluegrass veg fest. Yeah. And I start eight weeks from today okay so eight weeks ago i started the, the batch of soap that's sitting on this counter here it smells great i have to say oh it's one of the best smelling booths that you have in this building <laughs> there are a lot of good smells here absolutely. though you're competing with some good smells yes absolutely so this is fun so where do you make your soap right you? at home I, I, i'm local i live in newburgh outside of uh, a suburb of louisville and uh, just i make it in my garage and bring it out here so it's 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 great Okay, so there's free smells, but otherwise people are purchasing the soap. If they can't make it out today, can they find you online? Absolutely. And my website is earthcirclecreations.com. 
And, uh, yeah, I can ship it out to you the same day. Bill, so good to meet you. Absolutely. Thanks for being here at Bluegrass Veg Fest. Thanks much. <laughs> we are talking to some of the vendors available here at the Melwood Art Center through 6 o'clock. Again, it's not all food. There are all kinds of delicious smells to be had from soaps to artwork. I don't know if any of the artwork smells other than the soap. Uh, uh, things are thinning out slightly. This might be a good time for you to come on down. There's actually a little less jam-packed crowd, but still plenty of people coming to check out all the plant-based goodness. I want to take you back over to our speaker's corner as I pass by the Kids Zone. This is a great event for families. Bring your kids. They'll be able to have some fun, do some artwork, learn about plant-based living and all the goodness. Uh, and again, there's books here available from Carmichael's that'll help you learn about vegan living and cooking. And I'm going to head back through the drizzle over to our speaker's corner. Uh, really excited to bring you our next speaker, who is, again, Tony Akamoto. Speaking on plant-based on a budget, this will be a fireside chat with one of our earlier speakers, Gene Barr, who is the founder and president of Farm Sanctuary. Tony Akamoto is a best-selling author and founder of Plant Based on a Budget. It's a popular website and meal plan. She's been profiled by NBC News, Parade Magazine, and national TV shows across the country. And Tony is going to be featured right now live on Forward Radio. And apologies to our listeners with some of our brief technical difficulties as we bring you this special live broadcast from Bluegrass Veg Fest here at the Melwood Arts Center, now through 6 p.m. on Melwood Avenue. Lots of folks here checking out the goodness. And let's hear from Tony. many cars, the, the lift was stopped, and we were thinking, oh my gosh, this is for the Veg Fest. And so to uh, see the excitement about plant-based eating and uh, so to see so many enthusiastic people walking around is really warming my heart. And uh, then also to be here chatting with someone I really admire, Jane Bauer, who has just been such a voice for animals. I just feel overwhelmed with gratitude and to see all of you here. I, I'm very grateful to be here. Thank you. You know, we're all in this together, right? It feels so positive to be among so many folks. And, you know, one of the things about sort of the vegan movement uh, is that sometimes vegan food can be expensive, right? And, and, and sometimes not necessarily. It shouldn't be so expensive. So I really love what Tony has done over the years. And you know, we go fair ways back, right? And like, you've been vegan, I guess, about 10 years ago or something like this? 15 years. 15. So how has it changed since back then to now? And, you know, and making food accessible is so huge. So I'm a huge fan of that work. Uh, one thing that has changed is that people have learned how to pronounce 
vegan. It's not vegan. It's not all of the other ways that you can pronounce it. It's vegan. And it's also really cool to go to a restaurant and to say, oh, what are your vegan options? Instead of being like, okay, uh, do you have anything that doesn't have X, Y, Z? And and to have to break down all of the ingredients. And, and the my most favorite thing that has changed is that when vegan cheese started to exist, it was with Daya, and we had to drive an hour and a half to get it. And this was about uh, maybe 10 years or so ago. We had, we had to drive an hour and a half to San Francisco. I live in Sacramento, California. And my friends and I would take turns, and you could only buy it in five-pound packages. Mm. So we would go buy the five-pound packages, invest all, all of our money, um, divvy it up, and freeze it. And so the fact I can go to the grocery store and not only have one option, but just so many options and feta cheese and Parmesan cheese and and blocks of cheese is way cool. Yeah, and it melts too, right? That was the big. That was the big. <laughs> yes. That was the big thing yes. about Daya. Mm-hmm. Yes. And 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 you mentioned earlier when you became plant based, you couldn't even go buy soy milk at the grocery store. Let's. No. Yeah, see we about used to have powder and water to make soy milk, right? They didn't have like the cartons of soy milk in the stores. Well, I mean, some health food places did, but generally speaking, we used powder and water to make soy milk. And I remember the soyarella uh, kind of incident. It was, it melted. It was cheese that melted a long, long time ago and we'd get together to find the soyarella, but it actually had casein in it, we learned later on. Uh-oh. So that's why this Daya thing was such a big break, right? It mm-hmm. melts. And I guess it was, what was it, what was the ingredient, was it cassava, was it, or? Yeah, anyway, so there was some kind of new thing, but, but we've come so far since then. Yes, I, I'm very happy about it. It has upped my cooking game, for Are you sure. a big cheese fan, generally? I, it was the hardest thing, and so many people struggle with, with the cheese part, and uh, for a long time before, when I was vegetarian, I became vegetarian first, I relied on cheese for meatless dishes. I'm Mexican and so much of our food has cheese or meat or or both and to have that as an option or to tell my parents about it when they're cooking food for me has made life easier. Oh yeah you know and and what's really interesting I think is how the dairy industry actually doesn't mind vegetarians because oftentimes vegetarians eat a lot more dairy right? Like you, like you're just describing, so right. it's uh, so it's so wonderful that there's these cheeses and also these plant-based milks now that are just crazy all over. But price, cost, right? So like what with plant-based on a budget, and again, like I was mentioning, I think that is so important because you know sometimes this can be hard for people or inaccessible for people, and sometimes we even joke about the vegan tax, right? right. When something's mm-hmm. vegan, they add like you go to Starbucks and they add for the they add cost on the plant-based milks. Mm-hmm. So, so the genesis story of uh, you know plant-based on a budget. How did that all kind of come together? Well, it started way back when on my own journey. I originally started down the plant-based path because I wanted to feel better. I was a, a runner in high school, and like many people, I had never thought about nutrition ever. Food was a source of sustenance and for pleasure, never for how it made me feel. And when I was struggling with feeling good after running, my coach was concerned and said, 
what are you eating? And I was like, that's a weird question. And I was, <laughs> I was eating a lot of Taco Bell. My, talk, my high school was across the street from Taco Bell, and so I'd load up on Taco Bell and then come run in the Sacramento summer heat. I live in the Central Valley where it's 110 degrees in the summer when we're running. And I would then get sick to my stomach. And so he suggested first that I stop eating so much fast food and stop eating red meat. And I came home and I told my parents and they were like, oh my God, God has forsaken us. How did we end up with this hippie child who doesn't eat red meat? And I was, I was a little bit overwhelmed myself, but I stuck with it and I began to thrive as a runner and I felt better. And slowly, over a very long period of time, I worked toward being vegan. And that was first with the obstacles living with my parents. I became vegetarian after I moved, but even then I was not a strict vegetarian because I didn't even know. I pulled the chicken out of my chicken soup or pulled the pepperoni off of my pizza and I really didn't have a lot of friends who were vegetarians and vegans, which is so cool about this community that we're learning what it actually means to be vegetarian and vegan. So I, I started with vegetarian, then I moved to vegan. When I found my people at a community college in Sacramento, I met people who had some of the same obstacles as I did. I met people who were tied culturally to their foods, who were on a tight budget, who didn't have a lot of cooking supplies at home, if any, and no, no cooking experience. And because we all did it together and learned how to cook by doing group meals and chipping in on the cost, it made it easier and I felt supported. We went to the sanctuaries, we learned about animal agriculture, and it's what moved the needle forward for me. And cooking in a community with friends, sometimes you know, cooking can be a chore. Exactly. Yeah. And I imagine with, and, and it doesn't have to be a chore, and yeah. I imagine doing it in a community is just more energizing and you learn from each other. Was that kind of the experience you had by doing it with a group like that? Yes, it was, it was reminiscent of food in my upbringing where food was a source of celebration and love and care and when it's someone's birthday or they just graduated, you feed them and food is my love language. I love feeding people. If you come to my house, you will eat. <laughs> and, and so to have that and be on this journey together was really powerful in helping me stay committed to plant-based eating and learn about what it even meant. And from there, I heard so many people, I, and I've heard several questions from, from the audience in past uh, with past speakers, is that like the community you surround yourself sometimes questions your decisions, and that can be overwhelming. So for me, I had a serious pause because I was looking around, listening to these people in my family talk to me about how it's inaccessible, how it's too affordable, how they can't uh, drive to Whole Foods or the co-op, and meanwhile, they're suffering some severe diet-related health issues like type 2 diabetes. My aunt had her toes amputated, then her foot, and then she died. My grandpa had two heart attacks before he died in a 
triple bypass surgery. My uncle had a heart attack at 40. It, it was just dire. And the sad thing is, is that people felt sentenced to poor health because of their financial status. And I was working multiple jobs, a student, living in a room with two other people, and thriving on a plant-based diet. So I started compiling my family's favorite recipes and putting them on plant-based on a budget. This was now 10 years ago. And I found that so many people, maybe not my parents, because I'm still working on them, but hundreds of thousands of other people feel the desire to reclaim their health and to help their children not be pre-diabetic, but have a lot of serious concerns about the accessibility and affordability. And that has been my work for the past 10 years. Yeah, sometimes families can be the toughest, right? Yes. And so how, has there been any progress with your family moving in this direction even a little bit? Yes, and I celebrate all of the wins because I never thought that they would ever make any changes. So one thing that I am very proud of is that my family eats a lot of chorizo, like a pork, and they have moved completely to soy riso. And it sounds like such a small change, but to me it is very meaningful, and I hope that they continue for a long period of time, even if it's a couple things swapped per year. As long as they're moving forward, I celebrate those changes. And we have soy riso now too, right? Which we didn't have like 10 years ago. <laughs> yes. And, and one thing about soy riso is that it's often found in the chorizo section, and it's the same price usually. So if you're going to, my parents shop at Walmart. If you're going to Walmart, you can buy the, the so riso right next to the chorizo at the same exact price and it tastes the same. So for them, it's not a hassle to go and and go to this separate section of the grocery store and pay higher prices. And I, I can't wait for more of that across the board with vegan options. So in 10 years of doing this work, what are some of the things you've learned? What are the questions you get about people that want to save money going plant-based? The thing I've learned the most that has really humbled me is that so many people want to make a change and life is super difficult. It is hard to navigate without thinking about diet, but then to throw in, what should I feed my kids? What should I feed myself? Uh, so to be more compassionate has been the number one thing I've learned because there are so many people who want desperately to not suffer every day and to not have their children suffer. And, uh, and so that was the first thing. The second thing is that a lot of times recipes aren't enough. When I first started plant-based on a budget, I started, as I mentioned, compiling my family's favorite recipes and putting them on the website. But then people would go buy all the ingredients for pasta and burritos and some other thing and couldn't use them because they didn't create um, a plan that used all of 100% of the ingredients or create um, meals that were going to mesh well together using the same ingredients. And so they were overspending and not using everything. And I think that helped me 
understand how I can best help. And so I started with meal plans. And at the time, there was something called the SNAP Challenge, which helped people understand what food budget people who had um, what is government assistance, SNAP, um, also better known as food, food, food stamps, uh, they had, at the time, it's since increased increase with inflation, they had $180 per person if you had no money. And, and that is not a lot of food per month. So I worked within that budget to create meal plans that were fully plant-based where you used 100% of the ingredients and I made it $100 per month. Wow. Uh, so that people could splurge on items that made them feel good or that were comforting to them. And that's really how plant-based on a budget began to have a lot of traction because those are still the most popular resources that I've created, the $25 meal plans, which now with inflation is more like $35. But even... And that's for a month? That's... that's for a week, I'm sorry. For a week, okay. Did I say, I'm sorry. The, the month was like... I'm sorry, $180 for the month, month is what you get in government assistance yeah, yeah, yeah. at the time. And I think that's somewhere... So 35 a month, though? Or no, 35 a week. Oh, or a week, okay. A week. Yes, yeah. but when I started... I'm not a math guy. When it was 25 a week. It was 25, yeah, it's 35 a week, right? Correct. And, but, and also the government assistance um, allotment has, has increased as well. I gotcha. And so yeah, those the, that is what... I found that people want is at least a guide. Maybe, like John mentioned, people aren't like, okay, breakfast, lunch, dinner. But how can I buy ingredients and use them throughout the week and not have excess of one ingredient that I'm never going to use again? And uh, and so that's that's how plant-based on a budget started getting traction. So what are some of the main things people buy for that? I mean, that's like, you know, to feed yourself for that amount per week and then per month is like, you know, what are some of the main things people would be buying to do that? Well, I, there are two parts of this. Uh, assessing your time and putting a value on that and assessing your finances and seeing how much you could actually spend. So at that time, when I was encouraging people to use that meal plan, I had everyone making things from scratch. And of course, there are beans, lentils, produce. Uh, there are great places to shop that are maybe not on the top of people's mind, like Dollar Tree, uh, that have frozen produce and rice and beans. Now everything's $1.25, unfortunately, but, but still. That's still kind of in the range, right? But still, you can get a pound, or sometimes there are brands that have two pounds for the $1.25 of beans. And stretching those, showing that you don't have to just eat them in a burrito. You can do a lot of things with beans. And working with those ingredients over multiple, over, over multiple different styles of food and and um, also empowering people to use ingredients in ways that are uncomfortable to them. Like for me, I remember the very first time I went to a vegetarian restaurant. I had a vegetarian friend. He brought me to this restaurant. He said, eat anything you want. And it was a Vietnamese restaurant. And I went there, looked at the menu, and I was like, ooh, I'll have this steamed white rice because I didn't grow up eating any international foods that were not Mexican, 
Japanese, um, I ate pasta for Italian food or pizza, but not a lot of other types of foods. So going and experiencing different cuisines for the first time is something that has expanded my horizon and that's something I try to introduce to people as well. I was one of those people that I think you or John mentioned who hadn't had so many types of ingredients. I had never had a butternut squash or a spaghetti or anything that's not a zucchini. Um, and I had never had cauliflower. And, and it's shocking to think now, having been vegan for 15 years, that I didn't know what quinoa was. It's, it's amazing how many plant foods there are that we don't know about, right? You yes. know, and, and, and the plant, there's so much. Um, yes. So with, 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 you know, economic challenges many people are having now, um, you know, what are some of the best tips for helping people save money? That is a good question. And I, I am gonna go back to meal planning because that's where I've seen the most success. And that's taking toll of what you currently have in your pantry and your refrigerator and trying to form your meals. They don't have to be planned to the T with all of the ingredients listed out, but to have an idea of what you can use these ingredients to make and then going to the grocery store and just buying what you need. I love bulk and it's not bulk, bulk ingredients and it's not for the reason that a lot of people love them. Uh, a lot of people like to go to Costco and buy like 20 pound bags of something. I had a very little apartment for a long time and no kitchen space and not a lot of money to go and buy 20 pounds worth of one ingredient. And so I used the bulk ingredients section at our local grocery store to buy only what I needed. So I would go, and at the time we weren't in a pandemic, so this was a little bit easier to do, but I would wrap my measuring cup of what I was going to be using in a plastic bag or, or whatever bag they had. And I would cover my measuring cup and only buy one cup of rice because that's one, cheaper for me, and two, it helped not buy more than what I needed. And I would use that one rice, but one cup of rice in the meal that it called for. So meal planning, buying only what you need. If you've ever been without, I think that it's very common to have this um, need for abundance because you're afraid of not having enough. And I have struggled with that too, where I would fill my refrigerator because I could, uh, but then there's a lot of food waste involved. And so to retrain your mind to only buy what you need, and, and that sometimes looks like not a lot in the refrigerator because it's only what you need for the week um, or a couple weeks, or if you're like my parents and only grocery shop once a month, stuffing your freezer, um, that reshift will help you stop throwing your money in the trash when you like toss that sad-looking cilantro mm -hmm. that didn't get used. Uh, other, other ways that I save money are, and I know that you would like to talk about this, I grow food. Oh, yeah. And I know not everyone has that luxury, but even when I lived in an apartment with a balcony or an apartment with no balcony, I was able to save some money growing um some basil on my 
windowsill or a tomato plant on my balcony. And, um, and I now grow the, a very good chunk of the food that we eat, and it has saved a lot of money. And I not only feed myself, but I also feed our community. I donate a lot of the produce that we have that's excess so that people who are food insecure can also have some fresh produce as well. It's wonderful. And, and uh, you know, the thing about like uh, a small area, like herbs can be pretty expensive. So like growing yes. little things like that on a, but then in the garden like you have and you're yeah, feeding the community like and bartering with neighbors too. Yes, I trade food um, with a lot of my neighbors so they'll grow some food and then we'll exchange so that uh, we, we both live in in areas with small smaller backyards uh, so I can't grow as much as I would like and that's a way to yeah. cut down expenses yeah and, and it also is kind of a cool way to build community you kind of mm -hmm. get to know neighbors oh they got a peach tree I got to get to know them <laughs> right. <laughs> right. You know? Or, or citrus or whatever it is right you get to know each other and you, you share um, some more practical tips if you don't have space or time to grow food are exploring grocery stores I know that I've I've been a person without a car, and I understand that sometimes it's um, the best option is the convenient one right across the street from your house, and that may be limited. But if you do have a car and you can go to different grocery stores, um, explore. Sometimes some unassuming places have the cheapest prices. There's this one place in Sacramento and on my coast called Winco, and it's a big box grocery store, and it looks like, why would I ever go there? But it has maybe eight rows of bulk bins, and they use Bob's Red Mill for a lot of their, um, for what they put in there, and I could get a pound of beans for 68 cents, lentils, 90 cents, it's very inexpensive, and I would not, have gone there if my parents didn't Do you have this on your there. website also? Because that's really good information for people looking for this stuff. Uh, I have a lot of information on my website for free. I have the, the meal plans, which call out grocery stores that I, I usually shop at. Um, using those meal plans, I ended up revising a lot of them and um, co-creating some with my friend Michelle. And we did a, a New Year's challenge encouraging people to eat more more plant-based and uh, she did all of her shopping using the meal plans at um, Whole Foods buying only organic and I did it at Walmart in in Washington DC and I spent a total of $20 for the week's worth of food and she spent $35 for the week's worth of food so she was still able to cut down her personal food budget by a significant amount by planning her her meals out and mm -hmm. cooking from scratch. Wow. So with folk with little time to cook, right? What are yes. some tips for getting healthy plant-based meals if you can't cook? I go back to having a plan and I like I'm I'm very I'm ugh. I hate to admit this, but I'm one of those people who like always makes myself busy. So even if I have the opportunity, I'm like, okay, family, what do you need help with? Let me help you. And then I make myself busy. And so I, um, I, in my own life, practice cooking one or two batches of something and relying on those throughout the work week. And uh, some of my favorite 10-minute meals include uh, 
hummus wraps. I like bean and rice burritos or just bean burritos if you don't want to cook the rice just grab a can of beans and toss them in there with some vegetables i have been into hummus pizzas where you just bake the crust and you top it with hummus and then you put some fresh vegetables on it and you eat it and it's delicious uh i've also with like a pizza crust yeah you just bake it yep Mm -hmm. yep uh, and then and then hummus not cook. You just put the hummus right, on afterwards. Right. It's come actually. Um, that's one of the recipes in my upcoming cookbook. And one of my recipe testers says it's also good baked. Wow. So interesting. Hummus. I've seen people put like hummus in like lasagna, and it actually oh, gives it a creaminess. Nice. So what you're describing, you know, I could see the hummus having the cheesy thing a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, let's see what else. I like to um, do pita wraps. I. Actually, so a lot of wraps and burrito styles, those come together very easily. Uh, if you have the means to get a pressure cooker, it has revolutionized the way I cook. I do quinoa in five minutes. I can do beans from scratch, unsoaked in one hour. And it, it just makes cooking from scratch so much easier, which then makes it affordable. Mm. Pressure cooker or slow cooker? Which which one would you go with if you had to choose one? Pressure cooker. Okay, that's what I thought. I was just curious. I've heard a lot about slow cookers. I've never uh, had one, but I wrote a book about slow cooking, and I really like it. And it can be a great tool. And they're so affordable at thrift stores. There are many at thrift stores. Um, I I got mine for four dollars at Goodwill, but I now rely on my faster meals that will come together very quickly. I can have a soup in five minutes or a chili in five minutes. Um, that, I'm sorry, five minutes of cook time. It's probably about 15 extra minutes of build, building pressure and then releasing pressure. But that allows me 15 minutes to go walk my dog or to go do my laundry or free up my time to do something else. Can you get pressure cookers at thrift stores too or just the slow cookers, you think? I think that you can get the old school ones that I you put on the was, stove. I had a crack in it for years. And I have not seen, I am an avid thrifter, and I have not seen an instant pot at the thrift store. However, if you are uh, more budget conscious, you can get used ones on Amazon for um, a, a significant decrease in price if if there's some cosmetic imperfection. So if you see my instant pot, it's got a big old dent but I saved thirty dollars, so uh, I don't do care not, about the I dent, do not right? mind about the dent. <laughs> <laughs> so, so for folks who are veg curious or newly vegetarian vegan, and and their families kind of giving them the once over, uh, what sorts of uh, you know questioning their dietary choices? Um, what what? How do you suggest that people respond to that? Right when they're getting getting some pressure from family and stuff. I think it depends on where the person is coming from. And you know your family and your friends best. Do, do Are they genuinely curious or are they giving you a really hard time? And I don't engage. If, if my family is giving me a hard time, I just say, you know what, I don't really want to talk about this. However, uh, or, or you don't even have to say, I don't want to talk about it. You're just like, hey, I just want to enjoy your company right now. I have a great book for you and I'll give that to you next time I see you. Or there's this great documentary on Netflix, check it out, and then we can talk. So then they would have invested some effort and energy if they really care about how you get your protein or how um, how 
whatever it is, whatever their question you want, uh, they will have put in effort and then they can come and talk to you about, about whatever it is that they wanted to know. If you don't feel comfortable and you do want to engage, just remember you don't have to be the expert on everything and, and say, um, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Uh, I'll look into it. And I found that you can tell if someone is genuinely curious and if they're just wanting to give you a hard time. And there are so many stresses in life that that doesn't, that shouldn't be one of them. Hanging out with your family is, can be stressful enough on its own. Not adding that is, is how I choose to go about it. It seems to me sometimes people, you know, when you go vegan, sometimes people feel like you're judging them. Right. Even if you haven't really said anything. And so there seems to, and, and sometimes I think people try to ask, well, is it okay if I do this? Is it okay if I do that? And they're trying to kind of talk through it and process it themselves maybe. You know, but like you say, it's sometimes they're just chiding and you know, being vegan is sort of different and it's not like, and it's oftentimes very criticized. Yeah. It, it's also, I mentioned this earlier, how it was really difficult for my family to accept that I was not eating red meat, then vegetarian, then vegan, but I felt like it was twofold. One, that they felt like part of our culture is sharing food and showing their love through food, and I was rejecting that. And then the other part was that they were unfamiliar. I mentioned that we didn't eat a lot of different types of international cuisines, and now here I am being like, I love Indian food, I love Vietnamese food, and it just makes them feel a little bit uncomfortable. And so having that understanding and awareness, even if that makes me uncomfortable, just shows more compassion and um, provides me with patience that I don't think I would otherwise have. And the ways I've gotten around both of those situations are I share food with my family that are usually dishes that have meat and cheese that I know that they love uh, made vegan. And they love it. And that's how they ended up eating soy rizzo and, mm. and made that full-time change. And I, I appreciate that effort. I mentioned I'm like over the moon about it still. Uh, and then the other part was that uh, I'm, again, introducing them to new foods and ingredients and showing that it can be flavorful. So now my parents are more along the lines of the types of people who say, oh, if somebody cooked for me like that all the time, I would totally be vegan. And I do not play. My dad had a stocked refrigerator because he told me if I, if I could eat like that all the time, I would be vegan. And in that time, he felt great. He lost eight pounds in like a week. He was just over, over the moon and he didn't stick with it. But I, I felt proud that he gave it a try. I gave him the tools he needed to succeed and I'm hoping still that one day he will. And I felt this way the whole time. It's a long, long game for me. I plan on being vegan forever. And, and, uh, and I'm gonna hold out patience. And a lot of people, John mentioned this earlier, a lot of people have reached out to me because of the 
open-mindedness I've had and the open heart that I've had. And even when they've been mean to me, I've chosen not to be mean back. It makes a lot of sense, you know, and food is so emotional, mm. so emotional. And it, uh, in parents, feed us a certain way because they actually care about us. And like you say, it's like a language of love in a sense. And then to feel like it's being rejected is, is, is challenging, right? Yeah. Yes. Definitely. So having that empathy is, is beautiful, I think. Yeah, and I, th I think we have some time for questions. If anybody has questions, we've got maybe about five or seven minutes, something like that, or other things that would be useful to talk about or to cover along these lines. Any questions? Yes. Yeah. We also meal plan for the week, but we make the exact same thing for every night. But we pick something we love. Mm -hmm. with lots of vegetables mm -hmm. and everything. And we eat that one week, and then the next week something new. It's so easy. It's in the refrigerator, maybe 10 minutes of prep time, and you come home, and you have this fresh, wonderful meal that you only did one day at a time. Right. Shopping, cooking, getting everything in the fridge, and the whole rest of your week. Yes, and, a, and a, my favorite thing about that type of thing, and from, from my example, it'll be a soup. You can make something really bland on the first day, and then the next day you can put hot sauce and lemon. Then the next day you serve your bowl and put some cumin and some pepper. And then the next day, you, like, you could change the flavors up so you don't get tired of the same thing. You like, never want to eat soup again after day seven. <laughs> But we make one meal for a week. So last week we made a mac and cheese. And what was the base? Uh, we had mac and cheese, baked beans, uh, cornbread, and, and corn uh, grilled potatoes. Yeah. And it was like 10 minutes to throw all this, and we're picking from them. And by the end of the week, it was all gone. Like I said, sometimes corn, sometimes potatoes. Yeah. But it was everything that we needed. And the pasta was chickpea pasta, lots of protein. Yeah. So you just put in the stuff that you know you need, and it was delicious, and it got better over the week. Every night, the spices would just you know, jump into it. So we, we go on forks over knives a lot. Yeah, we pick out a lot of recipes. We typically eat like uh, fruit kind of before noon, and then you know veggies and hummus for like a snack, and then for our, our big dinner, that's whatever we cook for the week. Mm. And open with everything in it. Yeah. <laughs> Still cut oats in the instant pot are so easy. You just throw them in there with some flavored, uh, uh, you know, uh, plant-based milk and almond. Mm. <laughs> I have a question. Um, yes. Um, I love your book. Oh, I actually you. left yours and jeans at home, so I couldn't get you guys to sign up. But um, one of the things that I find working a lot, even if I'm working from home, I love my instant pot. And one of my go-to meals, just to throw this out, for people for quick things. Over, overnight oats are really easy and fruit for like breakfast. And then like you had mentioned, some scraps, things like that, vegetables, um, even just grilled veggies on a sandwich is super yummy. And then for dinner, I usually at the beginning of the week will um, use my instant pot and then make like multiple servings, like a big thing of quinoa. And I use that instead of rice a lot of times, so I'll kind of switch the weeks, and then I'll just do something with lots of veggies. So whatever's in my refrigerator, it's like the refrigerator cleanup, I'll either make a soup, or um, the other thing I do is a lot of lentil curries, because you can make like a big pot, you throw everything in it, or the, I use my instant pot. Um, and I buy these 
these things called super cubers or super cubes or something, and um, they actually freeze portions. So like I have my own tools in my freezer right now. Like anytime I need, I can just like pop it in a bowl, defrost it, cook it, add some rice or quinoa. I mean, it's, it's great. But I, I've learned a lot of these things just by like, like your book is amazing. Thank you. You've got another one coming out too, right? Yes. Actually, this next one is all about time. So that one, I showed people how to cook from scratch. And this one is more if you are limited on time and you'll find lots of different ways to use overnight oats and smoothie bags or something that I've relied on where you uh, put all of your uh, smoothie contents minus the liquid in freezer containers and then you just pour them in the morning so that you don't have to fuss around with making all your smoothie stuff. Yes. One year I made, I would like to go to farmers, I got this big farmers market like obsession for a little while <laughs> and I should probably go back again but one time at the end of the summer I saw all these tomatoes that they reduced. They were organic heirloom tomatoes and they had like a bruise or something and I'm like you know what I can cut the bruise off and I can make homemade salsa and you put it in a jar I can process it. And I like gave that away as gifts and sent it to my dad and you know all this stuff and that's a and it's so much more tasty. <laughs> yes. That's also a good point, too. I've found that at some grocery stores, a lot of the smaller grocery stores will be more accommodating of this, but if there is bruised produce or produce that's going it's on its way out, you can ask for a discount. And sometimes, hit or miss, they will give you the discount. So if there's some really spotted bananas, you can go from maybe 72 cents per pound to 25 cents per pound. It's it's worth the ask, in my opinion. Yes? So kind of overlapping with like vegan on a budget, would you ever uh, look into like the freaking movement? and you know how maybe you use that to, to assist with it? I have not personally, but I know a lot of people who do, and I follow some accounts on social media, and even this one person in my community has had good luck actually feeding the community. Uh, and we have refrigerators uh, in Sacramento where there are these um, community-run refrigerators that just hang out in the city and uh, you can put food and take food and uh, some of our restaurants and um, grocery stores donate uh, food excess or food that's on its way out and the food disappears so quickly the refrigerators are stopped like three times a day and hungry people are going and feeding their families with what could potentially be food waste. There's enormous food waste in this country, so it's great that that's being recovered, some of it. Yes. Are there any plant-based meat recipes out there that are more affordable to make than what you see in the grocery stores? Yes. I, uh, one of my favorite things uh, is lentil tacos, and the lentils turn out to be a very similar taste and texture to ground beef lentils, and so it, it may not be exactly what you're talking about, uh, but if you're looking for a meat replacement in beef tacos or beef burritos or um, even uh, shepherd's pie, lentils are a great alternative. And uh, I was just talking with this person right here about um, 
the versatility of chickpeas, similar thing. We were we were specifically talking about how I grew up on tuna fish sandwiches. I have eaten more tuna fish sandwiches than anybody I know, and I have swapped out the uh, tuna fish with chickpeas, and it's a very common recipe. She was saying that she ate some here, or there's someone serving them here, and uh, it's, it's easy, it's familiar, and I think that that's the key, is continuing to use the same flavors that you love to make it sustainable long-term. All right, well, thank you so much. It was a pleasure to be here with you all. And thank you, Jean. Thank you. Thank you so much. coming to you live from Bluegrass Veg Fest here at the Melwood Art Center on Forward Radio 106.5 FM WFMPLP Louisville. You just heard a fireside chat with Miss Tony Akamoto on how to eat plant-based on a budget. Speaking with one of the earlier uh, speakers of the day, Gene Bauer, co-founder and president of Farm Sanctuary. And Tony Akamoto is a best-selling author and founder of Plant Based on a Budget, the popular website and meal plan that shows you how to save money by eating vegan. Uh, that was a great talk. And the last one of the day is coming up just at 5 o'clock with Dr. Milton Mills on the many benefits of a plant-based diet. Dr. Mills is a physician and veteran speaker who was the featured physician in Netflix's hit documentary, What the Health?, he practices urgent care medicine in the D.C. area and has served as associate director of preventative medicine there. He's currently a member of the National Advisory Board for the Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine. Dr. Mills talks are renowned for being accessible, highly informative, laced with humor and thought-provoking ideas. And you can hear from him coming up at 5 o'clock right here on Forward Radio or by coming out to the Bluegrass Veg Fest. There's another hour and 15 minutes left or so here at the Melwood Arts Center at 1860 Melwood Avenue. Admission is free and there are samples and some food trucks still available and over 50 different vendors over in the vendor hall including a booth with us forward radio is here helping you understand how to take control of your local media as well as your diet and how to make sustainable media that matters with uh, good people like us here at forward radio we are excited to be here and be a part of bluegrass veg fest uh, these are great community events where so nice just to be after these pandemic times with other people again and oh it looks like the rain the drizzle has finally let up and it's a little nicer outside but a nice warm summer day otherwise uh there are still people lining up at the food trucks the green district is here you can get desserts and smoothies and uh summer cocktails also being served up by v grits and Carmichael's Books, Carmichael's Books is here as well, offering a table of uh, great books for people interested in, in going vegan. There's cookbooks and other things available on offer. I'm going to stroll back here into the vendor's hall 
Garden Girl Foods is here. Garden Girl Foods is a great local black-owned business. And you can get a VegFest t-shirt as well uh, on your way in. There's the, Oh, there's the suggested donation box. It's right at the front desk. Louisville Vegan Jerky is here selling their mini delicious jerkies that they make, I believe, with soy protein. And they're even sampling some out for you. I'm going to try one of these. This one is the Maple Bacon Vegan Jerky. And, uh, boy, I've had it before. It's really good. Uh, do I have enough hands to sample it and get it through my mask? That's the question. Yes, I do. Oh, it's good. Mm. That good maple bacony flavor. You know, I've ridden my bike by Louisville Vegan Jerky Factory uh, in Shelby Park, and uh, when that's when they're doing that maple bacon, it smells so good. That's the joy of plant-based living: is you don't have to suffer. You can have all the same great tastes that you love, but in a plant-based way. There are many different vendors here offering things other than food. I'm now in front of Envision Positive Handmade Crafts. They have some awesome tank tops. Sun's out, guns out. Sun will be out any minute now. I'm sure of it. Saying the future is vegan. Either we stop the killing or the killing will stop us. There are stickers of all kinds about vegan living. Cutting boards and uh, stirring rods. If you want a, a wooden spoon that says vegan for life or let the food be thy medicine cutting board, this is the place to get it at uh, Bluegrass Veg Fest here in Melwood's Arts Center. And hey, how appropriate that I'm looking at art and the Arts Center. She's got uh, some nice keychains and earrings of all kinds. Oh, some really cute carrot and other produce turnip earrings radish earrings those kinds of things um now some of our vendors have sold out so if you weren't able to get here earlier you looks like you missed out on the vegan cheesecakes and uh the inebriated baker was here too with a full shot of booze in every jumbo cupcake but the the inebriated baker has sold out uh so yes things have been flying off the shelf the kid zone is still going strong over Sorry here. Supporting these vendors, I have to get a give a huge, huge shout out and thank you to Jenny Brown and her husband Doug Abel. They were the ones that stepped up and said that this festival has to happen this year. They put in the bulk of the work. Jenny and Doug are up front, so please stop by and thank them for doing all of this for the vegan community. Coming up in ten minutes is a talk by Dr. Milton Mills. Um, this is an incredible physician. He's been in multiple documentaries, including What the Health. Um, so that's going on across the little street there. You'll see the signs outside in just a couple of minutes. So please rush over to he hear Dr. Milton Mills. 
That's right. We're going to be covering that here on our special live broadcast on Forward Radio with me, Justin Mogg, covering the activities at the Bluegrass Veg Fest here at the Melwood Arts Center, uh, 1840 Melwood Avenue, just between Zorn Avenue and Story Avenue on Melwood. Uh, the crowds have really thinned out, so if you were kind of uh, dismayed by crowds and maybe didn't want to come because you were worried about COVID or just didn't want to be around tons of people, now is the time to come on out. Things have thinned out a little bit. Uh, there's still plenty of people here, but there's lots of space here in this giant vendor area. And uh, yeah, you can check out what's going on here. Uh, New Roots is here. Uh, as you heard earlier in the day, they're the local nonprofit that sponsors fresh stops around the community to help address food apartheid and get fresh veggies and produce to the people in areas of our community that don't have them. And anyone can sign up to be a partner and uh, a recipient of the benefits of New Roots. And that's a great way to go plant-based is to you know become a part of a, one of these community-supported agriculture programs that uh, help get food to the people and you will be getting in your box every week all kinds of great produce and veggies that you may not know about uh you know the key to good vegan dining is to have good spices and seo lanka spices is here a family-owned u.s company importing spices from their own family in sri lanka the best spices grown with our hands and love from their families to yours. They got ginger powder, cinnamon powder, nutmeg, turmeric, chili powder, and chili flakes. I love those on my pizza. Uh, black pepper powder, cloves, black pepper seeds. And all that is for sale here, fresh from Sri Lanka to you, uh, right here at the Bluegrass Veg Fest. And they may be lowering their prices soon in the last hour of the Veg Fest, right? I'm not guaranteeing anything like that, but this might be a good time for you to come on by and check things out. Now, we spoke earlier with folks from the Topper Hopper Animal Sanctuary over in Shepherdsville, but also in the house is the Wild Earth Farm Sanctuary. Uh, they're rescuing farm animals as well. Can learn about them at wildearthsanctuary.org. Uh, they also have a permaculture project and sustainable education. Uh, so you might want to check them out. A bunch of people swarm in their booth right now, so I can't talk to them. But uh, they're busy like a lot of our folks. Uh, and there's stuff for kids, too, about uh, you know helping kids understand that the key to good healthy diet is to eat the rainbow. And there's a whole table just about that. Food is medicine is the message of the day. Uh, Louisville Lifestyle Medicine is here. They provide primary care for health, for life, with hormone therapy, weight management, physical exams, wellness visits, sports injuries, and even aesthetic and laser services. You can learn more about them at louisvillelifestylemedicine.com. Some of the art vendors are still here selling things like buttons and uh, nice anklets or uh, necklaces of different kinds with some plant-based products. That's pretty cool. Uh, and let's see, who else we got here? Oh, yeah, there's beverages. Don't forget Sip and Shake Artisanal Wines. They are here offering some, of course, vegan wine. Dirty Snouts is here. DirtySnouts.com sells merchandise designed to encourage compassion, provoke thought, 
and increase awareness about animal agriculture. 10% of direct sales are donated to farm animal sanctuaries. Uh, so come check out their products at the Dirty Snouts booth. <laughs> and we also have Wells Made here offering their butters. I'm so glad to see you again. <laughs> People love their nut butters, don't they? You've been, you're, you haven't sold out yet. Almost. It's, it's, getting, <laughs> it's getting close. close. It's getting close. Must be the last hour. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say. Yep. I had eight flavors, and now I'm down to two flavors. You want to tell people about your business? Yeah, so I'm a small handcrafted seed and nut butter business based here right in Louisville, Kentucky. And we do um, also roasted seasoned nuts. Yeah, and we're in local stores here in Louisville, Lexington, Cincinnati, where else? I don't know where else. And I <laughs> but find yeah, it, lots of farmers markets yes, too. Yes, yes. At the Gray Street Farmers Market, just saw you there earlier, and you're in Value Market, Value Market, Road, uh, Rainbow, Blossom. Rainbow Blossom, Blue Dog Bakery Cafe, Logan Street Market. Yeah. And, and you sell kind of nut butters people may not have tried in any yeah, time. So else, some right? of the um, specialty um, flavors would be the cashew black paper. Uh, Black pepper with maple, the hazelnut espresso, and the pumpkin seed butter is very um, popular. Yes, it is. Did you grow up eating these kind of nut butters, or is this something no. you discovered? I, I discovered it. Um, a friend of mine's daughter was eating sunflower seed butter. So I said, oh, let me check that out. Never heard of that. And start doing my research. And a lot of nut butters at the time had lots of oil, white sugar. So I wanted to do something more natural with less ingredients. And I started with pumpkin seed butter. Yeah. Oh, you got a customer. All right. I bet, I bet you to it. Right. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Wells Made. Check them out. They got the best nut butters and products. Uh, so good. So tasty. Uh, and they're here at the Bluegrass Veg Fest and enjoying its last hour. Uh, we got two more minutes until our last speaker takes the stage i might wander on over there but yes plenty of vendors uh, offering things that you might not be able to get anywhere else sure you can find wells made at your local store uh, but you could talk to the woman who makes wells made happen flora kitchenette is still here there is yummy stuff still in their case i might see some of them vegan donuts over there still oh yum all right and vgrits and chimera are serving up the drinks uh, still a little bit of a line there. So, hey, there's lots of good stuff still happening here at the Bluegrass Veg Fest in the Melwood Arts Center. And lots of people still coming in, checking out the good plant-based foods. You can get a superfood cocktail, all-natural, low-sugar, 35 calories from Modica, right by the main entrance. And I'm going to head back over to the speakers area for our last speaker of the day garden girl foods is right here at the main entrance too offering their delicious canned pickle all oh, those pickles look really good i love me a good pickle as well as jellies jams all kinds of good stuff we are coming to you live here on forward radio Yes, and we have to interrupt, unfortunately, our regularly scheduled program. I'm going to put community control now on pause. 
I'm sorry about that. We are back here live on Forward Radio with me, Justin Ma, broadcasting from the Bluegrass Veg Fest. I'm headed on in to hear our last speaker of the day, Dr. Mills, who you heard from, uh, shouting out from the crowd, some great stuff. I can't wait to hear him, an expert on the health benefits of plant-based diets. short around the country with the title, This Is How You Do It, okay? <laughs> um, so honestly, thank you for inviting me. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to participate. I, I've had the most wonderful time today. Um, it's, it's been beautiful. So um, I've been tasked with talking to you guys about the, the benefits of being plant-based. And for, let me just make it clear, I could do the whole conference. On that okay um, uh, so but I only got an hour so and actually a little bit less than that so I'm just gonna kind of hit some highlights um, and um, uh, what I want you to know is that look it ain't subtle okay um, we are a plant-based species and um, all of the uh, um, research shows that to the extent to which we adhere to a plant-based diet, we live longer, we live healthier, we perform better as um, uh, athletes, we have fewer diseases, we have a lower risk for dementia, we have a uh, reduced impact on our planet, and we, of course, uh, get along better with the animals with whom we share this planet. So, um, uh, oh, by the way, God is uh, happier with us as well because we um, are adhering to the plan that he um, uh, set up for us from the very beginning. So, um, um, if anybody tells you that you need to eat another animal, uh, hand them a package of Metamucil, okay? Because they are FOS. Um, <laughs> And um, the S stands for stool. Uh, <laughs> um, and I just, I just want to share something with y'all real quick. Uh, yesterday, I, I, 
uh, had the, this is one of the watches that I, um, I needed to get a battery put in and um, my angel that picked me up from the airport and took me around and didn't complain about anything, I said, can you take me someplace to get some batteries put in? She found a place online and it's called the Jewelry Doctor. Um, uh, they had great reviews, she took me to this place, we went and while we were there, in walks this um, dietitian who was coming to this, um, to, to this event. She says, oh, Dr. Mills, can I get a picture with you? We start talking, the guy who was putting my battery in, he says, oh, you're in the plant-based. He says, well, maybe you can tell me how to get meat out of my diet to help with my gout. <laughs> I'm telling you, it's like, it was like a mini miracle. I ended up, <laughs> at a place where somebody wanted to learn about becoming plant-based. And he did a fantastic job. So, the jewelry doctor, look him up, go to him. Help him out, all right. All right, so let's get going. We're gonna talk about the health and environmental benefits of being plant-based. Got a little video to start with. just because it's cool. <laughs> Benefit of plant-based diets, how changing to a plant-based diet reduces chronic disease, increases lifespan, and uh, decreases climate change. I realized I left off a couple S's, but we won't talk about that. Um, and so first we're gonna talk about the major causes of death in England and Wales in 1880 versus 1997. Why England and Wales? Because it turns out in the United States we weren't keeping good stats back in the late 1800s, but they were in England and Wales. Um, and since uh, eating patterns were pretty consistent between the two countries, uh, what was happening in England was pretty much happening here. And what I want you to notice in general is that in the late 1800s people were not dying from heart disease and cancer. They were dying from infectious diseases and things like tuberculosis. And that's because back then, people were mostly eating plants because they didn't have refrigerators, they weren't raising a lot of cows and pigs, um, and uh, they were eating, you know, plant foods. But in 1997, um, they had factory farming, they had refrigeration, everybody's eating hamburgers and hot dogs and other uh, pieces of dead animals, and lo and behold, now everybody's dying from heart disease and cancer. Um, and it's just remarkable. So clearly, um, we need to change the way we eat, because what we're eating now is killing us. And it's a direct effect of the change in our diets. So, with we're encouraged with all our getting to get understanding, and that is what we are after today, Proverbs 4, point, uh, verse 7. So leading causes of mortality in Western countries are, again, um, uh, diet-related diseases. And experts estimate that 80% of the chronic disease and premature death we see can be prevented by making major changes in our diet and lifestyle. How important is that? How many people in this audience know somebody that's had a heart attack? Raise your hands. Look around. Nearly all hands went up. 
at least 80% of you would not have raised your hands if everybody had been plant-based. If I asked you how many people had know somebody with diabetes or know someone with cancer, again, almost everyone's hands would go up and that would not have to happen if we were plant-based. We are killing ourselves. We're killing our family members. We're killing our loved ones. We're killing ourselves. And this does not have to be. Why are we doing this? How many of you had a conversation with your obstetrician when you were born? <laughs> Nobody, right? And that seems like a silly question until you realize when I talk to people about what they eat, the first thing they say, oh, Dr. Mills, what I like. The only reason you like it is because somebody taught you to like it. When you were born, you were born without any preferences whatsoever. Everything you think you like, somebody taught you to like it. How many of you are in a relationship? Now, I want to see this through your hands. Kim up. How many of you are in a relationship with the first person you fell in love with? Nobody. Okay. <laughs> One hand up. Right. All right. We got a lucky guy over here. <laughs> we all fell in love with somebody, thought we couldn't live unless we were breathing in that person's breath, and then they did something stupid, and we're like, why am I with this fool? <laughs> Well, just like you learn to love somebody else, you can learn to love a different kind of diet, okay? Because you learned that that person you were with was not good for you. Time to learn that, learn that, certain, that the food that you're eating is not good for you either. All right. So, root causes of disease. Diseases run in families. Why? Because eating habits run in families. Okay? And if we change our diets and behavior, we can change our health for the better and learn to have a brighter future. So the waitress is pretty prescient. She asked this guy, dude, you want that with or without angioplasty because clearly you're going to need it. <laughs> Coronary artery disease is the leading cause of death for men and women in the United States. And uh, as we noted, 80% of this, this could be prevented if we change our diet and our lifestyle. American Heart Association uh, estimates that 80% of heart disease and strokes could be prevented, again, if we change our diet. That means out of the over 800,000 Americans that have a heart attack every year, over half a million of them, 610,000 die. Okay, they don't even make it to the hospital to get that stent for that bypass. They're dead. It's, it's over. So, question. Uh, at, well, uh, just this, that. Every 40 seconds, somebody has a heart attack. Every 40 seconds, somebody's having a heart attack. So, I mean, just since I've been talking, probably, I don't know, six or seven people have had a heart attack. So, what is a heart attack? Does that mean that our hearts will one day rise up and attack us like some out-of-control gang member? No. <laughs> so then what is a heart attack? Well, first of all, this is our heart. Beautiful organ. Works for us tirelessly. Um, doesn't look anything like that thing we put on Valentine's, though. <laughs> um, and uh, uh, it actually kind of sits in our chest sort of sideways. 
Um, and it has what's called an anterior side, or side that faces forward, and an inferior side that sits on the diaphragm. And the coronary arteries, uh, which coronary means crown, uh, those are the arteries that supply the heart, uh, uh, blood to the heart itself. And there's the left main um, that comes out from the aorta on the left side, and it immediately splits into what's called the circumflex, which wraps around the back part of the heart, and then the uh, uh, left anterior descending that comes down the front side of the um, uh, left side of the heart. Now, keep in mind, the left side of the heart is the main pumping chamber. That's the part of the heart that pumps blood to the entire body. The left side of the heart accounts for 70% of the mass of the heart, okay? Why is that important? Because that's what gets the lion's share of the blood that uh, the heart receives. The right side of the heart only pumps blood to the lungs, okay? It's a much lower pressure system, gets a lot less blood. Um, and again, these arteries are called coronary because they were thought to resemble, resemble a crown. A heart attack occurs when one or more of these uh, blood vessels becomes completely blocked and then part of the heart is deprived of blood. Um, and that causes the muscle to not be able to um, function. So um, if the um, arteries block down here, only a small portion of the muscle is uh, heart muscles deprived of uh, blood flow. It's a small heart attack. If the blockage occurs up here, much bigger part of the heart muscles deprived of blood, it's a major heart attack. If it's up here, it's called a widow maker. Why? Because that will cause the heart to stop pumping. That is what is called sudden death. When that happens, you, you just pass out and you're unresponsive and generally by the time the EMTs get to you, you're brain dead, okay? So that's how serious this can be. Uh, every day your heart does a phenomenal amount of work. When you're just sitting around playing um, on your, uh, your phone or your Game Boy, not doing very much, your heart pumps at least 100,000 times and moves about 2,000 gallons of blood. One gallon of blood weighs 8.3 pounds, which means that just at rest, your heart is pumping about 16,000 pounds. Now, if you're actually active and doing, you know, some exercise, it's doing even more work. So, like James Brown, your heart is the hardest working organ in your body. <laughs> Show it a little respect. <laughs> Put the right materials in your body so that it will not seize up and stop working, okay? So let's look at what happens when you eat the wrong food. Now this is normal blood flow. You see how smoothly those red blood cells are flowing when uh, you're eating like the right food, see how smoothly they're flowing and, and how fast they're flowing? Watch what happens when you eat some fat and grease. This is what happens after you eat grease. 
You see how sludgy and slow and clumpy? This is what grease does to you. This is why people start clutching their chest and, and, and they can't breathe, they can't move. And this is, and it takes 10 hours before blood flow can return to normal. But who waits 10 hours before they go and have another cheeseburger? Okay? And see, over time, you get a buildup, and you see you get this blockage, and then you get that sludge, and boom! You can get a blockage forming right here. And you can get a blood clot forming right here. That's why they tell you to take aspirin. Why? Because the aspirin can prevent the platelets from forming the blood clot. Aspirin doesn't treat heart disease. Aspirin just prevents the final event. Well, it can prevent the final event. It may not. But you still have disease, okay? What will prevent the disease? A change in diet and lifestyle. That's the only thing that will prevent all of this buildup and this grease. So let's look at the benefits of a plant-based diet. Studies show that people who eat plant-based diets are at much lower risk for developing heart disease because healthy plant-based diets are low in total and saturated fat, but high in the heart-healthy fats like mono and polyunsaturated oils. They're also high in fiber, plant proteins, antioxidants, and contain little or no cholesterol if you're vegan. Vegetarians and vegans typically have cardiovascular risk profiles that are well below those of people who eat meat and usually live longer, have lower weight, lower blood pressure, lower levels of homocysteine, which can damage your blood vessels and start that process of cholesterol buildup, and typically have cholesterol values that are 100 to 150 points below people who eat meat. Now, look what happened to one doctor who is a cardiac surgeon and developed heart disease. Joseph Crow was a uh, cardiac surgeon at the Cleveland Clinic, started having chest pain back in April of 1996, and ultimately, um, six months later, had an actual heart attack. And when he went to the cath lab, he coded twice on the table. And this is what his cardiac cath showed. You see that on the um, left side? They show this really ragged narrowing in the distal part of his left anterior descending artery. The problem was, this was so far down the artery, they could not put a stent in there. They couldn't put one of those little wire cages and open that up. They also couldn't bypass it, okay? So when he came out uh, from anesthesia, they told him, you've got a horrible narrowing and we can't fix it. He was really depressed because he knew that that meant he was highly likely to die. But he was fortunate in that he was colleagues with Caldwell Esselstyn. He went to talk to Dr. Esselstyn, and Dr. Esselstyn said, I got good news for you. If you're willing to change your diet, you can reverse this. 
He went on a plant-based diet, and after two years, look at that artery. The cholesterol deposits went away. The artery opened up, and it was like new. Plant-based diets can reverse heart disease, ladies and gentlemen. This is no medicine. He didn't take statins. He didn't have surgery. He just ate plants and left the grease alone. I'm telling you, plant-based diets will save your life. You do what God said, and you'll live a long time. This is Dr. Esselstyn's book, Prevent and Reverse Heart Disease. If you know anybody with heart disease, get them this book. Let's talk a little bit about stroke. Why is stroke important? Because every four minutes, somebody dies from a stroke. There are two types of stroke. Well, first, what is a stroke? Stroke occurs when a blood vessel that carries oxygen to the brain either is blocked or ruptured. And that impairment in blood flow to the brain leads to uh, brain cell death. There are two types of strokes. One is called ischemic, where a blood vessel is blocked. The other is called hemorrhagic, where a blood vessel ruptures and you actually get bleeding into the brain. We're only going to focus on the type of blood vessel where uh, the blood, I mean, the type of stroke where blood vessels blocked, because that accounts for 87% of the strokes. It's estimated that once you get that blockage, two million nerve cells are lost every minute after that blockage occurs. And ladies and gentlemen, we know from what we see in the news that most people are working on only a few neurons as it is. <laughs> <laughs> they need help. <laughs> we, 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 we can't afford to let them uh, 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 suffer from stroke. So <laughs> with the ischemic strokes caused by the blockage, Blood blood vessels uh, can be due to an embolus, meaning a, 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 a clot breaks off and, and uh, travels through the brain, and, and at a site of a narrowing in the uh, artery in the brain, it lodges, interrupts the blood flow. Um, again, with the hemorrhage, uh, it can be caused by a rupture to a blood vessel in the brain, um, and that can be from uh, what's called a, a, a aneurysm or a, a AVM. In terms of who gets these, women have about 60,000 more strokes than men. Native Americans have the highest prevalence out of anybody, followed by African Americans, who have almost twice the rate compared to Caucasian Americans. Hispanic Americans have slightly higher rates when compared to non-Hispanic whites. There are many modifiable risk factors, and when you look at these, the reason we're talking about it is because they are all, again, largely related to dietary factors. So again, high blood pressure, again, related to diet. High cholesterol, related to diet. Uh, obesity, uh, lack of exercise. Sleep apnea. Sleep apnea is caused when people gain a lot of weight, uh, the neck enlarges, um, uh, they stop breathing when they sleep. Um, of course, heavy alcohol use, uh, there's a lot of reasons to watch your alcohol intake or stop altogether. 
um, smoking. If there's anybody in here who still smokes, let me know right now and we'll come over and slap you upside the head. There's no reason to be smoking. I mean, that's like, let me pay somebody money to kill myself. Stop it. Um, so high blood pressure. If your blood pressure is consistently above 140 over 90, that raises your risk for stroke. Diabetes and obesity. Again, um, don't have time to really focus on that, but this is largely related to a, a Western-style diet. Uh, turns out atrial fibrillation is, again, related to Western-style diets. Uh, there's our old friend smoking. Cholesterol levels where, uh, where the LDL fraction is above 130, again, Western-style diets. Uh, not much you can do about being a man. Uh, <laughs> and uh, here, too, age um, is an occupational hazard of living, but if you live right, won't cause you as, much prob as many problems. And same thing with ethnicity and race, but again, if we eat the right foods, we should be okay. All right, risk, risk factor reduction through dietary change. So let's talk about high blood pressure. Affects one in four Americans. It is usually called the silent killer because people often don't realize they, uh, uh, ha they have it uh, until it causes a problem, and that's very true of men. Why? Because men are testosterone poisoned, uh, meaning that we think we're cool um, until <laughs> we're not. Um, I, I saw something on Facebook where it said that I changed my, the GPS voice on my um, uh, GPS app to mail, and now it just says, keep driving, it's around here somewhere. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I just thought, you know, that's probably true. Um, and, and, you know, because men, we, we don't like to admit there's, there's something wrong. And there's a reason that uh, married men tend to live longer is because their wives, like, hit them over the head until they go get checked out. We gotta take better care of ourselves, guys. Um, and uh, high, high blood pressure, if it's not corrected, increases the risk for high heart disease, peripheral vascular disease, that's the disease in our extremities, and, of course, stroke. Uh, and these risk factors include uh, obesity, uh, fam uh, family history, uh, drinking too much will raise your blood pressure, uh, smoking, of course, again, uh, a problem, too much salt. Um, uh, high fructose corn syrup, please read your food labels. Um, high fructose corn syrup uh, has been added to a lot of prepared uh, foods and it does raise blood pressure. Um, and, of course, lack of regular exercise and diets that are high in animal protein and saturated animal fat. Again, it's the usual suspects. All of these things, again and again, will increase our risk for high blood pressure, heart disease, cancer, uh, over and over. So how do I know that these things will raise your blood pressure? Well, let's look at a crossover study. So in this study, you had, uh, two, you had three groups. Uh, and two periods. Uh, group one was a control group. They ate the same diet that contained animal and plant foods, both in period one and period two. 
And what we see is that except for this unexplained dip during period two, they began and ended the study with the same blood pressure. Group uh, two, however, you see the little leaves. During uh, period one, they ate a plant-based diet and their blood pressure promptly dropped. But during period two, they switched to meat-based diet and their blood pressure came back up. Group three ate the uh, meat-based diet during uh, uh, period one, switched over to a plant-based diet during period two, and their blood pressure promptly dropped. So again, you see that plant foods consistently lowered blood pressure. And there are other studies that show the same thing. But this is a very good crossover design that shows that when people are put on a plant food containing diet, it consistently lowers blood pressure. Then there's the REGARDS study. REGARDS stands for Reasons for Geographic and Racial Differences in Stroke. This study examined the relationship between diet and stroke in over 30,000 black and white Americans uh, aged 45 years and uh, older. Showed that most of the increased stroke risk seen in African Americans could be explained by differences in diet. Showed that the southern diet style featuring heavy consumption of fried foods, organ meats, processed meats, full fat milk, and you know we like that sugar sweetened tea, uh, while, down, while, while uh, not including a lot of fruits, salads, and whole grains, increased stroke risk by over 63%. Now, they had what they called a plant-based dietary pattern. It wasn't fully plant-based. It wasn't vegetarian or vegan, but it just contained more plants. Uh, had more cruciferous vegetables, green leafy vegetables, fruits, beans, and whole grains. Reduced stroke risk by 20%. If it had been fully plant-based, it would, of course, have reduced stroke risk by even more. Given the relationship between vegetable consumption, blood pressure is reasonable to conclude stroke risk, of course, would have been reduced by much more than 20% had they included a fully um, uh, plant-based uh, dietary pattern and excluded all animal foods. So eating a few oranges, uh, and uh, one study uh, showed that uh, it would open blood vessels in um, people's digits and keep their uh, fingers and toes warm um, when they were uh, in cold environments. Uh, and clearly, uh, that would reduce stroke risk with higher citrus fruit intake. This is from Dr. Michael Greger's website, nutritionfacts.org. Uh, and uh, other studies showed that insufficient intake of fiber-rich foods may lead to stiffening of our arteries, and that's associated with a risk of having a stroke. So diet, high dietary fiber intake can be beneficial for stroke prevention. That's from uh, one of his videos, How to Prevent a Stroke. Uh, there's another video that showed, on average, high blood pressure medications reduce the risk of heart attacks by 15% and the risk of stroke by 25%. But in a randomized controlled trial, three portions of whole grains a day were able to help people achieve the same blood pressure lowering benefit as the medications. So again, um, if you eat the right foods, you can avoid the need for medications. So let's take a look at cancer. And um, the leading causes of cancer for both men and women and cancer death are lung, uh, cancers of the lung. And why? It's our age-old friend, cigarettes. Again, get rid of cigarettes. 
if you live with someone who is a smoker, lock them in the room and don't let them out until they, until they go through a cold turkey. Uh, there's, I mean, there's no reason to keep smoking. But interestingly, the second leading cause of uh, cancer death for both men and women are hormone-related cancers. So they differ by sex. In men, it's prostate cancer. In women, it's breast cancer. But the third leading cause of cancer death for both men and women is colon cancer or colorectal cancer. And the fourth leading cause of cancer death for uh, both men and women is pancreatic cancer, which is the fastest growing solid tumor in both men and women. And that's, what's important is that both colorectal and pancreatic cancer are related to intake of animal protein, animal fat, and total calories. So prostate and colon cancers have been shown to be increased by diets that are high in fat and animal protein and at the same time low in grains, vegetables, and fruit. Diets that are high in saturated fat and trans fat and red meat are particularly problematic. Once again, these cancers strike African Americans to a disproportionate degree and with greater lethality, African American men are 60 to 70 percent, or we have a 60 to 70 percent higher incidence rate for prostate cancer relative to white men. And once we're diagnosed with prostate cancer, we are more than twice as likely to die from the disease because we get much more aggressive uh, forms of the disease that tend to metastasize early um, and um, therefore kill us uh, quicker. Uh, and um, black women uh, get more aggressive forms of breast cancer. Uh, again, that tend to um, kill them uh, more early. Colon cancer rates have been increasing for the entire American population. And I'm going to show you guys that in a minute. And that's why the recommendation is now that people start colon cancer screening at age 45 instead of age 50. And if you are African American, you might want to consider starting at age 40 instead of 45. Um, and so uh, we really need to look at what we're eating, because the likely reason that we're seeing this increase in uh, colon cancer and colon cancer death rates for younger Americans is because people are eating more meat and cheese and animal food than we ever have before in our history. People did not eat fast food and all this garbage the way um, we're doing nowadays. Our grandparents and parents didn't eat this way. There wasn't a McDonald's or Burger King or Wendy's or, uh, um, you know, a, a Papa John's on every single corner when they were growing up. And when they went and got a pizza, it was just cheese on the pizza. It wasn't in the crust and under the crust and on top of the crust, <laughs> you know, and on the box. I mean, it's like, <laughs> it's like good heavens. So um, this was one of the, uh, a study that just came out that was actually a meta-analysis. It looked at 11 different studies and showed that men consuming the most uh, milk products had a 43% higher risk of dying from prostate cancer compared to men who avoided dairy products. And part of the reason, cow's milk contains seven times more casein protein than human breast milk. Casein is a growth-stimulating protein in, in, uh, in, in milk. And why is cow's milk so much more growth-promoting? 
than uh, uh, human breast milk. Exactly. A cow is, when a calf is born, it weighs about 60 to 70 pounds. By its first birthday, it's 600 pounds. Okay? A human baby weighs, you know what, eight pounds, six to eight pounds when it's born? By its first birthday, it's what, 20 pounds? <laughs> uh, humans are the slowest growing animal on the planet. We take 20 years to, to reach uh, adulthood. Um, you know, cows grow much faster. Human milk contains mostly whey protein, much less grow, and, and a lot less of that protein. Cow's milk also contains natural and synthetic hormones that promote accelerated growth rates in human cells. Consumption of cow's milk has also been shown to promote both breast and testicular cancer. Um, Dr. Uh, um, uh, Colin Campbell showed that in the China study that casein, which makes up 87% of cow's milk protein, promoted all stages of the cancer process. Now some people might say, well, it's a fat. No, because this study out of 1986 showed that when you remove all the fat, you still had um, excel, uh, a linear relationship between milk consumption and increased uh, prostate cancer risk. Uh, and eggs, what about eggs? Eating two and a half eggs a week, a week increased the risk of prostate cancer by 81%. That's a Harvard study. Again, keep in mind that an egg is meant to make a brand new baby bird. So it is full of growth stimulants, ladies and gentlemen. It's, and it's critical to identify these risk factors because Prostate cancer, once it metastasizes, markedly decreases survival. Uh, this study showed that 90% of new prostate cancer diagnoses, once, while they were localized or regional, had a five-year survival approaching 100%. However, once the prostate cancer spread, patients with distant metastases, their survival was only about one in three, one out of every three. Uh, this study in American Journal of Clinical Nutrition out of 2010, they observed a significant two-fold increased risk of prostate cancer progression among men with the highest quartile of egg intake compared to men with the lowest egg intake. Meat, fish, eggs, and poultry all increase risk of prostate cancer spread. So look at this, uh, um, uh, and this is from the same study showing um, poultry intake uh, relative to the risk of prostate cancer spread. So you see the more chicken people ate, the uh, higher their risk of the prostate cancer spreading. And if your prostate cancer spread, spreads, you're likely to die. So being a chickatarian is not gonna help you. <laughs> and why? Because when you look at what we're doing to these birds, in 1957, a chicken compared to a 2005 chicken, look at this. These animals are filled with these growth stimulants, and when people eat them, they're, they're, those stimulants are now in their bodies. Okay? This ain't natural. This ain't right. And you know, we're just killing ourselves. 
And then it's the choline in the eggs, meat, and dairy that's converted to this toxic compound called trimethylamine oxide that also increases the risk for uh, uh, several lethal diseases, uh, including the spread of prostate cancer. Of the, uh, uh, in another study published in 2012, of the 47,000 men uh, in their study, choline intake was associated with an increased risk of lethal prostate cancer. Men who had the uh, highest choline intake had a 70% increased risk of lethal prostate cancer. And um, what happens is the choline uh, is ingested, goes into the gut, gets um, converted into trimethylamine, which then goes into the liver, gets oxidized into trimethylamine oxide, gets into the bloodstream, increases the risk for stroke, heart disease, and um, prostate cancer death by stimulating prostate cancer spread. And then when we look at animal hormones, we see that um, Milk itself is filled with actual estrogens. I'm so sick of people talking to me about. Uh, 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 thank you. Well, you know, soy has those plant estrogens. <laughs> well, you know what? Cow's milk and cheese and yogurt has real estrogen. The plant estrogen blocks the estrogen receptor and doesn't turn it on. The real estrogen makes it have a party, okay? It actually turns it on. Over the lifetime of Western women, their estrogen exposure is four times greater than you see in countries like China. And that's one of the reasons that breast cancer is five times higher in Western countries relative to women in rural China. Gets worse. Um, so when you look at milk consumption, a graft against breast cancer risk, again, it's a linear relationship. The more milk consumed in a country, the higher their uh, rate of breast cancer. But look at this study, dairy hormones and lactose. Recent study published in the International Journal of Epidemiology showed a marked increase in breast cancer risk associated with milk consumption. Consuming as little as a quarter to a third cup of dairy milk per day was associated with increased uh, breast cancer risk of 30%. But when you increase it to one cup per day, the risk went up to 50%. And for women drinking two to three cups of milk per day, the risk went up to 70 to 80%. Dairy product consumption is also the leading risk factor, as we've already seen for prostate cancer. Harvard Health Professional Studies showed that men who drank more than two servings of milk a day had a 60% increased risk of prostate cancer. Again, growth-stimulating effects of casein uh, protein, uh, which potentiates and exacerbates the growth of cancers um, and the ability of environmental toxins to promote and stimulate cancer development. Exposure to natural and synthetic hormones in the dairy products uh, and the increased production of insulin-like growth factor in the liver because of exposure to these dairy hormones increases the risk uh, and development of these breast and prostate cancer as well as testicular and uterine and ovarian cancers. Um, this is a graph of milk consumption versus milk and uh, uterine cancer. Again, linear relationship. So um, we also need to talk about processed meats. 
classified by the World Health Organization as a class one carcinogen, same as cigarettes. Hot dogs, sausage, luncheon meats, ham, smoked cured meats, and bacon are all processed meats. I'm so sick of them putting bacon on everything. It's like, I, I, I expect to go buy a car and they're gonna have it covered in bacon. <laughs> Nitrites that are used to uh, cure um, um, these processed meats form these toxic nitrosamines, which are carcinogens that attack and damage our DNA. Uh, pregnant women who eat hot dogs have children who have a higher risk of developing brain tumors, number two, pediatric cancer. Children who are fed hot dogs have 10 times the risk of developing childhood leukemias, which are the number one pediatric cancer. There's poor women at, who are um, at the Shriners commercials and the, the what, whatever that other hospital is, I'm like, what did you feed your child, for God's sake? Um, the childhood leukemia and brain cancers have been increasing more than twice as fast as other childhood cancers. Processed meats also increase risk for bladder, endometrial, prostate, thyroid, throat, esophageal, gastric, and colorectal cancers, among others. So, look, processed meat kills, okay? Stay away from it. Blood from men who have been on um, plant-based diets um, for a year killed 70% of the cancer cells and tissue culture when it was dripped on those cultures. So they said, hey, what, it'll do for, what will it do for women with breast cancer? Well, they put women uh, with breast cancer on uh, plant-based diets for only two weeks. And look, killed the majority of the cells in tissue culture. So again, plant-based diets will markedly increase the ability of your body to kill um, prostate, um, to kill cancer cells, but it gets better because phytates in beans um, have potent anti-cancer properties um, and uh, they have broad spectrum anti-neoplastic or anti-cancer activity against a wide range of uh, uh, cancer types. Um, they inhibit um, um, uh, oxidative reactions, they enhance your immune function, they um, affect signaling and gene expressions. Uh, by the way, this uh, lecture is on my website, drmiltonmillsplantbasednation.com, so you can go and actually study these uh, slides in detail. Um, the phytates and lectins found in beans and grain have, grains have also been shown to even rehabilitate um, uh, cancer cells, meaning that cells that are starting to turn cancer, these cancerous, these compounds can make them revert back to normal. It's amazing. And you say, wait a minute, how can beans do that? Well, let me ask you something. What is some of the nastiest material that you can imagine uh, that you would never want it to come in contact with your body? So I would say fresh manure, a dead rotting corpse, right? Maybe some vomit and some pee, right? Well, what if I took a mixture of all that stuff and asked you to stick your hand in it? You'd like cuss me out. But what happens if I stick a bean in it? It'll grow and you'll get a pristine plant. That's how powerful beans are. And if a bean can do that, you need to be putting that in your body. <laughs> That's just the study uh, from which that material was taken. All right. So let's quickly try to get to uh, colon cancer. Brief anatomy review. Plant cells all enclosed in a cell wall, so that means they have fiber. Animals designed to eat plant cells have long uh, 
colon with uh, saculated uh, structure. Animal tissues have no fibers, so their colon is short, straight, and smooth, just like this wolf colon. Uh, oh man, that should be an F, but it, uh, for some reason it didn't come out. But anyway, you see the colon is short, straight, and smooth. Uh, herbivores like horses have these long, saculated uh, annular, meaning they're circular in structure, um, and only plant-eating mammals have an appendix. Uh, and fiber fermentation uh, colon yields additional energy and short-chain fatty acids. So look at the horse colon and then look at ours. Clearly, ours is like the horse. So differences in colon cancer by uh, ethnic group. So what you see is that uh, colorectal cancer incidence and mortality are highest in uh, black Americans followed by uh, Alaskan Natives and American uh, Indians. Uh, Non-Hispanic whites have the third highest incidence rate. Colorectal cancer rates are lowest, actually, in Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders. Uh, during the 2012-2016 interval, colorectal, colorectal cancer incidence rates in blacks were about 20% higher than those in white Americans and 50% higher than those in Asians and Pacific Islanders. In terms of mortality, the disparity for mortality uh, was twice that for incidence, with uh, uh, death rates in blacks almost 40% higher than those in non-Hispanic whites and double those in Asian and Pacific Islanders. But this is what I really want you guys to see. Um, look at incidence rates. This chart shows you incidence and mortality rates divided by age group. At the top, you see um, 0 to 49, in the middle, 50 to 64, and then at the bottom, uh, it's divided, it's uh, 64 and older, and each um, uh, chart, it's men and women. And starting from the bottom and working your way back up, what you see is that for each age group, both incidence and mortality is either declining or plateaued for everybody except the youngsters. In the youngest age group, both incidence and mortality is increasing. You see that? That's why we're telling people you got to start screening earlier. Young people are dying from colon cancer. Not only are they dying, they're getting more of it. And it's because people are eating way too much dead Look at per capita meat consumption. And, it's, and this, it kills me when people go, hey man, what's in that uh, Beyond Burger? I'm like, you're eating a dead corpse. <laughs> it's pea protein, okay? And you're eating a rotten, rotten animal? Are you kidding me? <laughs> per capita meat consumption in the United States, Average American is eating 270 pounds of dead animals every year. And it's really more than that, because I ain't eating none, so somebody's got my 270. <laughs> okay. And these stats come from the Department of Agriculture and Consumer Economics at the University of Illinois. Um, and it may sound like a lot, but really that only comes out to be four ounces of flesh at, uh, a, at each meal. And a lot of people eat way more than that. Then look at cheese. Average person eats 40 pounds of cheese every year. Good God Almighty. No wonder people can't go to the bathroom. 
40 pounds of cheese and 270 pounds of dead animals? That's why everybody's dying from colon cancer. Where's the fiber? Exactly. <laughs> There's no room for fiber. <laughs> we are killing ourselves, people. This is why people are dying. We got to stop this. So when you get home or you go to your relative's house and you see them eating a stuffed crust pizza, slap it out of their hands. <laughs> Tell them they got to do better. Because this, this has got to stop. All right. And this is why everybody, I don't care if you're vegan or not, you got to get your colonoscopy. All right. What I need you all to see, and let me come over here and point this out to you. Colon cancer develops in a predictable, stepwise fashion. Starts off as a small polyp, and over a period of 10 years, it gets gradually larger till it gets to these large polyps, stage four. The important thing to know is that cancer does not begin to develop until you get to stage three and four. And it develops in the tip, and then grows back down through the stalk, and then spreads. The point here is that when they do the colonoscopy, if they see one of these polyps and remove it, they can actually get it before the cancer develops. Okay? So you never have the cancer. That's why you need to get your colonoscopy. And then they can tell you, well, you can come back in three years, four years, five years, and they know that that's enough time that you will not develop another polyp um, before they can snare it and prevent you from getting the cancer. That's different from Cologuard. I hate that commercial because they imply that Cologuard is equivalent to um, uh, uh, the colonoscopy, but it's not. And why? Because Cologuard is actually looking for DNA from cancer cells. Yeah, see, Cologuard only detects it once the cancer is developed. It's not the same thing. Don't believe that crap. Get your colonoscopy. Yes, okay. So, inadequate consumption of prebiotics and fiber-resistant starch can cause disease-promoting imbalance in our gut microbiome, and that can promote uh, the changes that can lead to colon cancer. Also, diets that are high in uh, meat can deliver up to 12 grams of animal protein residues per day to the distal colon, which when acted on by the bacteria can create up to three to four grams of ammonia, which will damage um, the lower intestinal mucosa and uh, promote the development of cancer cells. And there are two types of uh, uh, fiber. There's water-soluble fiber, which protects against heart disease, diabetes, and, uh, inflammatory bowel disease, colitis, and cancers. And then there are water-insoluble fibers, which are your brands and so forth, that protects against colon cancers, uh, constipation, diverticulosis, hemorrhoids, and inflammation. I'm trying to run through these last slides so that I can try and get to as much as I can. Told you there's so much information, but the good news is that there's just tons and tons of benefit here. Um, and uh, they're cruciferous vegetables, uh, plants that have detoxifying 
uh, anti-cancer uh, phytochemicals, detoxifying enzymes. You got whole grains, you got beans, legumes, which have your phytates and chelate uh, toxic compounds. You have fruits, you have colorful vegetables, uh, fibers, uh, mushrooms, uh, both cultivated and wild, which have all these beautiful compounds in them. Yeah, 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 be quiet. Uh, <laughs> you have herbs, medicinal plants, such as garlics, onions, turmeric, wheatgrass, ginger. You see all of these wonderful things that you could be eating to protect yourself. Uh, Anti-cancer uh, compounds in plants. Um, uh, you have a decrease of uh, incidence of cancer in plant-based populations have been shown in a number of different studies. Um, and they do it in uh, multiple, multiple ways. As I said, these, this uh, lecture is on my website, so you can go there. And um, again, Dr. Milton Mills Plant Based Nation.com. No dots, no dashes, just Dr. Milton Mills Plant Based Nation.com. Um, this slide is like really super cool. Uh, it's going to be kind of hard for you guys to see, but this shows a, a bunch of different cancer. So this is medulloblastoma, uh, neural cancer, glioblastoma, another neural cancer, breast cancer, kidney cancer, lung cancer. Shows a bunch of different um, um, vegetables that these cancer cells have been exposed to and how well they grow. The ones that are colored, you got red cabbage, yellow onion, cauliflower, curry, cabbage, um, rutabaga, broccoli, Brussels sprouts, green onion, leek, garlic. Look what happens when these cancer cells are exposed to these um, allium, which are the onion garlic family and the uh, cruciferous uh, uh, family. They can't grow. You see that? Same thing down here with the breast cancer cells. Uh, kidney cancer is a little more, uh, kidney cancer is tough, but still doesn't grow really well with the garlic and the leeks. Uh, same thing with lung cancer. Point is, those vegetables will help fight cancer, okay? Now, this shows that they leave normal cells alone. The clear bars are for normal cells. They don't mess with your normal cells. So, you want to make sure that you're including, uh, since the same garlic dose that blocked nearly 80% of cancer cell proliferation appeared to have no effect whatsoever against normal cells. Similar results were found in other allium and cruciferous vegetables. In other words, vegetables are selective. They destroy cancer cells but need, leave your normal cells alone. Huh? Um, both cooked and raw, okay? So uh, include them in your diet on a regular basis. Um, yeah, I, look, I'll stay around as long as you guys want me to. Um, so let me just close by saying why are plant foods so powerful? Because they address the actual causes of can cancer. They're filled with fiber, phytochemicals, plant enzymes, antioxidants anti-inflammatory compounds, plant sterols, and all the other good stuff. And oh, I just, let me just really kind of uh, do this real quick. This is why we can't feed the world, because instead of feeding uh, people directly, we're feeding um, grain to animals, and that's why there's not enough food, okay? 
And in the United States alone, 40 million tons of food are fed to 7 billion animals, as many people as there are in the world. And if we weren't doing that, we could save more lives. Um, and that means how green is your diet? Bottom line is that if you are driving a Prius and using fluorescent bulbs and eating meat, you need more fiber in your diet. Okay? <laughs> because um, most of the global warming gases are caused by producing animals to eat. Um, and you'll do far more for the planet by switching to a plant-based diet than you will by driving a Prius. That's just a bummer. Okay? All right. Uh, oh, just want to show you this last slide, and then I'm going to shut up. Um, meat versus plant-based burgers. Beyond Burger versus beef uses a lot less water, a lot less land, a lot less energy. And that Stanford study I told you about, eight weeks crossover uh, design, when the people were uh, eating meat, they had higher uh, uh, trimethylamine oxide levels. Uh, when they went on the plant, the Beyond Burgers, their LDL cholesterol came down, they lost weight, and their blood pressure dropped. When they went back to eating meat, the reverse happened. So with that, I'm going to stop. Listen, like I said, it's not subtle, folks. Plant-based is the way to go. Please do yourself a favor. Do the earth a favor. Be kind to your fellow creatures and become plant-based. Thank you, guys. Dr. Milton Mills speaking here at the Bluegrass Veg Fest. We've been live broadcasting here on Forward Radio. Q&A is going to start, but I'm going to step out and sign off because we're all out of time for our live broadcast today. My name is Justin Mogg. It's been such a treat bringing you all the treats of plant-based living and all the reasons to do it and all the samples throughout the day here at the Melwood Art Center. Hope you all had a chance to come out and salivate with us. It's been great uh, being here with Forward Radio and uh, hope you checked out our booth. If not, check out our podcast we will post the entire live broadcast up on our podcast at forwardradio.org but with no further ado let's take you back to the studio and bring you my old kentucky podcast here on wfmplp 106.5 fm